pray for you, please press 1. If you would like to no longer hear from us, please press 3. Hello, this is the Hope and Prayer Center Ministry, calling today to see if you need urgent prayer. If you would like to have someone from our center pray for you, please press 1. If you would like to no longer hear from us, please press 3. Hmm. What button should I press? One or three? Should I have them pray for Dr. Zom? Or should I just run away into the deep abyss of debauchery, pornography, and other affees? What you think? Well, I've been walking these streets so long Singing the same old songs I know every crack in these dirty sidewalks of Broadway See, um, that actually has to do with cinema because Glenn Campbell was in the original True Grit with John Wayne and I believe he dated Kim Darby who played... Maddie Ross in the original True Grit. And then he was in a movie with um, Joe Namath. And that, what the heck was that movie called? Joe Namatha. It was like when he was in the army. They were, they were in the army, but they were on leave or something. And um, they were buddies. And then people started fucking like people. <laughs> Norwood. Norwood. Joe Namath played Joe William. Joe William Reese. And I guess Norwood was Glenn Campbell. And of course, Kim Darby was in it. Like I said, I think that um, Glenn Campbell was actually banging Ken Darby at the time. But I may be wrong. Pat Hingle, that's a pretty good caster. I watched this one time. And it wasn't bad. It's real low budget, though. Uh, Dom DeLuise, uh, Carol Lindley is in this, and she was in some other stuff that... What the heck was she in that I know her from? Oh, Poseidon Adventure. There's got to be a morning after. You know, and she was in a bunch of other stuff, too, but I think she kind of... Well, no, 2006, she was still working. Working good. She was a cutie. I just remember when I was a little kid, I was like in grade school, I believe, and I went to see the Poseidon Adventure, uh, Upside Down, Hell, Upside Down, or something like that, Uh, and I just thought she was pretty hot, Uh, but nowhere, because she had like little hot pants on, she was a singer, but she was not as hot as Stella Stevens uh, with her big boobies and no bra and, uh, you know. That was pretty hot. So anyway, I'm off on. This is Dr. Zom. <laughs> I got that call on our uh, Silver and Gold hotline. I check that every once in a while. We never get any calls uh, because, number one, I don't know how to fucking do the calls on uh, um, on the show. So I just tell people to email us. We did get a couple of emails, and I'll be reading those here in a little bit, and it will be shocking because I had the day off and I went to went shopping at like four o'clock in the morning to get some coffee and a Dutch apple pie and what else did I get? Um, some hot mustard and some chicken wings. Listening to Paleo Cinema podcast while I was doing that, and um, I got back and I just decided, you know what? 
I might podcast. And I, it was just on a, on a whim, so I scribbled stuff down. I didn't think that I had watched that many things because um, I have been watching some, some uh, you know, I want to say TV shows, but some of them are TV shows. But I don't know. I guess if you call it, if they're on Netflix or made for Netflix or whatever, and they're never on TV, um, they're just shows. But anyway, series or whatever. And um, so I've been watching those. And then when I went down through my list and I started looking up um, some of the stuff that I had watched, I, I noticed that I did probably have enough to do a shoe plus um, – uh, talk about some of the stuff you guys have posted and talking about and some of the little things that I posted where I ask a question. I have a bottle here sitting in front of me that I bought online, uh, liquid ass and, um, butt crack smell, liquid ass fart prank. And, uh, I have not used it one time yet. So I keep forgetting that I have it and I'm not going to spray it in the house cause I heard it was, uh, it smells like dog shit. But, um, I, you know, that's something that you want to use, um, like go to the store and spray down the, spray down as you're walking down the aisle and then watch other people react or some shit like that. Or I don't know, spray it. I see people online and they, they'll get in the car with like their husband or something and spray it down like beside them in the seat and not say anything. Or this one guy, he, uh, he does it to his dad while they're driving down the road. Several people do that. And I mean, it must be gaggable, but I'm thinking, you know, why the fuck would you want to do that in a car? And I wonder how long it takes to dissipate to where, or, you know, how long the car is going to fucking stink. But that's one thing. Uh, uh, another thing that's been taking up my time is I, I, I watch these moronic videos. Uh, I mean, I guess they're not moronic. It's, it's, um, um, uh, kind of like uh when people used to go to the to the carnival or the fair and they would see like the geek show where like they would go you go in a tent and a guy would bite the head off of chickens and drink the blood or or uh do weird shit like that like pound nails through his nutsack and they had a guy like that um at horror hound and they have he has a band um that plays music and uh I think the band, I'm trying to think, because it was a while ago. The guy's name is, oh, my God, what's the guy's name? Uh, Alexander Hamilton, or Mr. Hamilton, or whatever. And he does, like, a carnival, kind of a sideshow thing. Uh, I, we went there, like, two or three times, and I had never went to the show. So I went to see it the one time, and it was pretty entertaining. Uh, like, I think his band, if I remember correctly, has, like, uh, it's all, like, little people. And... um um, he, they, they'll like play and he'll do the hula hoop and he does all kinds of stuff like that. But I mean, you know, he doesn't bite the head off chickens, right? But what I was going to say was I've been watching these videos. I got hooked on these videos where people eat like the hottest peppers, uh, that they can find online or, or make these chicken wings and they'll douse them in the hottest, uh, barbecue sauce or, or pepper extract, which uh, apparently is like the worst thing in the world. You're only supposed to put like, a, I think like a, 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 a bottle of it is like a hundred dollars like for, and it's like kind of like a small bottle, but you're only supposed to put like a little, little dab. If you're cooking something, put it in there, just a little dab. And this guy, uh, he puts like a whole bunch and he, he just does shit. He's goofy as hell, but it's entertaining. And it's like one of those things where like, his pain is your pleasure because it's funny watching him just start sweating like a pig and like almost hallucinating and he can't stand it. He got, um, 
he got uh, Tabasco to send him a, a big glass, one gallon glass jug that was personalized to him of Tabasco habanero sauce, one gallon. And he sat there and like was trying to drink the entire gallon of habanero Tabasco sauce. And honest to God, I hate watching people throw up, but it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I still almost gag when I see him throw up or when he eats something that's really hot and he'll have like drool coming out of his mouth and snot just pouring out of his nose and everything. It's gross, but it's funny. I don't know. I think it's funny. And um, one of the things that he does, um, um, he had one, well, he did one where he does this, like what he calls a gauntlet challenge. He sets up a whole bunch of stuff to eat. And one of them was like, there was some kind of uh, hot mustard that is like the hottest hot mustard that you can buy. They put on like a sandwich or whatever. And he'll eat a whole jar of that with a spoon, a whole jar of Vegemite, which, you know, the only thing I know about Vegemite was, you know, she just smiled and gave me a Vegemite sandwich. And she said, do you come from the land down under? You know, and I, I didn't even know what it was. So a uh, guy, because uh, it's not like, you know, really popular over here, I don't think, um, in America. And um, so a guy, we looked it up at work, you know what it is, and it sounds fairly disgusting. But um, And then eat, he ate a, um, a, a big jar of Hellman's uh, mayonnaise just with a spoon and then um, not wasabi he does eat like a tries to eat a baseball size uh, ball of wasabi but um, there's some kind of hot sauce um, that they have in Chinese restaurants in like a big uh, plastic bottle with a squirt thing on the end and I can't oh my god I can't remember what it's called though now it doesn't matter, um, but he'll just drink that. He'll he um, he had one, t- or, and then drink like a, a whole big bottle of uh, ranch dressing, a whole big bottle of ketchup, and then in one challenge, he ha- he made some kind of a a pump with a um, electric drill, and he stuck the uh, one end of it up his nose and down his nostril, and sucked an entire thing of ketchup and an entire thing of mustard <laughs> through that pump, and you could see it going up through the glass or the uh, the uh, clear rubber tubing and down his throat. Uh, and then, um, oh my God, he ate a, at the one he got at the end, and he ate a cactus. Then on one challenge, it was for Fourth of July. He drank I don't know how many, like say six beers with that he opened. He just tore the whole tops of Pabst Blue Ribbon. I think like six of them with his teeth tore the top off and drank them real fast. And then he ate a big watermelon, but he didn't cut it with a knife or anything. He ate it like an apple. He ate the rind and everything. So it's just funny watching him eat this shit. He's so stupid. But, I mean, he he gets it too because he doesn't, like, take himself seriously. Now, there are some people on there uh, on YouTube that do the – the hot pepper challenges and things like that. And they, they take a really serious thing and they're like analyzing the, the pain and, and how it just, you know, uh, washes over them. And then I was like, it's not going away. Oh my God. Usually it starts going away. It's not going away now. So I don't know. I just got caught up in watching that shit. It's it, the, the clips are only, they're not even like 10, maybe 10 minutes long or something. And then some of the guys going and to these restaurants and doing these eating challenges 
where you know they'll have so much food and you have to eat it within a certain period of time or really hot food and you have to eat it within just a couple minutes but then you have to sit there for like five minutes you can't drink anything and everything usually you know it's just i don't know like i said it's moronic entertainment but i've been watching those and uh just kind of getting a kick out of them um let's see what else we have here after i fucking screwed up my list by looking up glenn campbell and joe namath and kim darby um so norwood you know you might you could check that one out it's definitely a um um, a movie of its time because I think it takes place kind of in the late 60s. Uh, it almost could be like a made-for-TV movie and, you know, um, uh, almost like a sort of like a Brady Bunch kind of a movie, uh, but not Brady Bunch, but that kind of look where, you know, they don't go full-on hippie, but it's these two guys that get out of the army and come home and then there's, you know, kind of a counterculture and things like that and they're, you know, from the country or whatever. And Joe Namath at that at that time, you know, he was sort of living that. He he didn't he was one of the first guys in the NFL that grew his hair out real long and or or then he had, he had a Fu Manchu at one time, wore a fur coat on the sidelines when he was hurt and couldn't play. Uh wore like mod looking clothes peace sign chain around his neck or whatever and like a vest one of those furry vests and stupid shit like that uh he was on the brady bunch i believe i remember when um was that the one where marcia got hit in the nose with the football and then i think joe namath came to their house they always had like i guess because maybe because mike was a um uh, I don't know if he, he, I just went and smacked my lips. I had this uh, big sponge thing over the microphone, so hopefully you didn't hear that. And uh, But they would always have like people, he could had connections and he could get people to come to their house, like Joe Namath and Don Drysdale or Davy Jones. I'm trying to think of any other famous people in there. And then that just reminded me um, of when um, Farrah Fawcett was on uh, the Brady Bunch, or not the Brady Bunch, Partridge Family. Traveling along is a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. Um, and she wasn't famous yet. She wasn't Charlie's Angels or The Burning Bed or anything like that. This was, I think, even maybe before she married Lee Majors and she was a model. And she was on um, Partridge Family. And Reuben Kincaid, their manager, and Danny Bonadouchebag. Well, he was Danny Bonaducci then. Now he has become Danny Bonaduchebag, pretty much from doing too many steroids, too much cocaine, drinking too much vodka, and, you know, having little man syndrome where he's only like five feet tall, but he does steroids and went and learned karate. And, you know, he was on on chips one time, and he was kind of like, one of the evil Cobra Kai kind of guys because Ponch knew karate, but then Danny Bonaducci and I think uh, some of his people, some of his friends, they knew like karate too, but they were assholes and Ponch had to take them down. Yeah, Eric Estrada. But um, Farrah Fawcett was on Partridge Family. And uh, the one thing, if you look up the, the pictures, of course, she was just gorgeous at the time. She had that big you know, white smile and everything. But I don't think she, if I remember correctly, she didn't have a bra on and it was, it was very obvious. If you know anything about Farrah, that's the one thing about her, um, her move, her poster 
was that you know the the biggest selling poster, and they you know always said like Adrian Barbeau's was the biggest selling poster before that because she had like big boobs and everything. But then Farah might not have had. She even said it herself. She said she might not have had big boobs, but uh, the one thing they said, why did your poster sell more than anybody else and she goes uh one word nipples so anyway um got got off track there again but i watched um some movies not too much going on it's starting to get hot out and um i was um uh, kind of conversing online with uh, one of my friends on facebook uh who was saying you know the older he gets the less he looks forward to summer because he the, the heat and everything and i'm the same way you know when you're young you couldn't wait for summertime to come and get outside. You're outside all the time, and you, the just sun baked, and you're going to the pool. You're you're cutting grass or whatever, and doing all this stuff. And the heat doesn't bother you. But now, I mean, I spend the majority of the summer unless I'm at the beach and under an umbrella, or you know, of course, you're at the beach, you're walking or getting in a pool or stuff like that. But um, even then, I like going later in the season or early in the season before it gets too hot. Because, I mean, my God, we went one year. One of the last years I went during peak season, yeah, there's a shitload of people there, which is cool because then you can walk around and, you know, watch people and stuff like that. But, of course, you know, the traffic's horrendous. Getting into places to eat is horrendous. And during the day, there's nothing you can do but go in the pool or sit under an umbrella or something like that on the beach because it is so fucking hot. Even going shopping, if you're outside, like at one of these places where, you know, an outside kind of a strip mall kind of a deal or whatever, like Tanger Outlets or something like that, it's so fucking hot you can't stand it, you know. So I'm I'm losing my... Uh, uh, I, I don't like snow and ice. I don't mind the snow as much, but, like, when it gets icy, it sucks. But I would rather have... Um, mild temperatures or it even be cold before uh you know when it's really super duper hot because it just zaps my fucking ass but um other than that i don't think there's too much going on uh other than my food consumption <laughs> but uh i watched um uh for i hadn't seen this in a long long time the oliver stone written and directed movie platoon from 1986 and i believe it's on netflix uh, Netflix Instant Watch. And um, this is a movie that when it first came out, and especially when it came out on VHS, I watched it a shitload of times. And I believe that I went to see it in the theater uh, a few times too because this is one of the first, like, you know, Vietnam big-budget Vietnam movies that uh, was really realistic and, and uh, you know, kind of nasty and uh, showed... Uh, drug use and things like that. I mean, you had Go Tell the Spartans, you had The Boys from Company C, and both of those movies are really good, but uh, they weren't as popular. I mean, Platoon, like, got, you know, D uh, Tom Berenger and Willem Dafoe both were up for uh, Best Supporting Actor, and um, they kind of canceled each other out. And uh, this was just a really good, you know, movie, good mainstream movie and everything. Uh, Oliver Stone kind of has fallen off a little bit, uh, I think um, he, you know, he's always made like political kind of movies, but um, he's like making movies now. Like, I don't know. Any given Sunday was, you know, 
it was good, but it, it also one thing about that one that was a football movie, and it it was kind of like a uh, trying to be sort of like a North Dallas forty of the you know it was nineteen ninety nine, but um, showing the corporate side and things like that, and how um, and of course North Dallas forty was also you know he talked about you know the the corporate side with you know Pete Gent writing that and everything for who played for the Dallas Cowboys you know like we're not the team they're the team you know we're just the equipment you know we're the jock straps and the helmets and you know um but when you look back at like uh, his his best movies to me are like Salvador and Platoon which were like back to back Wall Street I thought was really good but uh it almost ushered in uh, he made a movie where, you know, the, the saying, the famous saying of the movie is greed is good. And, um, as an indictment of that yuppie Reagan kind of culture, uh, wall street culture and everything. But then the people didn't, there were pe- uh, a certain side of society that didn't take it that way. And greed is good became their mantra. And uh, it ushered in a whole new generation of fucking yuppie assholes that we're dealing with even today. Uh, Talk radio with Eric Bedrosian was really good uh, based on a true story. And that was a uh, stage play that Eric Bedrosian had done. Born on the 4th of July. Haven't seen that one in a long time. Uh, I remember it being really good. And one thing that I always thought that that was is uh, the cameo by Tom uh, Berenger after he had just made Platoon and got all this public acclaim and... uh, and from, you know, the, uh, um, from the Academy, you know, and, uh, then you're sitting there watching Tom Cruise and, uh, he goes, um, to the, there's a, um, it's almost like, uh, the scene from coming home where, um, a Marine recruiter comes to the high school to, you know, talk about joining up with the Marines and of course, and coming home. Then also John Voigt's character, who was a sergeant in them, but who had been paralyzed, uh, got to give his side too, which is like I've, I've always said, I think they should show that scene from that movie to like all high school kids because you get both sides. You know, you get, hey, you know, you get to see the world, you get to fight for your country, blah, 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 blah. And then you get John Voigt up there or somebody like that that has seen the face of war, seen his friends, his buddies. Uh, get just you know uh, annihilated, get crippled, uh, s- sitting there holding them while they're while they're screaming for their mothers and you know dying, and then you're in a wheelchair and you're going to live with that for the rest of your life, you know, pissing in a bag or whatever. Um, and then, but the the um, the the thing was with that, what I was going to say was, you saw uh, Berenger playing um, Sergeant Barnes in Platoon, you know, the Ahab of the movie. And uh, then you're watching Born on the Fourth of July that Oliver Stone did, and uh, Ron Kovac, who is played by um, uh, Tom Cruise, is in high school. He's a wrestling champion and everything, and uh, he goes to uh, that thing in the auditorium where the uh, Marine, um, I don't know if it, in Born on the Fourth of July if it was a sergeant or not. I think it, it was, but it's Tom Berenger, and it's like you know it was kind of kind of. I don't know. I don't know why I would say it was kind of weird, but yeah, it was just a cameo. And then also, I believe in that one, I think Willem Dafoe uh, also is in that movie and has a cameo in it too. Uh, as when they went, when um, a lot of the um, injured or, um, you know, soldiers that were in wheelchairs and stuff would go down to Mexico 
and uh, across the border in I think Tijuana or whatever, and you know they they go down there and smoke weed, and you know it was it's so much less expensive. Plus, they could go down there and get prostitutes uh, to to do for them. You know, a lot of the guys they might even be paralyzed from the chest down or whatever, but uh, you know they still um, you know they would have like go and have prostitutes service them or even you know to to make them feel better is to service the woman sex worker themselves you know uh they might not be able to do it you know below the waist but like you know john void in coming home where he went down on jane fond and everything like that um you know people no matter what you know you still need that emotional or even if it's the illusion of emotional um um feeling and um uh, uh, the of of the opposite sex being attracted to you or or uh something like that or being able to please somebody else you know you have that manhood thing or whatever um the doors val kilmer i liked the doors a lot of that's kind of like one of those um groups that it kind of divides people uh but in high school um I I had a friend in high school that was a huge Jim Morrison fan, a huge Doors fan, and I started listening to Doors. My older sister uh, listened to the Doors, and um, I also remember, I believe, it was either senior year, maybe in high school. I, I'd have to look it up. I can't remember. Um, they put out um, an album of um, some music that had, I think, been lost or never been put out and uh the the main song that on the it was a doors album and uh they put it out i think it was i can't remember if it was the life she cried uh but uh it was the doors doing van morrison's song gloria and it became a big hit i mean like a top 40 hit or whatever i mean so many years after jim morrison had died uh the movie still you know jim morrison that's one thing about him. I like their music and I like the spiritual thing about it. And the, uh, you know, like they always said, like the Beatles were, you know, America's sweethearts and, and the doors were kind of dirty and kind of, uh, nasty and everything like that. Um, they did have a commercial side, you know, with like, um, light my fire. So I think, uh, the songs that like Robbie Krieger, the guitar player wrote were more of the, um, uh, more commercial stuff, and you know, come on, come on, come on, come on, now touch me, babe. Can't you see that I am not afraid? And um, um, then Jim Morrison's songs were more. I mean, there's people that argue, you know, he he was like a self styled poet and things like that, and they'd say, well, you know, his shit, you know, his poetry, if it was poetry, it sucked or whatever. And then he was into shamans and spiritual stuff like that. Um, but um, you know, you have to take into account too. The guy was just a young kid. I mean, you know, you look at Jim Morrison, and back then when we were young, you know, when I was like in either. Um, junior high or high school or something like that. I'm thinking, you know, Jim Morrison was this older guy or whatever, but he was just a kid. And um, I also remember, I even had other people tell me this, like um, the song Riders on the Storm, you know, Riders on the Storm, there's a killer on the road. His brain is squirming like a toad. Um, 
that they would say the younger people when they would listen to that would be like you know it sounds like frank sinatra music or something and um it's one of those things that um even like jim morrison's dad who i think was like a fucking admiral or something in the navy he was even saying he goes i don't think my son you know had the greatest singing voice i thought his singing voice was fine but um they kind of came at a a time and some of their music like you might say like uh touch me or something like that whether it was overproduced or not where they would have like the the uh, it was like a cross it was like that crossover period between the um the tom jones uh early 60s kind of a thing um that was still acceptable to the generation that was from like the 50s uh and you had like the horn sections and the violins and things like that and then you went and then you know the beatles did the same thing hell leonard skinner you know tuesday's gone with the wind has like violins and an orchestra and thing and um i'm trying to think who i was talking about the other day and they were saying um Oh, it was Don Henley. He was talking about when they recorded the song Desperado. And uh, they had this uh, music producer. It was this famous British music producer. But the Eagles at the time weren't tried, true, and tested in the money-making machine that they became. And they were recording Desperado. And he said, you know, he's this young guy. And uh, I think he wrote the song. It wasn't called Desperado. It didn't even have the the, the word Desperado in it, Glenn Fry added that later but don henley had wrote that song like when he was in like fucking junior high or something about one of his friends and glenn fry took the song i think added the the word desperado and the, gave it the name and everything and then it became iconic through linda ronstadt uh you know doing it first and then of course it became a huge hit and an iconic song for the eagles in concert but he said you know we're recording that and they were recording everything in like two or three takes because they didn't want to spend money. And he goes, it was intimidating as fuck because I had the whole like, you know, New York symphony orchestra sitting behind me. And here, that's what, that's one thing that I always think about, you know, when you're talking about like um, the wrecking crew or muscle shoals or, or things like that, those people, you had more kind of hip musicians, but then when you bring in these, you know, orchestras and things and Henley said, you know, uh, these guys would be sitting behind me, and they had played a million concerts uh, through the, for the you know the biggest crowds and everything, and they're pro- professional musicians. And he said they would have like chess boards sitting in between them, and in between takes they would be like playing chess. And he said he he could hear everything they were saying, and a lot of the guys were like older guys. And uh, he goes, "Here we are, you know, these hippies with long hair and everything." And he goes, "I heard one guy say." I don't feel like a desperado or something, but that's what I was saying with the doors. They kind of, they kind of had that line there and their music was so much different. If you listen to their live stuff, because Jim Morrison almost got to the point where he didn't want to play the, um, the, 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 their music that was, um, their big hits like light my fire or touch me or whatever. Uh, like when they were on the Ed Sullivan show and they said, uh, you can't say, um, um, girl, uh, girl, we couldn't get much higher. Can't you just say, you know, something like girl, we couldn't get much better. And he said, Oh yeah, man. Yeah, we'll do that. And then when you, if you watch the, uh, the video when they're on, um, Ed Sullivan, um, they do it live. They don't lip sync. And, you know, when they get to that part, he goes, 
girl, we couldn't get much higher. And he looks, he like even like takes a step toward the camera, looks in the camera like, fuck you. You know, he says, girl, we couldn't get much higher. And then uh, they, when he, when they walked off the stage, the guy says, you'll never do the Ed Sullivan show again. And he was like, we just did the Ed Sullivan show, you know, fuck you. Um, so I haven't watched that one in a while, but I know that, and I thought the guys did a good job and everything. And maybe it was because I was a Doors fan. I kind of, uh, put it under a microscope, but the movie wasn't that great as far as, you know, it's not that memorable for me either, but Oliver Stone's a huge Doors fan, a huge Jim Morrison fan. JFK was really good and really entertaining and had an all-star cast with so many iconic performances. Uh, you can think about the Kevin Bacon, you know, hey, Mr. Garrison, you a good looking man. And, uh, you know, what a prediction, you know, here's, uh, Kevin Bacon telling Kevin Costner's character, you know, uh, you know, the people keep talking about peace and love and everything, but fascism's where it's all about. Fascism's coming back. And it's like, God damn, that fucker, Willie O'Keefe, even from prison, was a fucking prophet. But at that time, he was talking about, like, Nixon and uh, that shit. So anyway, Heaven and Earth, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, that was kind of a uh, – there was sort of a uh, – you talk about Sergio Leone, man with no name, uh, for a few dollars more. And, um, um, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, fistful of dollars for a few dollars more and a good, bad, and the ugly being his, his, uh, you know, triad of, uh, fucking movies or trilogy. And the Vietnam trilogy with Oliver Stone was uh platoon born on the 4th of July. And then, uh, heaven and earth, which was, uh, Tommy Lee Jones started in that, but that movie, the actual, Star of the movie was, uh, I think, uh, Hip, Hip Lee, uh, because, and, uh, Hang Noor is in that, um, uh, but, um, that, that movie was, whereas Platoon was, Charlie Sheen was kind of playing, uh, Oliver Stone, because Oliver Stone had been a combat veteran in Vietnam, um, but he took a different, and then, um, Born on the 4th of July was sort of Oliver Stone's coming home because he was talking about Ron Kovac and uh, um, the guys coming back from Vietnam and being maimed and psychologically injured and physically injured in a wheelchair and all that. Um, but Heaven and Earth, it was kind of like Clint Eastwood when he did the two stories about Iwo Jima. Uh, and he did the one side from the American side and then one side from the Japanese side. Well... This movie, um, the the last one, and it wasn't as successful as either, I don't think, Born on the Fourth of July or Platoon, but it's still a really good movie. Really, really good movie. Um, is from the side of a uh, Vietnamese uh, woman and her having to deal with both sides, the uh, Viet Cong and with the Americans and just trying to survive. And um, she had like one of her lovers or her, I can't remember if it was her husband or lover, uh, either or, you know, somebody who was very important to her uh, uh, was uh, in the Viet Cong. And so she was in the Viet Cong. But, you know, to survive and everything, then, you know, she eventually um, became the the woman or whatever of uh uh, American serviceman, which was Tommy Lee Jones. And then, uh, but it, it's a really interesting story. And I like that the, uh, the, 
the the take it was so different because you know you're watching uh, Platoon, and of course they showed like a um, uh, the good and bad side of war both ways, and you had the kind of like the My Lai massacre kind of a thing where they go into one of the guys gets um, when they go and um, burn a village or whatever, one of the guys um, disappears, and then when they find him, they go back to the village and everybody goes nuts and all this shit happens. Uh, and you saw that and you saw like people, uh, some of the Vietnamese people being victimized and whether they were Viet Cong or not Viet Cong, I mean, they're stuck in this thing and they're, and they're, they're being victimized. They're being tortured. They're being murdered. Their, their, their houses and home food and everything's being destroyed. And, um, but, uh, this movie, like I said, it was, it was almost, uh, kind of like the Clint Eastwood movie that showed the Japanese side of, um, of like Iwo Jima, um, the battle there and everything and, and in the Pacific, uh, that's sort of the same way with this. And, and not only that, but from a, uh, a woman's point of view, uh, her, uh, being involved a, some, I don't know if I'd say a lot of the time or some of the time because of the men that she was involved with, because she probably, you know, uh, when, if she was operating, uh, with the Viet Cong was passionate about it. So I don't want to downgrade that and say, you know, she was, but still the, 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 the men that she was involved with, whether it was on one side of the war or on the other side of the war, and then having a child too. And her main focus is protecting her child and doing everything she can to do that. So it's a really interesting movie. 1993's heaven and earth, uh, by Oliver Stone. I didn't mean to go off on an Oliver Stone thing, but it's kind of interesting. So I was, I'm going to continue on with it, and let's look at some other stuff that he did here. Because um, I was saying how I thought he had trailed off a little bit. Uh, Joy Luck, well, it's executive producer. I just want to see what it, the things he directed. Um, it's like you get up into like W, which is about George W. Bush, and it was a good movie. And Nixon, Nixon uh, W, and they were sort of kind of. Uh, indict or, well not kind of they were total indictments of those two presidencies but and i thought they were done well and everything but it's almost that they he, they kind of did it sort of the way jf that he did jfk you're watching it and they're entertaining and everything uh jfk was more entertaining but the both of those movies but then when you go back and you kind of do some research that uh, uh oliver north kind of added shit which the the situ if you say like watch all the president's men or uh, you know the movie uh, uh, Vice uh, with Christian Bale about Dick Cheney and everything, the shit's bad enough as it is, and it doesn't need to have uh, things added to it that didn't happen or or uh, fictional things um, because it was bad enough as it is. He adds some things to these movies, including JFK that. Didn't necessarily happen, but they add to the drama. But the thing is, when people walk out of there, like when I went to see JFK, you walk out of there and you're like, Jesus fucking Christ, this is bullshit, you know, this and that and everything. But then if you do research and, and actually go to 
uh, even movie websites like, you know, uh, there's one, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like the things that they got wrong. I, I can't remember what the site's called, but it will take a movie and it will go down and say, you know, did this really happen? Even North Dallas 40, it said, did this really happen? Did this really happen? Did this really happen? A lot of the stuff, it'll say, yes, this happened. Pete Gent said this. Uh, there were guys on the team that were doing drugs. There were guys on the team that were doing steroids. There were guys, you know, having uh, gang bangs and orgies and everything else. Um, and, uh, but then did it, did this happen? Well, this didn't necessarily happen. It was, at, you know, it's like based on a true story or added for dramatic effect or whatever. Uh, so he kind of gets lost in that. And he, um, you know, uh, I understand, like, I mean, he was so pro um, uh, Garrison in the JFK movies and Garrison's investigation into whether JFK was murdered and whether it was a plot and everything that he held all that stuff up like it was gospel uh, in his movie. And then, you know, you can get online and look up some documentaries and even uh, uh, on YouTube or, you know, look up stuff about Jim Garrison and things like that that, you know, weren't necessarily they, – if, if you put that stuff in the movie, it wouldn't be such a, uh, uh open and closed case that Stone made and everything. Not saying that I don't think there was some kind of conspiracy or whatever. I'm just saying. I did not see World Trade Center. I think that's the one. Is that the one with uh, Nicolas Cage? Yes. Did not see that one because I hate to say that I, I used to always make fun of uh, my grandpa because they made a movie. Say uh, I don't know if it was Helter Skelter, but they also made a movie about Jockey Blonsky. It was called um, uh, Code of Honor, I think, or something like that with uh, Charles Bronson playing Jockey Blonsky. And he was running for the head of the team, or the uh, United Mine Workers, and he and his family were murdered and everything. And it's very famous story especially around here because i live in coal country it happened up in pennsylvania but i'm right on the pennsylvania border and west virginia and kentucky are big coal camp, uh, country and everything so my uh my uncle actually met and knew or had known jockey blonsky and everything uh but when we were watching that and we said hey pap why don't you come in here and watch this he said yeah i lived through it i don't want to watch it you know he goes i don't need to watch it i lived through it or something like that um that's sort of how the uh, movie world trade center with nicholas cage was for me uh, it came out in 2006. It was really close to when it actually happened. And we were sitting here and it happened. And, you know, you're living through it. And the plane that, you know, crashed in the field in fucking Pennsylvania and watching that shit all on TV. And I was just kind of like, I don't. And I still haven't watched it. I don't know if I'll ever watch it. It's probably compelling. And it's probably done really well. But I, it's like the one about fl the, the flight that did crash into the. Uh, field in Pennsylvania. I think we watched that. I watched it with some friends. And, um, you know, it just makes you feel like shit. And uh, you just, like I said, it wasn't that long ago. Um, I don't know. And then, like, Alexander, uh, I know they've came out with um, several different uh, recuts and director's cuts and everything. I watched it the first time. I didn't think it was very good, except for Rosario Dawson's really big tits, which were uh, awesome, and Colin Farrell's uh, uh, low-hanging uh, nutsack. Uh, like on Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, when uh, the doctor told uh, Larry um, David that he had long balls, 
and that's why he, his balls he got tangled and he sat on them or something hurt himself had to go to the doctor and he's like you got long balls there long balls that's your new nickname long ball Larry well Colin Farrell was a young guy in Alexander and he's got some long ass fucking balls because he's climbing in bed with a dude and uh, when he climbs in bed and lifts the sheet up and puts his knee up on the bed his sack is fucking long he got long balls um, W like I said thought he did you know it, was, it wasn't bad but again that's another one it's kind of like Vice I watched Vice Oh, my God, it just happened. I mean, it's like the best full-length fucking movie about uh, George W. Bush or Vice about Dick Cheney was. You know, we just sit there and lived it on a um, 24-hour-a-day news cycle and watched it and saw the best actors in the world doing that, and that's uh, the actual guys that were doing it. And if they came out with a movie about Trump here in about five years, it's going to be the same thing. We just sat through it, and it's nauseating, and it's fucking – it just wears you out. And then, you know, then go and sit. It's like Christian Bale playing Dick Cheney. It was an excellent acting job. Uh, so, and even, um, oh, what's his name? Sam Rockwell playing uh, Bush was excellent. But uh, other than that, you know, I saw all that shit. I know how bad everything was and, you know, greedy motherfuckers and manipulation and everything so maybe for the next generation they'll watch that just like all the president's men but the one thing about all the president's men was um you didn't see nixon you didn't see halderman and ehrlichman and you didn't see all this shit gordon liddy and all this crap you saw woodward and bernstein and you saw jason robards and uh you know um so those were people that you had not seen and, and you know, the the, the, Was- the stuff at the Washington Post, Ben Bradley and all that. Um, it was something new because they weren't on TV all the time and you didn't see them. So you were seeing it from that side. So it was interesting. Whereas these, these guys, they're doing impersonations and they're doing it well of those stories. But like I said, they're, they're just so they just happened. I feel like. I'm almost like watching a rerun. Like I said, I think Bale did a fucking awesome job in Vice. but um, And it was an entertaining movie. But I don't know. Uh, Savages, uh, Oliver Stone. I've talked about that on the, on the show. Um, could have been so much better. Um, the what's-her-name in this was the one that really got on my fucking nerves, even though she's hot. Uh, Blake Lively, I just find her to be, um, she plays a dumb fucking vapid moron in this. And, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe she is like, I imagine, (laughs) I don't know. I probably being judgmental, prejudging, but, uh, um, the best part of this movie was Benicio del Toro, um, Taylor Kish and Aaron Taylor Johnson. I don't know. This, this could have been so much more badass and so much better, uh, Travolta, you know, it, it just wasn't very good. Let's see, get on. I'm just curious. Gets a 6.5 on IMDb. Aaron Taylor Johnson, um, I was just remembering, he was the guy, I was trying to remember him when I was telling a friend of mine about, because uh, the new Godzilla movie came out, and I said, you know, it's, this is the sequel to the one that was just out a few years ago, and he goes, what are you talking about? And I said, I know we fucking watched it, and he couldn't remember it, and I was trying to tell him who starred in it, because the girl from uh, stranger things um is in the new one the main character in the new one uh, which i haven't seen yet because um, i did not get my ass up and go to the theater but aaron taylor johnson uh was in that godzilla movie and and i actually liked that one i didn't think it was bad we we saw it uh 
uh, some friends of the show, El Goro and I, and uh, we went to see that in up around, uh, well, like Cleveland, Strongville, Kent, Kent State and all that is where he is from. And we went for a visit, hung out. Um, so anyway, um, Savages, it was, I've watched it a couple times. I think I even bought it because it was one of those cheap uh, DVDs you could get in the summer or in, at Christmas. And, but it's not a very good movie. Um, let's see what else we got here from Ollie. Ollie, Ollie, in free. I did not watch Snowden. And he has, he did some interviews with Vladimir Putin, which I have not watched. Uh, White Lies. That's what he has new coming out. And what is this? It's got stars Benicio Del Toro. Written and directed by Oliver Stone. Let's, let's see what it says here. Maybe we'll give you a little uh, teaser for something that's coming up. Story tracing through three generations that portray portrays a child of divorce now repeating his parents' mistakes in his own marriage uh, with his troubled son. Feeling trapped, he embarks on a lust-filled journey to free himself but only becomes more lost when he meets a woman whose life is the opposite of his own, he begins a journey of rediscovery. Man, I don't know if that sounds good or not. That sounds like a fucking Lifetime movie or something. It says it has Benicio Del Toro in it. I mean, he's the star. I don't know. Uh, if he had a big mustache like he did in uh, Savages and uh, I remember that girl spit in his fucking face and he just took the, like, the big hawker off his fucking face and then fucking like licked it up. <laughs> that was so fucking gross. And I'm talking about uh, L.A. Beast eating uh, shit and vomiting and how I find that entertaining. But, uh, you know, uh, snot and like fucking um, big hawker spit that looks like snot is, <coughs> is fucking disgusting. As you can tell, I just gagged. Um Next thing I said, we went on an Oliver Stone thing there because I watched Platoon. And Platoon was just as enjoyable because I had, I, I think I watched it too many times. I got um, when it first came out uh, because I thought it was so fucking badass. But then, you know, it does have a really good anti-war message and everything. And I got that at the time. But I remember even saying, you know, uh, at one time when um, Behringer goes down into the, the uh, pothead bunker and they're all talking about killing uh, Sergeant Barnes, who is Behringer for uh, what he did to uh, Elias, and uh, you know Behringer's sitting over there drinking, I think either Jack Daniels or Jim Beam, and he's like, you know, uh, you want fucking talk about reality? I am reality, and then he just tells him he's like, you fucking wanna, you're friend, you and Elias, you're friends and everything, and you want to stomp ass? Well, here I am stomp my ass, or you know like uh do it you know he he told him fucking kill him he goes nobody's here there's five of you and one of me and if you want to do it fucking kill me and but my thing was and i remember it, i was much younger then when was platoon out was that uh i think i was in college 86 so i was i was only out of uh high school for a couple of years and i just remember telling my dad who was in the military and he was up in the army and everything and uh you know you did have that, and I'm not saying that I was pro, uh, you know, the military side or whatever. But what? But I did have that. Um, I could see the uh, not the Behringer point of doing some of the things he did, but um, that you can sit there and say, you know, this sucks, this is wrong, this is that, and this is whatever. 
but we're here. This is the way it is. As Robert De Niro said in uh, The Deer Hunter, this is this. This ain't something else. This is this. Um, For them to even survive, they had to watch each other's backs and know that they could depend on the other guy. And when he said, you know, when it's the, the, the exact same conversation that Behringer was having in platoon was the same conversation that Nick Nolte, the Pete Gent character in North Dallas 40 was have, or the, the coach said, you know, uh, when the Behringer said, when the team breaks down, we break down and I can't allow that because, uh, and then North Dallas 40, the coach was saying, you know, if we have a, a player that, you know, they said, you know, seeing through the game isn't the same as winning the game. If I have a player, you know, we have this this uh, playbook, and if I have a, a fucking player that wants to go off on his own, uh, a cog in the machine, I'll pull it. Because the th- in, in the war, in the platoon thing, it's survival. Of course, you know, talking about winning and everything, but... A lot of the guys, it was just survival. You know, you had to depend on the your buddy and your buddy. That's another uh, uh, Vietnam War movie was a uh, uh, quote that I was just thinking of was from Boys from Company C. You got to depend on your buddy and your buddy's buddy, you know. And uh, he made it all fucking, if one guy fell in the water, he made them all fucking jump down in the mud, you know. Uh, you look like shit. <laughs> <coughs> So I'm going to give you a chit detail to help you pull together, you know. Um, so even though Sergeant Barnes, like I said, he was the Ahab, and uh, and of course, like uh, uh, Sergeant Elias, by Will, played by Willem Dafoe, was kind of like the Christ-like character. Um, you could see both sides to the to the equation, not saying that. The, the things that happened, whether it was the Melee type massacre in the one scene uh, where Behringer, you know, goes off the rails or some of the things that he did, they weren't right. Uh, but and that's the sad part is these were just kids, uh, kids and even just even like the uh, older guys uh, that are thrust into this situation. They have become. Uh, these these things, uh, these uh, archetype characters in real life because of the situation they're in. And it's a survival mode, and it's, uh, you know, and like um, uh, Matt Dillon's brother. Uh, what the fuck's his? Kevin Dillon. He's like, you know, he was almost like a sociopath because if he, or a psychopath, if he would have been in the United States, hell, he might have still been like, raping girls and everything he goes man i ain't so bad over here you can do what the fuck you want and nobody fucks with you and uh the one guy's like man that bunny dude that motherfucker crazy you know so it brought out you saw the things that it brought out in people whereas barnes uh behringer's character he was a leader and he might have been that macho pit bull tough guy the john wayne like character 
But it brought that out in him. And when you're in a war situation, it's like whether it's like fucking Rambo or or whoever, you want that guy. You need that fucking pit bull. You, he's your pit bull. He's your Otto Scorzini. He's your, you know, uh, Audie Murphy or whoever or, uh, you know, uh, I don't know who else, you know, a striker in, uh, in uh, um, fucking Sands of Iwo Jima. Uh, and you need that moral compass and that Elias brought to the thing, you know, okay, listen, okay, we're doing this shit, but even Elias, there were things that happened and he knew it was wrong and he thought it was bad. And he was like, you know, uh, Barnes is fucking Barnes, but, uh, you know, this is fucking war. And he had seen like, uh, um, um, Chris, who was played by Charlie Sheen, was a new guy, and he hadn't seen shit. So he's sitting there saying, you know, oh, you know, oh my God, what the fuck, you know. And even Elias, who was, like I said, portrayed as almost like a Christ-like character or the the liberal side of the equation, where Barnes is the right wing or whatever. Um, he, even he still was a crack soldier. He was he was an excellent warrior. Uh, you know, maybe like the, maybe like the whore with the heart of gold or the warrior uh, philosopher, but he knew that Barnes had his place and that really that they needed him um, because he was, you know, their guy. It's like the guy on the football team. He might be the biggest piece of shit on the planet Earth and he might be a bully and everything else. But as long as he's going against the enemy, you know. So anyway, that's enough about Platoon. The, the one funny th- or not funny thing, but kind of a cool thing about watching Platoon also is seeing people in there that eventually went on to that had like kind of bit parts in the Platoon, but that went on to be uh, bigger stars. There was one guy that I recognized in the Platoon that um, uh was in um he was one of um uh Bodie's um little and his bank robbing gang in point break. Uh Johnny Depp is there. I'm trying to think who else. But of course Dale Dye, he was a Viet, former Vietnam vet who uh uh did a lot of um um Vietnam movies and was uh like a an advisor on these movies. Kind of like R. Lee Ermey. Uh you you'd see him in a lot of different a lot of different movies there. Uh, moving on, I watched uh, 1975. I see. I'm fucking. I didn't think I'd have enough to talk about. I'm already an hour in, and I think I've covered like one fucking movie. Uh, <laughs> I watched. Uh, so we better get rolling. Uh, I watched uh, 1975's uh, Zoo D Z or the Flying Guillotine or Guillotine. Uh, this was directed by Meng Hao Ho, uh, written by Quang Ni and uh, or Quang Nai. Uh, and uh, stars Quan Tai Chen, Feng Ku, and Hung Wei. Um, this is a pretty good movie. I think Loaf and I might have co- covered two of these, and I'm pretty sure we covered this one. Uh, so it was, it's on Netflix Instant. That's why I watched it. And um, again, uh, it's very entertaining. It just shows how, like, the uh, fucking um, the Shogun... Uh, you know, what a fucking just had complete control and everything. And uh, he has these guys just train and come up with the, the one guy is almost like a scientist and he comes up with this great fighting weapon. Uh, and then the Shogun, he tells the guy, he tells the Shogun, he goes, oh, yeah, well, you know, he goes, I can kill with this thing for like 100 yards or whatever. And he had only tried it for like, you know, 10 feet or something. So they had um, uh, a whole um, 
Oh, almost like a platoon or whatever, uh, get together and they just practiced and practiced and practiced using the flying guillotine. And the flying guillotine, the weapon is, it's comical, but it's, it's, um, I don't know. It's, you have to, you kind of suspend disbelief because it's like a, it's like almost like a, if they had a bucket or a basket, an armored basket with blades on it, <laughs> that you throw like a fucking frisbee, like Ron Moss. Uh, throwing the frisbee with the razor blades on it, but you throw the fucking thing. And it, okay, now for it to be effective at like fifty yards or a hundred yards or whatever, they would throw this son of a bitch. You would have to have a goddamn fucking chain that would be as long as a football fucking field. <laughs> but they throw this fucking thing, and it's like a big fat frisbee that's got like a basket that's got armor on it. And then it kind of when it hits, you you try and like throw it almost like when you're throwing horseshoes and you try and throw it around the post, you try and throw it so it'll land on top of these people's heads and then the basket opens up, goes down over their head, and then when you pull on the chain, it's got this like mechanism inside, almost like a a Ginzu fucking knife system that that just like will slice their fucking head off. And it's so fucking powerful that they have these big log uh, uh, training dummies and they'll throw it at that thing and when they pull that chain, it'll cut the fucking log in half so it's easily going to cut somebody's head off. And then when they pull it back, the head's still in there. So they have to take it like, and like you have like a trash basket with a fucking head in it and you take it and you have to shake it and the head falls out. So it's kind of cool and then, you know, like I said, the the, the Shogun guy's kind of an asshole and then you have one guy that... that um, kind of, I don't know if it saves it, not a traitor, but he kind of takes off on his own and they have to go get him. It's interesting. These, you know, the old, uh, the old uh, Kung Fu movies, you go back to Kung Fu theater and everything. And we used to watch those all the time. So they're fun to watch. Um, let's see here. The next thing I watched was 2012's Wrath of the Titans. Of course, this is a rewatch. And I have said before that I liked both. Uh, Sam Worthington was in both of these movies. And uh, he plays uh, Perseus and Liam Neeson as Zeus. Now, in this one, in the first one, you just had, uh, I think, just Liam Neeson as Zeus. And then that was the one where it was like, you know, in the commercial, release the Kraken. Well, in this one, you had Ray Fiennes as uh, Hades, Edgar Ramirez as Ares, and um, Danny Houston as Poseidon. So you have the whole God thing going on there and, and kind of a... a, a, a kind of a fight between the, the, the big gods. And then you have the demigod, which is Sam Worthington. Uh, Roseman Pike's in this. She plays Andromeda. She's really good. Uh, Toby Cabell is in this, and he was really good in this too. Uh, uh, Bill uh, Nye, uh is in this, and I like this movie. I thought it was I thought it was good. I liked um, Corona, Corona, this big lava fucking monster who I think was like a titan or whatever. Uh, both movies, you know, you build, uh, you have like Zeus and Poseidon. Edgar Ramirez is really good in this as Ares. Uh, he kicks the shit out of Sam Worthington and bashes his fucking head. I mean, he's, he does like the bionic elbow on his head. He smashes his head into fucking stone walls. He smashes his head down on stone tables. He just kicks the fucking shit out of Sam Worthington. So that's pretty cool. Um, but the, but both movies, you know, in the first one, you had the Kraken, uh, you have a, a giant kaiju kind of a thing going on. And uh, so it was kind of cool in the end of this one uh, with that monster, too. So I enjoyed this. And like I said, the standout in this one uh, for me was Edgar Ramirez. And I like him and uh, just about everything I've seen him in. And I do recommend, again, to everybody, watch the um, Carlos movie about Carlos the Jackal 
Watch the miniseries uh, length version, which is about six hours long, but it's excellent. Uh, uh, now, I think Rolf had been watching uh, some of the Planet of the Apes movies, so I added this on here, Battle for the Planet of the Apes, he was talking about. Now, this is one, of course, the Planet of the Apes movies, I loved the first two. I loved the, the Charlton Heston, the first Planet of the Apes movie with Taylor. And then I also liked the second one that James Franciscus was the the main, you know, uh, I was going to say fucking uh, uh, Guy Jean, but I guess that doesn't apply. Um, well, the uh, the main human. And then Charlton Heston has a, the cameo and everything. Um, but then after that, they kind of fell off. Uh, they started falling off, just like most, you know, um, movies where they have too many sequels they start getting worse now i did like the concept of um the third one because of after what happened in beneath the planet of the apes it was kind of cool how it picks up after that but it does a a really funky sci-fi kind of a thing and uh, i also like that eric braden was uh one of the main uh, actors in that one and of course roddy mcdowell um, but you know, Eric Braden, again, one of the main humans or whatever, uh, battle for the planet of the apes. I have not seen that one in a long, long time. Uh, Claude Aikens. I believe this is the one where, um, this is when the hue, you kind of have almost like a Mad Max, uh, dystopian kind of group of humans that, uh, are at war with, uh, the apes. And it just wasn't, like I said, they, they started falling off and they just, they weren't as good. Um, but I, I do, because Rolf watched this one and because I haven't seen it in so long, I know going into it, because even when I was uh, a kid, I was a huge Planet of the Apes fan. I think I've said that on the show before. Before Star Wars hit, uh, Planet of the Apes was the thing. We had Planet of the Apes figures. We had Planet of the Apes toys, Planet of the Apes lunchboxes. We used to play Planet of the Apes. They had a Planet of the Apes TV show, uh, and it was the shit. And I really, of course, now the new, the the last Rogue One and the last uh, couple of Star Wars movies I liked. The the the, the Lucas uh, uh, prequels uh, with Liam Neeson, Ewan McGregor, I really did not like at all. And, um, of course, I didn't like the um, fucking Ewok movie, The Return of the Jedi. Uh, the first two I liked, but going back, I don't know. If I compared Planet of the Apes and Beneath the Planet of the Apes to Star Wars and... Um, um, God damn, what's the second fucking Star Wars movie called? <laughs> Star Wars 2. <laughs> That wasn't Return of the Jedi. That was uh, Empire Strikes Back. Okay, goddamn it, finally came to me. Um, I, 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 honest to God, if if I just off the top of my head, without watching, and now I've watched um, Planet of the Apes and Beneath the Planet of the Apes here in the last probably year. I think I watched it last year or something like that, and I still think they're great. Um, the Star Wars movies, I know I have seen Empire Strikes Back within the last maybe couple of years, but honest to God, if I had to say right now, what would you rather watch, uh, Planet of the Apes and Beneath the Planet of the Apes or the first two Star Wars movies, I would pick Planet of the Apes. And, uh, again, you have to look at the times and what they had to work with and the, and, uh, um, 
with the, the, I mean, at that time, I remember when I was a kid, that ape makeup in the first fucking movie was shocking. And people were like, holy shit. They'd never seen anything like that before. And it was so well done for the time. So anyway, Battle for the Planet of the Apes, again, I might watch it, uh, but I just remember it not being that well done uh, and, and being that good. I mean, the story – now, the, the and, and the new Planet of the Apes movies, the, the two newest ones that have come out, I've really liked. I did not like the Tim Burton one at all, and it's not just because Mark fucking Wahlberg was in it. I, I don't even – I don't even remember them that well. The, the two newest ones that have come out since then – are far superior to that. You know, the one James, James Franco is really good. Nice setup and everything to the story. And then um, the, uh, was it Gary Oldman in the in the next one after that? After uh, Caesar goes and they set up their little base and everything. Um, and I, I would like to see more because I think they're doing a good job. I caught some of The Conjuring on uh, from 2013 on TV. Uh, I have watched this before, and I and I kind of liked it. Uh, again, as you guys know, I'm not a big horror fan, um, but there are certain types of horror movies that I do like. Um, the one thing that I like about this movie is that these um, these people that are played by Patrick uh, Wilson and Vera Farmiga are based on real people, and I kind of like that that kind of a side of it. Uh, and that uh, they are sort of like uh, paranormal or, you know, not exorcists because exorcists would be, they would be like Catholic uh, priests or whatever. But I like the fact that, that, that uh, they are based on real people and going and reading about those people and that, you know, they had dealt with the Amityville horror and all this stuff. Um, again, the one thing about this movie, and I think I had, the, the one that I had seen before this and I think Patrick Wilson was in that too. Was Insidious? The f- that was because I know when I started watching this that I was like, oh, I've seen this one with Patrick Wilson and everything. But I think that was the other one. Isn't Insidious the one where they uh, tiptoe through the tulips? You know, was that the was that the um, okay? Not Anna, because but what I was going to say is you uh, you have all these spinoffs. And that one about the that fucking nun uh, fucking movie that was coming out or that did had you know it already came out. Uh, I went to see a movie in the theater uh, here recently, and that goddamn motherfucker made me the trailer for that son of a bitch um, made me jump, and I was fucking pissed because it fucking made me jump so bad. Luckily, there was only like three people in the theater, and I even said out loud, "I said motherfucker," uh, or something like that. I was like, "God fucking damn it." Um, No wait, God damn it! I hate IMDb. Let's see here. I mean, I just hate when you bring it up and and as you're typing, it brings up the movie you want. You see it come up, and then when you go to click on it, as you type the rest of the shit in, uh, it fucking goes to something else. Okay, now wait. I thought Patrick Wilson. No, that's the wrong one. That's a different Insidious. The or the I am assuming that these movies are based on Japanese movies like The Ring. Maybe that ain't it either. What's this? Times are tough for a talented 21 year old filmmaker, Donnie Rocconi. He grew up in New York city, a place where either you learn fast or lose everything estranged from his mother. 
the fuck is this? <laughs> this is something different. Anyway, uh, I don't know. Donnie Marconi. Um, let's see. Well, let's just continue on with it. And never knowing his dead father, Donnie sets out to collect on debts owed and is dragged deep into a seductive ambush that turns his world upside down. Donnie reaches out for help from a connected Mulberry Street cafe owner, Ejeto, who has more problems uh, than just the Russian mob. Insidious is a compelling and riveting story of desperation betrayal as Donnie faces a fight for truth, love, and life itself. Insidious has a strong ensemble of New York City acting talent, and their multiple adult storylines are centered in... Their emotional and financial relationships. I'm going to make a movie called Not Insidious. And it's just going to be this fucking movie. <laughs> Who's in this motherfucker? Aust- Augustus Diorio. Uh, Lou Martini Jr. Martin, uh, yeah, Martini Jr. and James Schramm. That's 2008. By, and it was written and directed by uh, Jerry Schramm. So they must be like the uh, fucking uh, uh, Mike Danton and his brother. Anyway, fuck Insidious. I don't give a shit. If it takes this long, if there's that many goddamn movies named Insidious, I don't fucking even give a shit. But I know with, like, The Conjuring, there's a whole bunch of fucking movies that have spun off. The Nun movies, Annabelle, Insidious 2. You kind of have that style, you know, that weird-ass fucking style. I like ghost stuff and things like that. Uh, Now, I did not watch this movie, but I discovered a movie called Monaco, Monaco Forever from 1984. And the synopsis is an American jewel thief in in, uh, Monaco encounters various characters while trying to set up a robbery. And this was directed by William A. Levy and written by William uh, A. Levy and C. William Pitt. Now, Charles Pitt is the star and Nancy Brock and Daniel Romer. But the reason that this movie is interesting is there's an actor in here that plays gay karate man. And Gay Karate Man is played by Jean-Claude Van Damme. And I think that this might be Jean-Claude Van Damme's first movie. Because I I know that um, they always said that Jean-Claude Van Damme's first movie was the one where he played the Russian karate guy. Which was... He was in Missing in Action. It says he his, he was an uncredited soldier in Missing in Action with Chuck Norris. Uh, no no retreat, no surrender. Maybe that's the first movie where he had like a really big part because he was the main heel in that. Ivan uh, Krasinski, the Russian. And he did the splits and everything. I remember the first time we saw that when it first came out. Uh, but that was 1986. In 1984, Jean-Claude Van Damme, two years before was uh, in Monaco forever, and he played Gay Karate Man. And I saw a clip from that, which was the scene he's in, and I it's almost like um, uh, Tulane Blacktop when um, Warren Oates picks up Harry Dean Stanton. Um, I guess Gay Karate Man p- picks up a hitchhiking guy who is the main who's the lead character and as they're driving down the road he keeps putting his hand on his leg and telling him what a nice build he has and everything and Jean-Claude Van Damme is gay karate man now I don't know I I I doubt if in the movie the guy is actually called gay karate man or that's his name but I think that would be fucking hilarious if in the fucking movie the guy was like uh, hey this is my friend gay karate man uh, and also Jean-Claude Van Damme in 84 was a spectator in the first dance sequence in Breaking. Uh, 
or breaking, not breaking, breaking. And then I guess, of course, breaking two was electric boogaloo, boogaloo. But okay, now the first Jean Claude Van Damme movie was 1979. Women in a Twilight Garden. He plays a moviegoer and man in a garden. So you had he was just kind of uncredited in the first three things, which were. Missing in Action, Breakin', and Women in Twilight Garden. But Gay Karate Man was Monaco Forever. So he had a scene and he had lines. Okay, so I haven't watched that yet. I'm, I, You know, goddamn, here these days, if you find something that's kind of uh, obscure or that you remember from the old days that you haven't seen in forever, and uh, you look on YouTube and usually, shit, though, you'll find the motherfucker on there one time or another. Uh, watch stuff. This isn't something I watched. I just watched the clip. I wanted to rewatch the clip of uh, Van Damme fighting uh, Stallone in Expendables 2. Still enjoyable, still fun. Um, I know uh, we were talking about Rambo on the group, and uh, Rolf said that um, his least favorite um, uh, Rambo movie was Rambo or uh, Ram- Rambo First Blood Part 2. Uh, and I was going to say in that movie, Stallone, it's almost like he portrays Rambo. The look, His look is almost like Tarzan to me. It's like um, he has that sculpted build, uh, the way his, he has the long hair and it's hanging down, especially when he's in the jungle, shirtless, long hair is hanging down, it's wet, and he's got the bandana around his head. And he comes up out of the mud or whatever in the loincloth. He's got the bow and arrow. It always reminds me of Tarzan. And uh, I know that he said, I watched an interview with him the other day, but he has always said that growing up, like Superman, Tarzan, and um, uh, Hercules, Steve Reeves playing Hercules, uh, were his um, main, like, he was big fans of when he was a little kid. And in this one, the Hercules influence, the Steve Reeves Hercules influence, one movie that I love, I love old Steve Reeves Hercules movies when I was a little kid too because Steve Reeves looked so good he was a bodybuilder and this was really I don't know if I should say before steroids because they had steroids as far back as like I mean even in the 60s uh the um you know the in the in the NFL and in the bodybuilding circles there were guys that were taking like decadrobalin and um uh, uh, but they they didn't inject it. They had a pill, and it was known throughout weightlifting, powerlifting, and bodybuilding circles. They had this this pill, and they said, "Oh my God, you take this, and you'll get so big and everything." And so you go back, and I mean, there there were guys that you know uh, in, in bodybuilding, powerlifting, weightlifting circles uh, that you know knew of these wonder drugs that were just coming on. But the Steve Reeves thing, what I was going to say was I really did like, and one of the movies was uh, Hercules Unchained. I thought that was so cool because when I was in, like, grade school, you know, you didn't have all the CGI. And, and like, you know, of course, Robert Mitchum, Lee Marvin, John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, whoever, Charles Bronson, um, they were badass motherfuckers, but they weren't like, you know, uh, and you didn't have guys like Dave Batista and John Cena and fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger and guys that had the bodybuilding physiques as as readily uh like you know you saw dave draper was in he was a famous bodybuilder and he was in some of the beach movies uh there was one i can't remember what it's called but it was, it was actually he had a scene with sharon tate and um i'm trying to think of other people like william smith was into bodybuilding and uh, of course clint walker was into bodybuilding back then and clint eastwood to, to a certain extent 
there were guys, Michael Landon, he was really fit and really into lifting weights and things before it's time. But Steve Reeves had the, what was known as the, you know, the perfect physique. He was the perfect man back then because his, he had the small waist, the V shape. And he wasn't like these days with these bodybuilders, what they call mass monsters. But the one thing about Hercules Unchained, one thing uh, I know in like wrestling matches, they would have the, um, the Russian chain match. It would either be, you know, uh, Professor Boris Malenko or AKA the great Malenko or Ivan Koloff against Bruno San Martino in a fucking chain match or, uh, the great Malenko against dusty Rhodes, and they'd have the Russian chain and, uh, Ivan Koloff and everything. Uh, so I know Stallone said, you know, one of his, uh, inspirations was Steve Reeves. And again, uh, even in the Rambo movie, he, uh, Rambo two or uh, Rambo first blood two, he said, you know, Tarzan, he wanted to have that look. And uh, in this one, when he's fighting Valane, uh, at the end, Valane has the big knife that he took, you know, the expendables knife, and he killed uh, the ex- very expendable uh, Liam Hemsworth uh, with it, which drove Barney's fucking need for vengeance. And uh, Van Damme even has the fucking knife, you know, and he's like, what was his name? You know, or uh, do you want to kill me like a man? Or do you want to kill me like a goat? You know, and all that shit. <laughs> which Van Damme was fucking so awesome in that scene. Even though that movie was flawed, it's just like the third one with Mel Gibson. That was definitely fucking flawed. But there was something that could have been, if they would have made hard R-rated movies of this one and with Scott Adkins and Van Damme as the villains and the uh, one with Mel Gibson, uh, Mel Gibson would have was a fucking great villain and him against Stallone and everything. Uh, it could have been so much better and they just fucking blew it as compared to the first. I've talked about this before, but, um, the, uh, influence of Steve Reeves and Hercules unchained comes into play in this one where they have the final fight, uh, between Van Damme and, uh, and Stallone and Stallone gets the chain. It's like a big log chain or for a winch or whatever. And he, and he fucking, wraps it around his arm and it goes across his shoulders and wraps it around his other arm and they're hanging down. He's like, come on, Valane, come on. And it was so cool when, uh, that fucking fight scene in the fucking theater, when they go to square off to have the, the fight. And of course, Barney, you know, Stallone's playing on his, uh, Rocky, um, shit and and is doing like these boxing hooks to the body you know punches and fucking van damme jumps up and does that fucking uh you know jumping spin kick i mean i fucking popped like a bastard in the movie theater it's like when we went to see the fucking new godzilla movie and throughout the whole movie you didn't see the atomic breath it was the same thing we were in the fucking theater and same thing with this movie when van damme jumped up and threw that kick his iconic kick I mean, I was like, fuck yeah. And the same thing with that Godzilla, that fucking last, not the last Godzilla movie, but the one before that, um, where um, Godzilla finally does the atomic breath. I literally fucking went, fuck yeah. In the movie theater, I was like, god damn, you know. I waited for that the whole fucking movie. So I just thought, you know, that's that's a clip that I just like to watch. And, I, and it was, Van Damme made the fucking clip. He was great. Stallone's mustache was too black. <laughs> I watched, oh no, I did not watch this. Rolf has been talking about the um, Ed Brubaker create and Nicholas uh, Winding Refn um, created 
mini series or whatever you want to call it, uh, Too Old to Die Young. Now, I want to watch this because I love Nicholas Winding Refn. I, again, have said before I'm not a big Miles Teller fan, but because I like Refn so much, and, and Brubaker usually is pretty good, uh, if not has some great stuff. Um, but again... This is on Amazon Prime. I don't have Amazon Prime. I don't have fucking Hulu. I don't have the Criterion channel. Uh, I just don't want to get into um, having Netflix, having this, having that, having having to have like five or six different fucking channels that I'm paying for. You know, so I'll just wait and then maybe, you know, if it comes out on iTunes or something where I can just purchase it. Um, again, I, I just, you know... And and then Rolf was saying, you know, you need to watch this. You need to watch this. You could talk. You could do a whole show just on this. And then as he's watching it, all I it, it I start seeing his review just fading, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. So it reminds me of the last True Detective se- uh, um, season, which I still have not finished. Uh, I fucking watched. I I think I have like maybe two or three episodes of that left, and I I fucking quit and i just don't give a shit it 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 it, uh took too long it was boring and it was like a slog to get through it i own it so maybe one of these days i'll sit down and finally finish it but from what rolf is telling me about this one i'm not sure i fucking want to watch it um if i can get it one of these days and watch it um you know i'll 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 give it a start and see what it's like uh but like i said he's He's writing the reviews and everything, and it seems like it's uh, not too good. <laughs> kind of boring. Um, so, um, I don't know who, who was watching this. I just wrote some stuff down uh, from the group. Uh, Night of the Living Dead. And, of course, this is a go-to movie for a legendary horror movie. And, it, and, and of course, around Halloween when everybody watches it. I love this movie. I love uh, just the creativity of it. George Romero. Uh, and, um, I live fairly close to, uh, where this one and the second one was shot at the, you know, of course the Monroeville mall and up around Pittsburgh, uh, and go and well, I mean, I don't go up there hardly at all anymore cause I don't go anywhere, but back when I was a lot younger and I would get in the car and go, you know, on two hour trips or an hour and a half or an hour or whatever. And I, I would just be bored and just want to go drive and listen to the radio. And I take my dogs with me and go. There was a uh, bookstore up around Pittsburgh that I, a discount bookstore, uh, like, um, where they would have all the, uh, copies that they didn't sell, you know, um, not, they weren't, they weren't used. I mean, they were brand new books, but they would be marked down. It'd be a $30 fucking book. And it'd be like a couple of bucks because it was just, you know, when the, 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 they do an o- overprint, they said even they thought when computers came around that uh, as far as, uh, you know, putting books out, that it would be so much easier to gauge how many to send the stores. But even with um, even with uh, computers, you know, they, they still have overstock and everything. But but nowadays, you know, with Kindle and everything, and I'm getting the same way. I'm, I'm literally now finally getting used to reading stuff on my iPad and on Kindle. Um, that, uh, you know, my God, I've got all these books sitting around here and I'm like, fuck now with, with Kindle, it's just like movies, you know, what's the point of buying these fucking things and having to have these huge collections that are taking up so much space and dust and everything. But anyway, night of the living dead. I love, uh, um, uh, the acting. I mean, you know, it's not like the greatest acting in the world, but I just, I just love it. Uh, 
And I even uh, really like, and, and this one thing I wanted to say was um, the, um, the, the course night of the living dead was 1968 and it's shot in black and white. Uh, I actually saw the remake, the color colorized version or not colorized. It was in color, but you know, totally different movie or same movie remake in color. And I can't remember what year that came out, but I saw that one first and I really liked that one. I thought it was really good too. So anyway, again, you guys, you know, talk about some of these movies, whether it's on Sylvan Gold Group or on even on Gentleman's Guide or on Paleo Cinema, Martian Drive-In Podcast, Married with Clickers, you know, Talk Without Rhythm. All of them, when you, when you guys uh, review these movies or even just put up a picture and say, hey, I checked this out or you ought to check this out or whatever. I mean, I have a long list of stuff I want to watch now just because, you know, you guys recommend them or they're even movies that I've seen. And I, I haven't thought about, and then like night of the living dead. Now I'm like, fuck man, I kind of want to watch that, you know? So it's kind of cool. That's what the group's all about. Uh, I can't, I couldn't remember if I had talked about this, um, already or not. I watched, I am mother from 2019 It's a Netflix original. Um, and this stars, um, Luke Hawker, Rose Byrne and, um, what's her face? <laughs> What's it? Hillary Swank is in this. Um, it's a sci-fi movie, and I thought it was pretty good. Um, a young girl is raised by um, like a robot mother who is programmed to do everything that a mother will will and should do. Uh, you know, uh, make sure she gets her nourishment. She, you know, of course the robot doesn't have a teat, but it has like, you know, a, a certain formula and feeds the baby and brings her up and makes her go to class and makes her, you know, mind her manners and, and, uh, you know, tries to teach her discipline and, uh, checks her grades and makes her study and, but also like sings to the baby and holds it. And, you know, the, the robot's, uh, chest will warm up to, uh, what the the, uh, the same degree is like a of the mother's body if the she's holding the baby against it sings uh fucking um, uh, lullabies and things like that and and then you know it, it um, well I don't want to give anything away but there's a reason why this is happening and a reason uh, uh, you could actually see this happening uh with ai and things like that but then it goes it takes another turn and it goes in a different direction which i thought was really interesting so i recommend it i thought it was pretty good um i watched uh rolling uh rolling thunder review a bob dylan story by martin scorsese uh this is also on netflix netflix original i'm going to take a break for a second so uh hold on Hey, this is Scott of Married with Clickers. Tune in to hear my wife Kat and me discuss all sorts of movies. We'll cover everything from The Lost Weekend to Weekend at Bernie's. From The Big Sleep to Big Mama's House. Well, maybe not Big Mama's House. And the great thing about Kat is that she's not afraid to speak her mind. And would you be surprised to hear he was nominated for Best Actor that year? For that film? For that film. <laughs> but don't take my word for it. Just listen to what the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema has to say about our show. Oh, it's a husband and wife show, and they discuss movies and stuff. Yeah, a very wife-husband show. High praise indeed. So come find us at marriedwithclickers.libson.com. It will save your life. 
or maybe just help you kill an hour. Okay, this is Doc Zom, and I am back uh, after taking a little bit of a break. Um, we're going to divide this um, show up into two parts because I thought it was only just going to be for, for a few minutes, but then I ended up... <clears throat> going on a little bit of a trip, a little bit of a road trip, just to visit my parents. And uh, uh, 4th of July rolled around, and I had to work, so I thought uh, it would probably be a good idea to, you know, fire up the red pepper and <laughs> and head out to visit the folks. So we got to hang out, and everything was pretty good. Um, no, no issues. It was funny because just uh, it's like foreshadowing kind of a thing. Um, it's a rural highway, uh, about a hundred miles from my house to my mom and dad's. And, um, um, I saw, I, I see this, um, going back on the one side of the road, I see this big building all the time. And, um, I haven't been visiting that much, but it's a, it's a big ACE hardware, uh, store. It's like a big, uh, almost looks like a warehouse or something. Cause they probably sell lumber and everything else there. I don't know. And it sits up on this hill, so you can plainly see it. And then I saw today, as uh, I had just went by there, like maybe uh, a day or two before, and some guy shot somebody there. And I was like, ooh. Because as I was driving by, I've never stopped there. Because, you know, I don't need to go to a hardware store like um, 75 miles from my house. But I, I always, you know, when you're driving and you're, you're – mind kind of wanders and i always think oh, i wonder what's up there you know i wonder what's in that store this and that and i just thought that was weird because you know it, i don't know these days jesus christ it seems like every time somebody gets into a, a little bit of a shouting match or something like that uh uh or just gets mad at somebody about something the first thing they do is pull a gun out and then it was just um oh i think sunday night or maybe saturday night um, in a little local town, well, it's one of the bigger towns around here, probably about nine miles away. Uh, they had this whole neighborhood blocked off the cops and everything because some guy, you know, his wife or girlfriend had a, um, restraining order against him. He went to, you know, after a bunch of screaming enough to where the, 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 uh, cops were called. She got out of the house and took off. And I, I think he ended up, he shot himself, which, um, God, one of the things on day shift, uh, where I work, uh, this was a few, few years back, there was a guy working there and I just would see him come in and then, you know, we would leave like five, 10 minutes after they, they got there. And I would see this guy come in all the time. And apparently after the fact, you started hearing all the stuff that he had been like, uh, he would like leer at some of the girls that worked there or say, inappropriate things to him and this and that well apparently he was married to someone a, a woman that worked there and um i just remember seeing her uh from time to time when i first started but uh then he ended up going they they split up uh obviously f for quite a while and she was going to get remarried and uh, he went to her house and went in there and, you know, ended up, um, they said, like, next door neighbors were boys that uh, heard her screaming and stuff. And they were 
yelling at the guy and telling him to come out of the house and, you know, leave her alone. They were going to kick his ass or whatever. I don't know. But then he ended up killing her, and then he shot himself in the head that didn't kill him. So he got life in prison. So, like I said, I mean, Jesus Christ these days, it just seems like, you know, it's, it is like almost like Zardoz coming to life. You see all this hatred and, you know, and, and it is, uh, a lot of it is, um, manufactured hatred, uh, you know, and that's one thing about social media and the internet, you know, a lot of people thought, oh, it's going to be a great thing. And, and uh, bring people together and everything. But then you have, when you have people that are professional, um, um, professional provocateurs or intelligence agencies and things like that, or, or even just, you know, hate groups, uh, they just, they, they just like worm their way in. And, and uh, that's a lot of the stuff that I've, I've been seeing um, where it's like the Southern strategy kind of thing where instead of saying, you know, racist, uh, words like the N word or whatever, or other words like that, you know, uh, to describe a minority group, they don't do that anymore. They use subtle dog whistle things. And then, um, I've seen, you know, some, uh, like left leaning, um, commentators online well not just online but on tv too and right wing where they will um it's almost like when somebody's trying to spread a lie or to get things started or to recruit people they'll say maybe they say 20 things that are truthful or based on truth but then they start worming in the subversive kind of shit uh, and um, playing on people's fear, playing on people's ignorance or their own um, uh, prejudice or whatever. Um, and it's just, it's really sad and it's really sickening. Um, I saw a thing the other day where one of the uh, co founders of Apple. Uh, was saying he recommended that everybody get off Facebook. <laughs> and I was actually thinking about that the other day, that um, a lot of the news things that I read, and I'll get on there and, and put a little gif or a comment if I think somebody's being a troll or an asshole. But, you know, it's the same thing as people on YouTube. And I think YouTube was taken less seriously because if you look at the comment sections on a lot of those, they're so... They are so uh, nasty and so vile that nobody really, you know, takes them seriously. It's just a shit, a shit storm and a shit fest. And, um, you know, you really have to take into account that um, when you're on Twitter or you're on Facebook that you're almost dealing with the exact same thing. You know, when when, you know, they used to post things that said, you know, please don't feed the trolls because they're not here to make a point. They're just here to stir up shit or to cause trouble, or to, um, you know, make the snowflakes mad, or whatever like that. Uh, I know, you know, I've fallen into the same thing, and I know some of my friends and other people that I know, whether it's right or left, uh, do the same thing, where you feel like, well, you have to speak up, you know, you have to, if they're saying this, you have to say something back, or, you know, you're just letting them just spread their shit, but, you know, a lot of the times, you're, you might not even be talking to a fucking real 
person. You might be talking to some fucker on a rush in a troll farm in an, a foreign country, whether it's China, North Korea, uh, you know, who, whoever, you know, Russia, wherever. Uh, and then you have a lot of people that just get on there for their kicks just to piss people off. They don't have any beliefs themselves. And that's another thing I was saying the other day, you know, where um, I've seen where some of these um, talking heads uh, would go to these conventions and things, and they would run into people like uh, the commentators from, like, Fox News, and the guy, they would want to kind of debate them or whatever personally uh, away from the cameras, and, and the guy would be like, hey, man, cameras are off. And they're like, what are you talking about? Cameras are off. And basically saying, I'm just playing a part. I'm just paid to be the heel uh, commentator, or it's almost like you know wrestling or whatever. Or, or uh, I'm paid to just say these things. Not, it's not necessarily what I believe, but I'm making big money to be a piece of shit. <laughs> and you know, so anyway, it's maddening because, like I said, you want you you don't want them to have the the largest megaphone, but then you're also arguing with uh, just. If if it's like if you were arguing with a commentator who doesn't even believe what he's saying, um, so with that point being made, I do think that um, like Facebook and Twitter and things like that have gotten to the point where they are so large that they do need to be regulated to an extent. And there's people that are scared of that because they said, you know, you're going to take away. Uh, you're only going to have corporate voices. You're, you're going to take away um, a lot of the independent voices. But the one thing about that is is um, I think some of the people that are the most vocal about that. Now, I, I understand what they're saying about the algorithms. Like, say you put up a video on YouTube that says, um, you know, something about ISIS or um, uh so, uh, the title of the thing is, um, um, let me think, right-wing hate group sp uh, spreads uh, lies and disinformation. Well, the algorithm isn't a person, and all it sees is white-wing white -wing hate group or Nazi or whatever, and so then it puts a strike against you. And that's another thing, um, or it demonetizes your thing. And that's what I was going to say is a lot of the people are pissed because – it's not that they're not going to be able to put up whatever they want to put up. It's that they're going to get demonetized, and then they're not going to be able to make any money um, off of what they're saying. And, you know, so then it, it just comes to, to, in some ways, that comes down to, okay, you know, do you care more about what you're saying? Because, I mean, like me doing this podcast right now, I mean, I don't... Me and Loaf, we have never asked anybody for any money or anything like that. And I understand, you know, if, if we could maybe, you know, uh, do a Patreon or something like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm talking on a bigger level. Um, if it if you if your beliefs are what's important to you in fighting against, uh, you know, lies or conspiracy or or uh, bullshit or hate hatred or, you know, things like that then, you know, doing it for free, who cares, you know, if you're getting monetized or not. Uh, now, I know some of the bigger, um, like, video podcasts uh, and, and, and vlogs and stuff like that, uh, they might have 
I mean, but still the equipment. That's like when you hear people say, well, we need new equipment or whatever. Give me a fucking break. I mean, the God, this, you know, microphone uh, doesn't cost that much. And, uh, and just having a laptop or a computer or an iPad or something, anybody can do it. Now, as far as video goes, if you have a set, even having a set, most of the stuff they do, they, you know, if you do it with a green screen or whatever, it's nothing. To, it's not like you're building Merv Griffin or Phil Donahue's fucking set and having, you know, a four camera shoot for different angles and, and, uh, and, and things like that. So anyway, I'm getting off on a tangent there with, with that kind of stuff. But, um, like I said, it, it, some of the shit that Facebook has been doing, um, I can't remember if I mentioned it in the previous episode, but like I got I got put in Facebook jail for three days because and they sent me a thing that said uh, I had uh, posted a picture that had been reported and went against Facebook. Um, the values or the law, whatever they have down there, their their, um, you know, uh, user well, you know, the, the, the rules that you agree to to be a user and, and actively use it. And they, you said, like, you know, you're going to be kicked off Facebook for three days and, you know, you don't want to do this anymore. Well, they showed the picture and it was a picture of Natalie Portman from the movie Closer or not Closer, Closer um, with Clive Owen, Julie Roberts and the guy from Captain Marvel. <laughs> but any Jude Law. But anyway, um, it said that the picture contained nudity. Sex, uh, a sexual act. They can't contain nudity, sexual acts, or um, I'm trying to think what the other. And, and it said something about nudity, including the female nipple, um, and I can't remember what else. But the picture didn't have anything that they said in it. It was Natalie Portman when she was talking to Clive Owen, and had like the um, the the bra thing on that had the fringe hanging down, so you couldn't even really see her stomach. You couldn't see her boobs at all, and she had a little thong thing on, but you you couldn't see anything there either. So anyway, I uh, you have a right. It has a thing that says you know you can protest it or whatever, and so and, and have them review it. And so I did that. Well, they came back and they said that, you know, they, that they said, oh, well, unfortunately, from time to time, we even we get things wrong. We apologize. Your your photo doesn't have any of those things in it. Well, by the time that and I don't know if an actual human being actually looks at it after the algorithm catches it or if somebody reports it or what, like somebody reports it and then maybe automatically it sends the thing out. And but by the time that somebody looked at it and they sent me the thing that said that they apologized and that they got it wrong, it was three days anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, and um, I've seen people um, there's a, a comedian and I cannot remember what his name is, but um, a lot of people were saying this guy's a real asshole. Um, he like one of the things like he would put on his webpage that he was like 32 years old and he's really like 50 something. And that's just like a small thing. I don't know if it's an ego thing or whatever, but when people pointed that out, I mean, he would get pissed and he would actively start like, um, like cyber stalking them and anything they would put up, he would put a strike against it. Like, uh, uh, and if they mention even mentioned his name, he would put a strike against their, their video. And I think on like YouTube, on your channel, if you get three strikes, I mean, they, they, they delete your channel or something. Um, so there's that, there's that kind of thing where people can, um, just 
if they get pissed, like I said, like the the Natalie Portman thing. Okay, like say I'm on. Um, I'm trying to think who. Natalie Portman. You know, people have these pages for these hot chicks. So you have like Natalie Portman. Um, I think one is Jessica Simpson. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of other hot like women just you know hot women in movies or in pop culture or whatever and people will post just post pictures or whatever so you have some of these weirdos on there and i saw this one burlesque dancer that i follow on facebook and she said you know uh, i think her husband actually posted something yesterday that said you know that they aren't posting as much stuff to facebook anymore number one because they they get these things that say oh you know if you're showing nudity or whatever and they know that so they never do but you know if she has she might have a thong on or like have the uh, pasties on or whatever but you can't see her boobs you can't see her nipples she has a, a maybe a thong or lingerie or something but you can't see it it does not go against and there's no sexual thing but they they'll um um you know, put strikes against her or say, you know, we're kicking you off for three days or, but there's these weirdos on there that say somebody starts a group and they say it is the, um, I'm trying to think, um, Olivia Munn, uh, fan group. And I post a picture that I find of Olivia Munn from X-Men. There's these people, these, these people on there from like India or not even just there, but I mean, from, you know, you know, maybe America or wherever too, but they'll say they'll they'll put a thing on there and say you know um, how are you my love or whatever and it's like well you know dude this is just a, a guy posting a picture it's not her and um, I've seen that before on um, on a lot of those groups where some of these people are a little bit they're either stupid or they're just a little bit fucked up or I don't know what their deal is but they'll they the, uh, I saw a thing tonight and. Um, I'm trying to think who it was, but the 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 guy this guy posted this thing and it said something like you know uh, hold up a piece of paper with with uh, the date and put hi George on it. Well, it's just a group that some somebody started, uh, you know, and the picture was posted by say you know maybe a, a dude named uh, Bill Smith, and this guy thinks that it's like actually. Anne Hathaway or whoever, you know. So you get some weird stuff like that. But um, the thing is, like, even on whether it's Silva and Gold or or whoever, you know, it, or Gentleman's Guide or whatever, the, you know, there's people that can uh, – I think what the point I was going to make there is, like, say somebody posted a picture of Natalie Portman or the one, you know, the one that I posted Natalie Portman from Closer. Um, some of these fuckers are so weird – that um, I know somebody posted a picture of her that she had actually done because I'd seen it in like a magazine like um, back when they had FHM or Maxim or I can't remember what. But I had actually seen the picture and these guys think that they're in love with this person or that that person's their girlfriend or something. And they're like, how dare you post such a vile picture? You know, you're going to hell. I had a guy and I cannot remember what group it was. But say it was like Anne Hathaway or something, and I posted a picture of her as Catwoman. And this guy from India sent me a thing, and he said, how dare you? I'll fucking kill you for posting a picture of my, of my, my wife 
or something like that. And, you know, I just block him. I was like, okay, that's a fucking weirdo, you know. But that that's the kind of shit you can get, like, a thing and get, you know, they might come back and say, hey, you know, you didn't, there was nothing wrong with your picture. Sorry we made a mistake. But it's just because, and I think we found this, too, with, like, um, Gentleman's Guide. Uh, there for a while, um, you could make your group, a Sylvan Gold, you could make the group fucking completely closed and secret so that the only only people in that group, I belong to a group, a comic book group, and it's like something like a shit post from the MCU or whatever, and people just get on there and they make their own memes that are just fucking funny. They're funny, they're tasteless, and they're, you know, just ragging on like Brett Ratner and... Uh, and there's uh, like one guy in the group that that loves um, um, Brie Larson, and they'll say something about like uh, you know uh, here's here's a like a, it'll be a meme about how much he says he wants to lick Brie Larson's ass, and she's has and, and the, some guys say oh she has no ass she has a flat ass or whatever. But okay, the group is closed, the group is secret, and nobody is in the group that that isn't um, automatically. Uh, accepted, and that'd be the same way with Gentleman's Guide or Sylvan Gold or whatever. And then you would get like a thing that would say, you know, you're posting um, material that goes against Facebook standards. You're getting three days in Facebook jail or whatever. And and then people in, within the group start thinking, okay, who the fuck is the snitch? Who's the snitch? Who's the snitch? Well, I can even tell you. I think I started a group one time, and it was just uh, specifically a group for the porn star Amber Lynn. And I just thought I'm going to start this group because we always talk about porn on silver and gold and stuff. And I'm going to start this group. And, and I just started the group. There was nobody in it, but me like the first day. And I sat down and started it and I added like about 20 pictures and they were all headshots or, um, you know, pictures of her with clothes on from like conventions or whatever, stuff like that. Well, they fucking send the thing out and send it, and I got like Facebook jail for like two days, and they, I think they closed the group down. And I'm like, now there's no way that someone could have snitched or told or whatever or anything. Number one, because there was nothing in the group that was sexual activity or uh, no nudity and no nipple or no uh, uh, whatever. And but it's that algorithm. And that's the thing, like whether it's on Gentleman's Guide or something. Of course, now on there, you'll have every once in a while where, you know, some asshole will get on there and start arguing all the time with everybody or being rude or whatever. Yeah, then you're going to get the you're going to get you might get a warning, but a lot of times you just get the boot because there's you know, we have so many people that it's like, who gives a shit? You know, we don't need some asshole on here or, you know, you can give them a certain send them an, an email and say, hey, OK. Uh, you know, listen, we're, we all try and keep it civil here and everybody has the right to their own opinion. Um, you know, if you want to come back, you know, we'll give you a couple days and whatever, if you want to come back. But Twitter, the, the funny thing is you go to over to Twitter and Twitter will have fucking hardcore fucking porn memes with nudity, jizz, fucking, and everything else. And so, I mean, it just depends on what you have. What's worse, you know, what's better, what's worse. Um, but so, like I said, I saw that thing where people were like kind of really down on Facebook. And, I, and I've sort of noticed uh, uh, it seems like 
things are trailing off. Maybe it's because it's summer and people are more busy. I mean, I'm on midnight shift. So a lot of times the reason that I'm on Facebook a lot is because I work such fucking weird hours that like right now it's, uh, it, you know, say it was three o'clock in the morning and I have the day off and, you know, I'm sitting here, you know, doing nothing and I get bored. But or I'm getting ready to go to sleep, you know, and, and everybody's at work in the middle of the day and I'm at home, you know, and I, I don't go to bed until, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon or something. But it seems like things have, have slowed down a little bit compared to what it used to. And and again, you know, God, it was only just a couple of years ago um, on like the Sylvan Gold Group. We posted the fuck. I, and I think that was one thing that kind of hurt uh, how many people we had in the group because when we first started out we were kind of like the um, the bastard stepchild of Gentleman's Guide and we were like fuck it we're just going to post whatever and we would post the, the dirtiest raunchiest shit you know the uh, what was the hell the goddamn loaf posted the thing I can't remember what it was it was like the blue clam or the blue um, shit oyster or something and it was just this it looked like this venereal disease ridden uh woman's vagina or something you know and we would post these pictures of of hot chicks that were naked and everything else and nothing ever happened but then every once in a while you'd get a thing and it would say you know this picture has been whatever and you'd have to delete it and then everybody would be like who's the snitch in the group some fucking asshole on here's a snitch and it's not that it's a it's a fucking algorithm and i think the algorithm's gotten even worse because with all the um the uh, right wing um hate groups that and, and uh, you know when you talk about fake news, these people that are on there actually literally um, spreading fucking bullshit that has been proven to be lies. Like the other day, a thing came out and it said even Fox News is now saying that um, the Seth Rich thing, where they said Hillary Clinton, you know, uh, had Seth Rich murdered, and now like yesterday or a uh, day or two ago, they said even Fox News is coming out saying that that was something that was started by or like a Russian troll farm. And it wasn't even fucking true. The guy, somebody was going to mug him or whatever, and they fucking killed him. And the police never found any evidence that there was any conspiracy or anything. But stuff like that, and it gets out there, and then it's just like uh, if you say, oh, so-and-so is a pedophile, and it gets out there, and, and then it comes back. You could say after a year... It's not true, it's not true, it's not true. But then people are like, yeah, sure, it's not true. You know, stuff like that. So I think they're getting really um, bombarded. Um, Zuckerberg and all of them are getting bombarded because of how uh, this this uh, social media thing has been weaponized almost as far as elections and spreading hate and divisiveness and things like that. So... I do think that maybe they do need to start regulating it. But, I mean, I am st- I go back to the fairness doctrine, you know, in the United States where it used to be before Reagan. If the national airwaves, whether it was NBC, ABC, or CBS, uh, showed, um, say, Barry Goldwater, uh, who was a staunch conservative Republican, and they had him on there, and he said, I believe, uh, you know, that if uh, things in Vietnam don't, don't uh, that that we should possibly use nuclear warheads in Vietnam to win the war? Well, then they would have to ha- give equal time to the opposing view, which they might have Noam Chomsky or Ralph Nader or whoever on there, and they would get equal time to rebut or whatever, you know. And then, of course, they made fun of it on Saturday Night Live with like Jane, you ignorant slut, point counterpoint, you know, which was funny. 
with Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin. But anyway, uh, again, getting off on another little tangent, but that's just some of the stuff that's been going on. As far as the trip goes, it wasn't too bad. I got to listen to some podcasts while driving. And like I said, my mom and I, we have a little Mexican restaurant that we go to, and we get to hang out and you know talk about all the shit that's going on in the family and and vacations coming up and things like that so you know i had a good time it was nice to get out of the house it's just one of those things where the older i get um i almost literally have to uh, uh, somebody posted a thing on sylvan gold about like the worst guy worst military assholes and i think i talked about that on part one so i'm not going to get into that again uh you'll hear that before you'll hear this one um but that's one thing i literally have to become my own drill instructor in my head and go god damn it get the fuck up get in there and take a fucking shower and shave and shit and get moving because you know you can sit there and literally if you i'll, I'll say oh man i just feel beat i'm fucking tired i don't want to i i i don't think I want to drive all the way out there. But once I get up and I take a shower and get moving, I'm fine. I mean, the tiredness goes away. It's almost like a, um, the, the, I think Will was talking about like working out and stuff, you know, just getting up and moving and getting some exercise and getting the blood flow. Uh, you can literally, you could literally sleep 12 fucking hours and wake up and be like, Oh man, I feel like shit. I'm so fucking tired. Right now. How the fuck are you tired? You're not, you got to get up and get moving. And that, and that's kind of a, a depression kind of a thing. And I do think that getting some physical fitness. And then of course for me again, working midnight shift, getting some sun and getting some vitamin D. I actually went and uh, bought some vitamin D, you know, pill or, uh, you know, supplements and everything. But I think also, you know, just getting out and mowing the lawn during the day, if I have to be out there for an hour or two, I'm getting some sun that way. But I'm as pale as a fucking ghost. I look like Steve McQueen and Papillon when they pulled him out of uh, uh, the fucking Devil's Island solitaire or solitary confinement after like a, uh, two years or something. Uh, when I was at my mom and dad's, I actually went in the, you know, went, I said, uh, before I leave, I'm going to run in the, go in the bathroom, you know, and take a leak and went in there and I looked in the mirror and I'm like, you know, everybody's so tan from being outside and I am so fucking pale and I'm not the kind of person like, like somebody who's ginger or whatever that, you know, the sun, I get really dark brown and everything. I get a good tan, but I'm just never out in the sun. So anyway, I actually got the motorcycles up and running and got them inspected and, um, um, got the insurance and everything paid on them. And I need to get back to, you know, in the morning, instead of coming home and eating and laying down and going to sleep, I need to uh, get, get on the bike in the morning when it's still cool enough to get out and ride. And that's another mental health thing. It, it actually, you know, helps clear your mind. And I was thinking the other day, I got to the point where well, I'm not riding that much. I, I, you know, maybe I ought to sell the bikes and everything. And then when I actually had to ride them and go up to, um, uh, get them inspected and everything. I was like, man, I enjoy this. You know, I just haven't been doing it. So it's one of those things of, like I said, just getting off your ass and getting moving and, and just going and doing some fun stuff. Even going to the movies. Um, I know that the last several times I'll be sitting in my chair and thinking, waiting for, you know, the movie doesn't start until 11 o'clock in the morning and, and, um, I'll have like two or three hours. And then by the time I just sit there and I'm just, I'm like, fuck, I don't know if I want to go, you know, it's probably be a bunch of little kids there and, and everything. Um, but I have to force myself to get up. And then when I go and I get out and I'm like, ah, hey, man, fuck, it's like real life, like a normal life. I there, I'm driving in my car. There's people and yeah, so it's not too bad. 
Um, to get back to the what have I been watching and everything, I'm trying to um, – what's funny was when I um, stopped the part one recording – uh, I just left everything up, and of course, Windows had a goddamn update. So I thought I lost everything, but it saved everything. You know, my rec- uh, thing, my uh, software that I use for the recording actually, you know, it's it, it, since it shut down um, une- unexpectedly or not in the normal way through the normal thing. Um, it, it asked me if I wanted to save it as soon as I brought back up, you know, said you had an unsaved thing. We, we saved it. Do you want to keep it or discard? So, you know, I got to keep it. I was kind of pissed when I came in here and I thought I lost like, uh, an hour and a half to two hours of recording. Cause then I went, you know, eh, I could literally do it the way I blab on. I was listening to married with clickers the other day and uh cat wasn't on there. So Scott did a show by himself and he is like, you know, I don't know how people do it when they, you know, do a show by themselves and, you know, but you know, there's just some people that are just naturally blabby, <laughs> the manic, uh, kind of, um, almost like DJ kind of a thing where you can sit here and just do it by yourself. And, and, um, I, I do admire the people that have a planned show. Uh, a lot of times this show, the closest it comes to planning is I just write down what I have been watching and bring it up on IMDB and then just go from there. And like I you know, you've even with this part of the show, the first part of it, I'm talking about uh, all this YouTube stuff and, and Facebook. And, you know, I had no no intention of even talking about that, but just got off on that. Or in the first part of this episode, talking about Oliver Stone, uh, or the first part of this um, show that was on, I had recorded before, which you'll hear. Hopefully you'll hear that one first. Um, but I watched, um, and I think this is the last thing. So I don't know if I cut, got cut off with this part or not. But I was talking about watching roll, the Rolling Th- or Rolling Thunder review, a Bob Dylan story by Martin Scorsese. And I think this was really good. It's a little long, but you have so much um, content there. Um, it's kind of like um, sort of like a, a second version of Scorsese when he did the Last Waltz with um, the band, which was Bob Dylan's backup band with Lee Von Helm, Robbie Robertson, and and um, all those guys. Um, so this was Dylan uh, when he went uh, more... It's after all the, you know, his big first folk run, uh, folk music, and he was doing all, you know, like the Woody Guthrie-inspired stuff and everything. And this one is when he got like his merry band of misfits. It's almost like um, um, Joe Cocker, uh, when, where they, he he decided, okay, I will go out on tour, but I get to t- pick whoever I want to go. And there were people that weren't even musicians that just wanted to go with him and and experience it and ride the bus and and do all the things that they you know did in the hotel room like collaborating or just even get to hang out with Dylan and then he had um, um, Joan Baez and uh, Joni Mitchell and people like that that would you know come and start hanging out and being on the tour and and uh, the, I, I did like you know you. You know, got to learn some stuff like, you know, with him and Joan Baez and that they had actually, 
you know, been together and had a relationship at one time. And at this point, you know, they had kind of went their separate ways and they, they, they actually do make like a little, a few little comments about that. Uh, but you get to see a lot of behind the scene footage, which is really excellent. And I, I'm a Dylan fan. And so I really enjoyed this. I, like I said, I did think it went a little bit long, but you got to see a lot of people, uh, and, and the times and everything and the music and, and the inspiration for the show. They said it didn't make any fucking money or whatever because you know, they just had so many people and they're just running around. And, and Dylan didn't want to play like Madison Square Garden and these big places. So they would go to these small venues. And so they didn't make any money. But it, it, in a mo- movie-inspired thing, you had um, uh, like Sharon Stone was on this. And I was like, what the fuck Sharon Stone on this for? But she was involved in it. She wasn't even a star at the time. She was just like a young girl who was a, a model. And uh, she hadn't been in movies or anything, and she was, you know, hanging around those people and her and her mom and uh, and Sam Shepard and um, Ramblin' Jack Elliott. Uh, the one of the one of the things about him that is interesting is um, he was uh, the the guy that in, was the inspiration for uh, the one guy in uh, Inside uh, Lewin Davis. You know, outer space. You know, the guy the guy that was. Um, um, supposed to be, um, and this is where they got it. He in inside Lewin Davis, you know, he wears a cowboy hat and he dresses in like a uh, Canadian tuxedo and everything. But then, uh, like, like the real Ramblin' Jack Elliott, you know, you think he's this, in, you know, cowboy from out west and everything, and he was really like from Hoboken, New Jersey, or Brooklyn, New York, or something like that. So um, that was kind of cool. I'm trying to think who else they showed in here. Allen Ginsberg, Patty Smith, uh, like I said, Joan uh, Joan Baez, Roger McGuinn. Roger McGuinn had a twelve-string guitar. It was like nothing I'd ever heard. Uh, Larry Ratso Sloman. Uh, if you listen to Howard Stern, you would hear him talk about Ratso all the time on there. And he wrote a book. Um, this is another small rant. I'm not going to get off on t- into it. He wrote a book about the New York Rangers uh, back in the like um, uh, mid to late 70s, early 80s. And I uh, was watching hockey at that time. And it's when we first started getting cable where we got channels from outside of our local area. And we got two New York channels. And one showed the Rangers. One showed the Islanders. We got a Chicago channel. So we got to watch the Blackhawks. And there was uh, somebody. There was a couple other ones that we got, and so I was following the Rangers quite a bit at that time. And he wrote a book about about that actual time period. And I went and I looked for it because I heard people say it was really good because it talked about like the behind the scenes stuff where people were doing like coke and partying and because they were in New York. I mean Madison Square Garden, you know, the hub of all this shit. And so a lot of the hockey players, even though they were from Canada, like these backwoods uh, places in Canada and everything, you know, they went to um, they went to um, New York and they're in Manhattan. They're going to Studio 54 and everything. And that book is out of print. And you would think with with like Kindle and everything that you would be able to get just about any book affordably. Well, it's out of print. And the motherfucker, they want like twelve hundred dollars for it. I mean, these people want like four, five, six, eight hundred dollars, twelve hundred dollars for a fucking book. And I'm like, fuck you. You know, that's bullshit. I, and, and I'm sure maybe eventually it will get put 
uh, on Kindle because there's no reason, as long as they can put it on a fucking computer and keep it in the cloud, there's no reason for it, uh, for anything to not be available and at a regular price. I'm not even talking about, I thought that, you know, I might be able to find a copy of it on fucking eBay or Amazon, a used copy that would be like a paperback that would be like 99 cents or something. And I mean, you know, it's unbelievable how it is. So I've kind of a, is a pisser. But anyway, let's go on to the next thing. Let's hopefully our IMDB is where it needs to be. Um, and that I'm not covering old ground because I was kind of looking at my list and seeing the things that I had uh, talked about and trying to remember. But um, on the inspiration from the Frost Giant from Paleo Cinema Martian Drive-In Podcast and uh, Terry talks about movies on YouTube, uh, Terry Frost... Um, I watched Shin Godzilla from 2016, or Shin, Shin Gajira, um, because the new Godzilla movie came out, and that was one of those times where I, my inner Sergeant Hardman could not get my ass up to go to the movie theater. So I did not get to see the new Godzilla. It will be coming out shortly. I know Hellboy and, um, and um, some of the other movies that I missed this summer are coming out here in, in July. Um, but I watched Shin Godzilla. I had heard about it and of course saw the pictures and everything online when it came out and heard people kind of either shitting on it. They liked it or they didn't like it. I really, I thought it was great. Um, and you know, it does, uh, it, 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 they acknowledge the original Godzilla movie and what happened as it was a natural disaster and everything, but it had been so long ago that it was kind of like uh, if if uh, my generation was talking about uh, you know World War Two or or uh, you know Hiroshima and Nagasaki or Dresden or whatever. Anyway, um, this was a really well done and intelligent well-made movie and it wasn't just um a straight up monster movie or uh kind of a corny cornball just a fun one like some of the godzilla movies got to be um almost more like a um, transformers kind of a feel with uh, or kaiju kind of thing and even like pacific rim i thought it had a a good story to it um but and that's another thing I'm going to talk about here in a minute, if I remember. Well, let's just get into it. Um, like, the first John Wick movie, I thought had a good story. The thing where they talked about his backstory and his wife and the dog. And then what happened and it led up to this. And he was doing this for a reason. He was so hurt. And so, you know, um, uh, such a such a crushed person. Um and then I think they lost that in the next two Godzilla or two John Wick movies, where it just became a stunt fest. Um, and I did, like I said in the other thing in the other uh, show, I did like the last um, John Wick Parabellum, <coughs> even though I did think that it was too long and that it had become just more of just. Okay, we trained Halle Berry and we trained 
uh, Keanu Reeves on how to shoot and how to do fucking martial arts. And now we're just, and the guy that is doing it is friends with Keanu and he was a stunt coordinator and a stunt man. So we're just going to put together a stunt fest, a la the raid or whatever. Now the, 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 the raid was the same way. I, I, I enjoyed it. The original one. I, I like the second one too, but I think John wick has gotten off to where it's become just, um, you know, uh, uh, almost like pro wrestling where the story becomes so secondary that it almost doesn't exist. And it's just what they would call in wrestling a spot fest, trying to one up uh, each stunt, uh, you know, and you get to, Ooh, ah, you know, Oh my God. Oh my God. Look at that. Holy fuck. Look what he just did, you know, but it doesn't have that core storyline. And that's the same way with the Godzilla movies. Um, like I said, I enjoyed Godzilla against Mecha Godzilla. That's one of my favorite ones, but it got off more into, and, and some even way worse than that, where it was just almost like a pro wrestling thing where it was just Godzilla brawling against another monster or other monsters. And that's what I was going to say about Pacific Rim. I still have not seen the second Pacific Rim, but the first one, I liked that it was all the stuff that was going on and all the cool um, Jaegers and the cool Kaiju and all that. It That served a purpose. It revolved around the story, the story of, you know, Major and... Uh, when and and the backstory b- between him and the little girl who grows up and she wants to be a, co- or a, um, a Jaeger pilot, uh, Charlie Hunnam and his story with his brother and everything. They have this backstory, and and I I still have not seen the second Pacific Rim, but I know some people that said they enjoyed it, but I also heard some people say that. Um, it wasn't as good as the first one and that it kind of jumped the rails and just got off into, uh, just being the big, bad, you know, a special effects fest with the, the giant Jaegers against the giant Kaiju. And, but like I said, I haven't seen it, so I don't want to judge it. I, I, the one thing that gets me about that, I think they still have it on like iTunes and yeah, you can't rent it. You still have to buy it or something. And as I said before, I bought the motherfucker on Blu-ray on Amazon and got it, and it won't play. And one of my friends suggested that I go to, uh, like, Walmart, buy it, and then fucking put the disc that doesn't play in it and say, hey, take it back and say, hey, this fucker doesn't play. So I don't know. But I'll watch it eventually. And and, and that's another thing with what iTunes has been doing lately is um, – the they'll have specials on there where you can rent movies on there for 99 cents select movies uh and then for for the longest time the cheap or you know other than the special where it's 99 cents the cheap rentals would be like 2.99 but then they raised it up and they would have the HD version would be maybe say it was 3.99 or whatever but if you pick the SD version uh, say you're just watching on your iPad uh, and you don't give a fuck, you just want to see it, um, it would be like a dollar less or whatever. Now the SD version and the HD version are the same price. And when they first come out, they'll have stuff that's either, maybe it, it might still be in the theater or it might just be uh, just came out and it's straight to DVD or straight to digital download. 
uh, and the rental price will be six ninety nine or five ninety nine. And there was something the other day I was looking at, and I was like, oh man, I really want to see this. But the motherfucker has been out for like a goddamn year, and they still have it at like five ninety nine or six ninety nine just to rent. Um, and then a lot of times, what's what's funny about that is you'll have a movie that comes out, and it'll say. Five ninety. Watch it now for five ninety nine. You know, rent it, and then it goes away after twenty four hours after you start watching it. But the fucking purchase price would be seven ninety nine or nine ninety nine. So it's like, why would I even fucking rent the motherfucker? You know. But anyway, that's just another shit fest uh, thing I'm going off on. But I did like Shin Godzilla. I like the fact that it kind of uh, spoke to, um you know, the Fukushima disaster and Nagasaki and Hiroshima and natural disasters, stuff like that, you know, whether it's uh, typhoons or, uh, you know, um, hurricanes and things like that. Um, so it's kind of like a metaphor for that. And and I also like, in some ways, you know, I like that the, the God, uh, Gojira was not um, this, you know, big hero or whatever. It kind of went back to the original. And it had some good... Um, Good, a good uh, cast and uh, fairly, you know, good stuff in it. It wasn't. I still like watching the old ones. It almost reminds me of the TV show Thunderbirds, where they use the puppets and the little, you know, models uh, of like battleships or cars or airplanes. But and I and I like going back in the nostalgia of watching the old Godzilla movies, where the, it's a guy in a suit, you know, and you can tell, and they're doing like uh, uh, vertical suplex and fucking uh, Godzilla's doing a drop kick and a bionic elbow or something. So anyway. And I will be watching the new one. I like the uh, the the uh, one that came before that that had Brian Cranston in it. I talked about that in the last show. So God damn it, I bet you I did already talk about this. <laughs> I hope not. Um, let's see here. I don't think I did. Maybe I did. So I hope you're not getting two things here. Um, let's see. Okay. Uh, we were talking about spawn. I made a joke the other day, uh, on gentleman's guide about, uh, spawn and, uh, people that hadn't seen it, you know, and I was like, what? You've never seen spawn. It's so fucking good. And it's supposed to be horrible. So, you know, and, and I, and I don't ever remember it being good. I wasn't even like a big fan of the comic. Uh, Todd McFarlane's art in it was, was good, but the stories weren't very good. And, and, uh, I remember that was a big thing, you know, spawn. Oh my God, Todd McFarlane and all his stuff. He came off of a, you know, like doing Spider-Man and everything. But I just was never a big fan of the character. The one thing I liked about this movie was that uh, it gave Michael Jai White a um, uh, you know starring role. And we were just talking about this at work the other night that uh, how good Michael Jai White is and how good he could have been and should have been. Um, you know, he made a lot of straight to uh, digital download or DVD movies where he got to show off his martial arts. Got a great look, great body. Um, you know, great martial artist, um, you know, as far as not competitive martial arts, but Hollywood martial arts. And, um, you know, you, the one big movie I remember seeing him in, I was like, oh shit, that's Michael Jai White was, um, you know, the Batman movie with Heath Ledger. Um, he had a small part in that and, uh, didn't even, you know, you would think with this guy that looks like a goddamn million dollars you know million dollar body and everything and he didn't do karate in it and he didn't do uh didn't take a shirt off so that's kind of a you know i feel ripped off god damn it and the funny thing about this one is is martin sheen is in it that's the one thing we were talking about was uh i i think i was kind of uh kind of uh just 
kind of being funny under the cover on Gentleman's Guide by uh, saying, you know, which Martin Sheen movie was better, like Apocalypse Now or uh, Spawn or something like that. And people are like, Martin Sheen's in Spawn? And so I was kind of, you know, well, he must maybe he needed a paycheck or something. But, you know, it was funny because Martin Sheen coming off of Badlands, coming off of, um, you know, Wall Street, uh, um, and Apocalypse Now, and all these fucking, you know, great iconic movies. He's everything, and and then he's in Spawn with a really black fucking beard and playing a playing an evil baddie. But that movie sucked. I didn't think it was very good at all. And apparently they're going to make another one. I know they did some like uh, animated um, Spawn movies. Uh, let's see here. What else do we have? Uh, see, now, that's the thing. I think I've done this before where, where I've done a show and kind of got cut off or whatever, and then I start thinking, have I talked about this already? Um... The next thing I watched Mandy again, and um, again I, it's it's just a fucking fun movie to watch. Um, watching Nicolas Cage and how wacky wacky he is, and watching the um, just the style of uh, Panos Cosmatos. But we talked about this. We actually did a whole show on on Mandy. This is the third time I've watched it, and it's just fucking batshit crazy. But it's fun to watch, and it'll probably go down as like. Uh, Nicholas Cage's greatest fucking, uh, you know, crazy fucking cage movie. I'm curious as to see what Panos Cosmatos does again or does in the future and see him again. And, um, let's see, don't need to talk about Mandy anymore. We've covered that one. Like I said, um, was watching several like Norm Macdonald and Bill, Bill Burr, Norm Macdonald, Louis C.K., uh, comedy specials and uh, watching them on like Letterman or uh, Conan O'Brien and things like that. <coughs> and all this, the, <coughs> excuse me, the, um, the one thing is I, I always hate when like these days, it seems like some of these, some of these um, comedians, they've really gotten off into, okay, my career is not doing anything. So now I'm going to take this hardcore, uh, like conservative approach to comedy. And like Norm MacDonald has really gotten into that as far as like, um, uh, becoming the Archie Bunker, the character Archie Bunker, which if people, you know, watch that show, they were never saying that Archie Bunker was was good. The reason people laughed at him is because he was a fucking, you know, um, he was a bigot and he was ignorant and he didn't even know it. You felt sorry for him at points, but, you know, it was like, Jesus Christ, you know, dude. Uh, he was just an old guy who was set in his ways and and wasn't going to change. And and Norm Macdonald really, uh, some, a lot of the comedy that he's been doing lately, really, he's kind of become that guy. And uh, you know, eh, you know, uh, people are uh, these days these PC people they put you know people comedians uh, you know they can't do this and they can't do that. And it's like you know, well, I see these same comedians, including himself. Uh, you know, all over YouTube, all over, you know, late night TV and everything. And they're sitting there, well, you can't say this. You can, yeah, you can say whatever the fuck you want to say, you know? Um, and that's the, the free speech thing. People say, Hey man, I got freedom of speech, freedom of speech. 
hey, nobody's telling you you can't fucking say this shit, but if you come out and say you came out and said, I hate fucking black people or I hate Hispanic people or I hate Asian people, and then you go off on a tirade about um, uh, all these stereotypical, you know, uh, you know, uh, the Japs and the chinks and whatever and all this, uh, then it's like they expect that there shouldn't, nobody should say anything. Nobody should say, hey, man, you're, you know, that's kind of fucking... You know, you're kind of a racist bigot or whatever. Freedom of speech in the United States, uh, it's not going against your freedom of speech if a publicly or a, a privately owned company says, hey, we're not going to let David Duke, who was the head of the Ku Klux Klan, get on here and spread his bullshit. Now, if the government got on there and said, we're not going to let David, that's against freedom of speech. But if you're a, the, the, these same people, these, these old turds that fucking, oh, I should be able to be a racist fucking turd and say whatever I want and fucking, uh, um, you know, uh, be homophobic and all this and that. Um, they, it's like, they don't. They want to be able to say what they want to say. Well, I have the right to fucking say, well, you know, dude, you know, it's not funny. It's not the 19 fucking uh, Amos and Andy. It's not the 1920s or 30s and where you come out in blackface. Yeah, they came out in blackface back then, you know, and they had the right to do it. Well, yeah, they did, and people had the right to, first of all, times change, and second of all, and somebody started a thing on uh, Gentleman's Guide about how PC culture is killing comedy. And then I thought it was funny. One of the, one of the posts, somebody took the time to write a long post and they mentioned like every fucking funny as hell comedy that's been put out. And it's like, you're full of shit. You know, I, I, like I said, I can get on YouTube right now and bring up 5 million Norm McDonald clips or, um, what's that other fucking asshole? Um, Oh, I can't remember what his name is, but he's, Nick Nick DiPaolo, he's another one. You know, oh, I can't believe it. Like on the cover of his last uh, um, comedy album or or whatever special, you know, it had him giving the finger to like people from Black Lives Matter and and uh, people from like uh, the the uh, the protest uh, in um, uh, North Carolina where the uh, Heather Heyer got run over by a car or whatever. And it's like, dude, you know. And he goes, "Well, I didn't even I didn't know that's who that was. Somebody just made that up for me or whatever." And I'm like, "Okay, fucking asshole." But still, you can go out there and you can and you can be the Trump loving comedian who loves MAGA and make America great again, and you're a Against these fucking immigrants coming in here and you can be that guy you can be the butcher bill comedian from fucking gangs of new york the nativist who doesn't want uh them goddamn minority welfare queens and all this stuff and be that comedian uh and and you'll have a base uh, uh fucking um what's his name uh dennis miller that's what his thing became but when people aren't coming to your show or the people that come to your show are a bunch of fucking racist backward redneck assholes you know that's fine but people can say shit you know and say hey we don't want you here uh if it's a like i said if it's a uh publicly owned uh or i mean a, a government financed or run institution then they shouldn't be able to say you can't come here because of whatever. Now, <clears throat> if in fact that 
they said that, like Ben Shapiro and these guys were saying, oh, you know, I was supposed to talk at Berkeley and uh, or um, Stephen Crowder or whoever. I was supposed to talk at Berkeley and they wouldn't, you know, let me be there. And that's against my freedom of speech and blah, 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 blah. And then they looked it up and they've had like, you know, five fucking thousand goddamn fucking conservative speakers there. So it's it's also just a, a way, you know, you have somebody like him, like, say, Ben Shapiro and he's on there and uh and you have a million fucking you have all these protesters come out whether they're you have the protesters come out and say we don't want him here uh say it's david duke from the kkk and they come out and say we don't want you here uh and they have a thousand protesters out there you know chanting we don't want you you're blocking traffic and everything and then you have counter protesters coming and it starts a big ruckus yeah they're not going to want you there because they don't want shit tore up and everything but they've also had um you know uh, uh other conservative politicians or and speakers and everything else that have come there and spoke and they haven't had any problems and they've let them. So I don't know. Some of these guys, like I said, they, 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 I think it's not even as much like fucking Norm McDonald's on there talking about Seth Rich, fucking uh, Hillary Clinton being a murderer and everything. And that's another thing, you know, when, when, when your whole thing is getting on there and just spreading shit, that's not even true. Uh, and 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 he's saying, well, yeah, it's just comedy, and you gotta, you know, how many people has Hillary Clinton murdered? Okay, you can hide, and and I I saw, I remember John Stewart or Bill Maher would do the same thing. They would say something ignorant or whatever, or they'd get called out on something and say, hey, I'm just a comedian, and it's like, well, yeah, you're just a comedian, but you're if if you're going to come out and say Hillary Clinton murdered somebody, and there's no evidence. And it's just recently came out that, like I said, even Fox News says that that was started by a Russian like troll farm or intelligence or whatever and put out. And then these people bid on it, hook, line, and sinker and spread it and spread it and spread it. And it's lock her up, lock her up, lock her up. And it wasn't based on anything true. And then you're going to get out there and say, hey, Hillary Clinton, she's killing fucking people. She's murdering. She's murdering people. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Uh, no. <laughs> and you're, you're, you know. If if you were saying that as a joke and then pointing out how stupid it was and that, you know, it's a fucking bunch of bullshit or saying, look at how people fucking, um, you know, they're saying, oh, Hillary Clinton murdered all these people. And, yes, yeah, she took an axe. So I've even used that as a joke by saying, yeah, fucking Hillary Clinton, man, you don't want her. She's uh, they they bring her um, um, tractor trailers full of uh, little uh, babies and she drinks their blood you know, and, but, you know, in kind of like a, a jest making fun of how stupid it is that her cabal is so strong and powerful that they actually went out and murdered this guy. And the guy's fucking parents even said, quit saying this. It's not true. It's total fucking bullshit. And you are hurting our family. It's like the people that come out and say after a um, mass murder uh, goes on. And then fucking uh, whether it's um, Alex Jones or Glenn Beck or whoever, and they're on there saying, "Oh, that was totally made up. It was totally bullshit. It was. It didn't even happen. Those those kids never even went to that school. They were just nothing but crisis actors and everything." It's like you're a fucking piece of shit. Number one, you're a piece of shit. You're you're spreading stuff that is that is a hundred percent not true. These kids, were, little kids, were killed. Their parents lived there, and then one guy, um, I can't remember what his name is. 
he was a student at the school and he's been speaking out against like you know gun violence and all this and that and they're like hey you piece of shit you want your 15 minutes of fame you're a piece of shit you're a scumbag if you don't want to live in america get the fuck out of here and it's like this poor little fucker when i was in school say if i was even a senior in high school or in junior high or something and somebody came in with a fucking uh goddamn machine gun and started killing everybody and i was le- sitting there watching uh, my friends uh, getting their brains blown out or screaming and yelling and getting maimed or getting murdered by some psychopath. And then you have these fucking scumbag pieces of shit. But then, ah, oh, it's just funny. You know, hey, this is nothing but a, it was nothing but a joke. You know, when I said that uh, it, was, it didn't even happen and, and those families that buried their little kids, it's like, that's fucking repulsive. You have the right to say whatever you want, but. To me, that is like yelling movie, yelling movie in a crowded firehouse, <laughs> yelling fire in a crowded movie house, inciting and or defamation of character. And I would sue the motherfuckers, you know, just for saying, hey, you know, you have no proof. You're spreading these fucking lies and, and you're defaming my child who was murdered. And that's another thing Facebook has been putting on there where you can. Um, if somebody gets on there and says, you know, oh, uh, these, the, these uh, like Heather Heyer, she was run over by a fucking car. She got what she deserved. And somebody, well, I'm trying to think what the one was the other day. And somebody said, oh, f- oh uh, it was um, um, Otto Warmbier, who when he was over in North Korea, you know, just as a joke, somebody said, hey, take one of those posters, you know. Take one of those posters and we'll take it. And it was like some propaganda poster. And the fucking North Koreans arrested him, took him, and held him for I don't know how long. And by the time they returned him, he was fucking brain damaged to the point that he died. They had to take him off life support. Uh, and somebody actually posted on there, hey, he got he got what he deserved. And so that's one thing that you can report is like you know uh, like making fun of a victim of a violent crime or or whatever like that. But that's just it's repulsive. But again. On Facebook, Twitter, or whatever, the person that said, uh, yeah, he got what he deserved, it might not even be a real fucking person. It might be a fucking uh, paid fucking troll uh, who's just trying to fucking piss people off to divide people. But it also might be somebody who has fallen uh, prey to that kind of divisive behavior and has come out and said, yeah, that fucker got what he deserved. America, love it or leave it, right or wrong. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. Live somewhere else, you fucking snowflake pussy. You fucking, uh, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know, man. This world we're living in is is, is really weird. But you go back to times, um, we've been here before. We just don't have the, they didn't have the social media. But uh, even back in the old days when you had people that, uh, they were good people that might own a pharmacy or that might own a grocery store or that pumped your gas or that was your best friend in school or one of your teachers. But they they fucking my my daughter ain't never going to marry no N word or, you know, they didn't like black people. They didn't like gay people. I know people like that right now that are fucking, you know, I'm friends with them. They're nice people and everything, but they don't believe in, you know, that they are against gay people uh you know, they can do whatever they want, but I don't want to fucking see it. You know, and then I said, well, what if your son, or I had a guy the other day that said if his son ever um, came <coughs> came out that he was gay, he would disown him. I went to school, went to high school all my life from like kindergarten, well, from kindergarten to like senior in high school with a girl 
And uh, when she went to college, uh, she came out of the closet and had a girlfriend and her parents came up to visit and uh, just like did what parents do and just came in and she was uh, in bed with her girlfriend sleeping. And uh, when they discovered that she was a lesbian, they disowned her. And so she told me straight from her mouth, you know, she had, um, you know, I can't remember how many years where she never even saw, she never saw her parents. They wouldn't speak to her. They wouldn't have anything to do with her. And then, of course, it, <clears throat> it all, you know, uh, dissipated and now they accept her or whatever, but they lost that many years of their life with their daughter. And that's what I tried to tell this guy. I said, man, you know, if it's your own kid, you know, uh, you, you have to love them. They're your kid. That's like, if your kid's a drug addict, you're never going to stop pulling for him or trying to get him help or whatever. And, um, not comparing being gay or homosexual or whatever to, to being a drug addict. I'm just saying as a parent, you love your kid and you should love your kid no matter what. I mean, there's people that their kid goes out and murder somebody and, you know, they know that they murdered him. The person's in jail, but they're like, it's still my son, you know, and I, I care about him. I love him. I don't want him to be in jail. He made a mistake, blah, 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 blah. So let's move on. That's like I said, I was just watching this and that's, that's like the Louis CK. Uh, that's the one thing I was watching him more than anything that brought this up was, uh, I was watching, I, I had um, <clears throat> bought and downloaded his first season of his TV show. And um, I loved that show. I thought it was, you know, at the time he was probably the one of the funny, him and Dave Chappelle were the two funniest guys in the fucking world. And um, all that stuff came out about him, you know, hey, do you, do you mind if I take my dick out and whack off in front of you and to, to these women that he worked with? And... Um, like I said, I mean, you know, that's pretty vile to start with. But when you throw into the to the fact that he was either the director or the uh, producer or the owner of the of the show and he had power over these women, you know, uh, some of them like, like Sarah Silverman and some of them like kind of, you know, laugh it off. All that's Louie, you know, and uh, then after the fact, they're saying, you know, I, I love Louie. He's my friend and everything. But that was bullshit that he did. And, you know, people came out and said. You know, not only did he do that, but if you said no or you were disgusted and didn't want to um, see that or whatever, that he would get pissed and that he would he could, you know, use it against you and either, you know, uh, kick you off whatever show it was and this kind of that, you know, so that was kind of bullshit. I still would like to see I Love You Daddy uh, that he did with um, um, what's her name? Chloe Grace Moretz and uh, John Malkovich. Um I was listening to a podcast. I'm trying to think what it was. I think it was film spotting. I started, I, I forgot all about that podcast for years. That was one of my go-to um, movie podcasts uh, that's done really well. Um, and it's structured. It's not like this shit fest. It's structured and they do a really good job. Um, and then I rediscovered it. I don't know why I stopped listening to it. Um and I was mowing the lawn the other day and I was listening to it and they got off on the, um, um, separating the art artist, the art from the artist and talking about Woody Allen, talking about Louis CK, Roman Polanski and people like that. Or the guy that did powder. I can't remember what his name was fucking that ended up being a, uh, like a child molester and stuff like that. Or, uh, I guess, I don't know if Johnny Depp, I, I he, they mentioned something about Johnny Depp and I, I just remember the only thing I remember about that is him being really drunk and he was either married to or dating, I think Amber Heard and she got him on video and he was smashing dishes. And so I don't know if he was abusive or what he did. And then I've heard some stuff about, uh, from, um, about Charlie Sheen and, um, uh, like when they made, uh, Lucas, 
and um, what's his name? Um, Corey Corey Haim and Corey Feldman and that kind of stuff. Michael Jackson and all that stuff. Um, you know, I, I know people to this day that uh, love Michael Jackson music and and will defend him and say that he never did anything and you know that it was all bullshit. I was never that huge of a Michael Jackson fan, so maybe I didn't fall into that. I fall into it a little bit more with, um, like I said, with uh, Roman Polanski because I loved his movies. Uh, Woody Allen, same way, I love his movies. Um, and then, you know, Elvis, you know, like I've said on the show before, you know, I like Elvis, but, you know, look, at, he mer- met Priscilla when she was, what, 15 or something like that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people like that. Uh, Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin, Iggy Pop, David Bowie, and some of the shit they did with the uh, with the uh, baby groupies that they sort of toned down a little bit in um, the Cameron Crowe movie um, about the uh, the groupies uh, with uh, Goldie Hawn's daughter. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, what was that movie called? Um, I want to say is it well? I know who's in it that I can look it up. I want to say some kind of wonderful, but that's not what it is. And you guys are sitting there again, uh, uh, you know, going uh, almost famous. That's what it is. I was I was looking up uh, Billy, Billy Crudup because um, he was in that. But you know that that movie they didn't. That movie was about you know Cameron Crowe when he was underage and was working for Rolling Stone and went on the road and everything. But the one thing about that movie that they didn't really put forward as much was that some of the girls uh, that were the groupies were like fucking 13, 12, 13 years old, 14, uh, 14, 15 years old or whatever um, in real life. And I think it would have been a little bit of a different movie if they would have actually said that and showed what fucking creeps some of these guys are. Because you could look at some some rock stars and say, okay. Say this guy hit it big and he was 19 years old. And one of the groupies that he's banging is um, 16. Okay, that's one thing. But if Jimmy Page or um, fucking Iggy Pop or David Bowie is fucking 32 and they're screwing somebody who's like 14 or 15, you know, that's, you know, whatever. To me, uh, and under the law of uh, most countries, um, you know, I don't know. So anyway, but like I said, I, I still wa- I watch some of those Louis C.K. episodes. They're still fucking funny as hell. Uh, the one thing about him, and this uh, this is just going from what I heard, which was that, you know, he would tell women, you know, it was almost like he was more of an exhibitionist, sort of like Lance Rensel, uh, who played for the Dallas Cowboys that was married to Joey Heatherton. Uh, one thing about Lance Rensel, though, is he would take his dick out and, uh, like, he would be sitting in his car and call um, – underage girls that were going to school or whatever over to his car and fucking, uh, have his dick out and, uh, they would see him and, and he would fucking, he would show his dick to him or whatever. And then he'd take off. And then he wrote a book, which was really good. Uh, cause he got caught and he had covered it up before when he played, I think for the Vikings, uh, he had done this before and he even admitted, like, I think when he was in college, he had done it. Um, Married to Joey Heatherton, who was like one of the biggest uh, stars of that time, and they were the power couple, and he was wide receiver for the one of the best football teams, America's team, and everything. Uh, sort of a North Dallas Forty thing because Don Meredith was the quarterback, and he was he was there when Pete Gent, who wrote North Dallas Forty, was there. Um, hang on, another break. 
But that's one thing I was going to say uh, after I, an impromptu break. Um, from a purely psychological point of view, comparing Louis C.K. And like I said, the only thing that I'm going from here, I don't think that he ever raped anybody like Harvey Weinstein. The one thing was, like, like I said, like a power thing where... Um, if he said to you, cause he's a comedian, he could say, Hell, I'm a comedian. Huh? That's just Louie. He's being funny. When he would say to some of these girls that were working on his show or the uh, comedians that he was friends with that were at a comedy club, Hey, do you mind if I take my dick out and beat off? Uh, he had that power thing. And if he was using, it was bad enough. I mean, cause I know some people that said like, um, well, he asked them and if they would have said no, you know, and he didn't take his dick out then he was actually asking them for their permission and he didn't do it or they said no and he didn't do it. But then you tack on to that, that he was in a position of power if he was a producer of the show or the star of the show and the people were working on the show or for him or whatever. Um, the Lance Rensel thing, that's what I was going to say in an interesting way. And I think that book was called after the laughter stops. Uh, it's a really good book. It's even if you're not into sports, um, because again, you had that Hollywood kind of a thing. Uh, when all the laughter died in sorrow was the name of his book. Um, he was this great athlete, you know, a world class athlete. Played for America's team was a, was a star, you know, a wide receiver. Um, and if and again, if you ever. Uh, watch the movie North Dallas 40 with Mac Davis and Nick Nolte. Uh, this would be maybe an interesting book for you to read too. But the psychological part of the thing kind of closely resembles to me the Louis C.K. thing because Lance Rensel, even though the times that he got caught were, uh, like I said, he would be sitting in his car uh, I'd see a couple of uh, underage girls walking down the street and say, hey, can you come here for a second? I, uh, I need to ask you a question. They come over and he would be sitting in his car with his dick out and then he would just fucking take off. Um, he never molested little kids. He said he wasn't attracted. He was not attracted to little kids. He never wanted to have sex with little kids. It was, and I looked it up because he talked about it and was talking about um the psycho uh, the psychological things that m made up what he was or how he was the way he was and it sort of resembles to me and I'm not a psychiatrist so I don't know I don't know what they would say about this but the same thing like what I was reading about Louis CK was uh, the psychology of someone who is an exhibitionist where the pressure from what I remember with Lance Rensel was, and like I said, he was he was married to Joey Heatherton, who was like the hottest fucking chick. Her and Raquel Welch at the time, I think, were like considered like two of the hottest women in in pop culture at that time. Because I remember even on like the Mary Tyler Moore show, Lou Grant, who was played by Ed Asner, his dream woman was Joey Heatherton, and she had um, her. She was known for wearing these really sexy costumes, and uh, she was part of the of um, uh, Frank Sinatra's Rat Pack. Her and like Shirley MacLaine were like two of the women that were in the Rat Pack. Uh, she was, you know, big in Las Vegas doing shows and she would sing and dance and everything, wear these sexy costumes. And he was married to her and she was hot as fuck. And he was like this blonde haired, blue eyed, you know, stud of an athlete, uh, really good looking. But 
he said like this the it was just like this pressure would build up. You had like Pete Gent said about North Dallas 40, about these football players and stuff, how uh, they might be the biggest, strongest, toughest guys on the planet that would just knock the shit out of you. If you looked at them sideways, but they were scared, they were scared to death. And he's like, well, what the fuck are they, does he have to be scared of? You know, Joe Bob, you know, Joe Bob's fine foods eat here or I'll kill you. Um, number one, they were dumb, you know, some of them, you know, there were some athletes that were smart as fuck, but, um, pampered and pandered to elite athletes, um, who had their growth almost stunted because they were so good that they were handed everything. Like I said, pampered and spoiled, but not only that, but they dealt with tremendous pressure uh, even though they were the elite and they would win or whatever, they dealt with the pressure of losing and the pressure of not performing. Or if something happens that there's a guy right behind you that is equally as good as you, that's just waiting to fucking take your job and people putting all this pressure on you saying, man, you got to win this big game. You got to win this big game. And then almost like a military kind of a thing. Cause I know when I played football in high school, um, they just you you you're building up all week to play that one game, and they get you to this fever pitch. Where I mean, guys on our team, I, I would have butterflies in my stomach so bad that I mean, I would be like laying on the floor, going, "Oh my god, my stomach's killing me." And guys that would throw up before a game or or uh, be in the, on the toilet shitting themselves because their stomachs would be in knots from the pressure that you know the big buildup. So. Not excusing anything that either of these guys do. I'm just, uh, like I said, I'm talking more or less from an interesting kind of a, an analysis of of these two guys, Louis C.K. and Lance Rensel, and this exhibitionism kind of thing. Now, like like I said, Lance Rensel's fucking the hottest chicken fucking Hollywood. Plus, I'm sure he had his share of groupies and things like that. Louis C.K. is, you know, one of the hottest guys in fucking comedy, uh, famous, has a TV show, can do whatever he wants. Like Dave Chappelle can get whatever deal he wants and all this and that. But he couldn't control himself. He would want to pull his dick out and fucking, like I said, exhibitionism. It wasn't as much, I want to fuck Sarah Silverman or I want to fuck this girl or fuck that girl. Harvey Weinstein wanted them to give him a massage. And if they didn't, he would go over and like Trump or whatever, grab him by the pussy or rape him or, or, or they would have sex with him because they thought that, you know, he could do favors for him. And from what I'm seeing from these two guys is it wasn't that it was more like a blowing off steam kind of a thing. Like I said, Lance Rensel didn't say to these underage girls hey get in the car and i want to show you my dick you know here touch it you know do this do that he would just call him over to the car and when and he'd have his dick out and when they saw it and their mouths you know they were like oh what the fuck and then he'd take off it was like he said it was like a some kind of a, a weird release or something uh not not like mass i i don't know i i can't remember specifically if he was jacking off and he like uh, you know bust a nut or whatever of louis ck i'm la i'm laughing because it's just weird but um that that kind of a release thing i don't know what it went back to or what where it goes back to but then they said you know as soon as they did it they were like i gotta get the fuck out of here you know he wasn't molesting kids he was uh lewd and lascivious contact or public nudity or whatever and and like i said same thing with louis ck it's weird I, i'm trying to think of any movies where 
someone was was like an exhibitionist. You, when you think about exhibitionism in a fucking movie, you would think about like Jennifer Aniston in Horrible Bosses where she would stand in front of her window and eat a banana wearing something sexy or the Peeping Tom thing where the guy's watching. Um, it's all the same sort of thing in, um, in Dress to Kill, uh, which is more from the opposite side with De Palma being a voyeur and the people in the in the movies being a voyeur or you as the... Um, the uh, the viewer of the movie being a bystander and being a voyeur. Um, the exhibitionist thing, if you listen to the show, if you can, uh, um, uh, and you get to this part, uh, put it on the group. If there's movies that you can, that you can think of. And of course, like I said, I, it's, it's easy to come up with like somebody who's a stripper in a movie. And that's, that takes a certain amount of exhibitionism, but I'm talking about more of, um, well, even shame with um, Fassbender, in a, in a certain way, he was an exhibitionist uh, by going to the uh, male like peephole or whatever uh, club where the, you know the guy sucked him off in this club, and there's people walking around and everything. And they have the booths and everything. That was sort of like that, or standing in front of the uh, the the window and doing the girl from behind in front of a skyscraper window where people could see. But like I said, that's more of a different thing. That's that, that is a part of exhibitionism, but not exactly what I'm looking for. I'm looking for more sort of, like I said, with the Louis CK and the Lance Renzel thing where their thing is just to like a flasher. They used to, when I was a kid, they would call it a, you know, somebody being a flasher where it was even like on, um, uh, the the show Laugh In or some of these different shows, maybe like Monty Python or something, the guy that wears the raincoat and um, um, has nothing on underneath of it and just walks up to women in a park or whatever and uh, flashes him. He opens his raincoat and he's fucking naked. Or he might even have like pants, but he has his dick out and he flashes him and then just takes off. So that's that's the thing I'm thinking of more than anything. I, I was just wondering, that's because it's such a... It's such a strange and interesting sexual, uh, psychosexual kind of a affliction, I guess. Uh, it was just I, I imagine there's got to be some movies where somebody's a flasher or you know an exhibitionist like that. And even the Lance Rensel thing, I mean, it would be a, it would be like one of those movies that's like a, a, a made for TV movie if they ever did it. Um, uh, during the seventies where they would say viewer discretion is advised, you know, and they would never show what he did, but they would just show like the, a kid or something walking up to the car with Louis CK saying, Hey, do you mind if I talk to you for a minute? And then they get a commercial and they come back and the girl would be crying or something. Um, I'm just, uh, like I said, the, the, the one thing about the Louis CK thing and the, uh, separating the art from the artist, I fucking watch it. He's funny as hell. His mind, he is a funny motherfucker. Um, I saw that he had, uh, in 2019, just like a month or so ago, he showed up at this, um, comedy thing and did a set and was, I listened to it. He was fucking funny. You know, he came out and he said, so how's everybody's, uh, year been going? And he goes, you ever have a, a year, an entire year that just sucked and everybody's laughing because they know what he's talking about. Um, 
But again, like I said, if if you went back in time and you looked at famous composers, famous artists, um, famous actors, famous musicians, uh, singers, um, hell, a guy that lives down the street, you know, uh, if you knew everything about everybody, um, then you know, like I said, I might go to a, I might go to a car mechanic and he's the best car mechanic in the fucking world. He takes care of me. He doesn't charge me an arm and a leg and he fixes my car every time. I don't have to keep going back. He does a good job and he doesn't lie to me. But then I find out that, um, you know, he likes watching fucking, uh, I don't know. He wants girls to shit in his mouth like fucking, uh, John McAfee. You know, sit in a hammock with a hole and shit in his mouth. And he fucking does um, uh, bath salts and he's so horny that he hires prostitutes and some of them are underage. Or does that mean that he can't fix the car? <laughs> you know, um, I sort of draw the line at the child molesting thing. But then you have that line, that fine line that some people go with like, OK, well, in England or in Europe where Roman Polanski's from, the uh, age of consent might be 15 or 16, whereas in America it's like 18. Um, so you have that people drawing that fine line. And again, the, the line of, uh, well, this um, singer uh, who just hit it big is fucking 18 years old and the girl is 17 or the girl's 16. And it's a big difference than if they're 50 and the girl is 17 or 16, you know? So anyway, that's just a, it's a, it's a, it really is. Like I said, the, the, um, I think the concept of that movie with, uh, Louis CK and Chloe Grace Moretz and John Malkovich is that, um, about, uh, these, Oh, well, the, oh, what's his name that, um, oh, shit, what's, hang on a second. Um, um, the, 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 the uh, Luc Besson, Luc Besson, I love, you know, Fifth Element and some of his movies. Um, and he, I, from what I could see from the trailer and everything of that movie, the Louis C.K., John Malkovich, and Chloe Grace Moretz movie, is that it's almost sort of like a – like Basson was – say he was like 40 and he was screwing Mila Jovovich when she was underage. And then they ended up getting married and he was known for banging these underage girls. Uh, but, you know, not – 12 years old or anything but you know again you're drawing that fine line fine distinction um but then you know and then on you know i was a big fan of hers i used to have hots for her back when she was in fifth element and and uh um the first um resident evil movie and uh that was a big thing for me mila jovovich at one time i watched every piece of shit she was in the straight to dvd ones and then once once it got I'm trying to think. I kind of fell off the wagon with her. I, I did thought I thought she did a good job in the new Hellboy movie, but as far as like you know being like uh, goo goo gaga, I thought she was just you know pretty and everything at one time, and because of course I was young back then too. Uh, <laughs> I I have I have broken up with her when she married that hack. Um, anyway, but like that kind of a it was kind of a takeoff where. Louis C.K. is the dad. Chloe Grace Moretz is his daughter. And I guess he's working with Malkovich. And Malkovich is this like 60 or 70-year-old producer or director or something like that who is known for uh, going with 
young girls, like, you know, 18 years old or 17 or 16 or something. And it's kind of like a comedy where Louis C.K. is in living that lifestyle out there and deal uh, separating the art from the artist. He knows that uh, this producer is so famous. It would be like Martin Scorsese or uh, Orson Welles or somebody who's really famous. And they're like, oh, my God, he's such he's so spectacular. But he has this thing. Well, then ends up it's what if it's your daughter, you know, and I think it's 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 a good thing that they could make like a comedy sort of a thing out of but i mean if they wanted also if they wanted to make a very serious movie and the guy's like wait a minute you know and show the sort of the hypocrisy of okay um it's like when people used to say the olsen twins oh man you know i can't wait or there was a female golfer and she was underage and they were like man when she gets to be 18 and i was like man that's so fucking creepy but the same people that were saying that, you know, it's like, well, what if that was your daughter? Oh, fucking kill the son of a bitch, you know. And it's like, okay, well, wait a minute. Well, it's not my fucking daughter. Um, I've been um, reading uh, Umbr- The Umbrella Academy, Dark Horse comic, and that series is on uh, uh, Netflix, and they are doing a second season. I want to watch the first season again uh, just to because I enjoyed it so much. Uh, the comics are really good, and that's another thing um, with the comics that I've I kind of got into talking about on um, Gentleman's Guide to Comics was the price of comics, and um, you know you're talking about digital comics, so you're not even getting a paper comic, uh, little magazine paper comic book that you can put a um, backing board and save it and keep it pristine and hopefully sell it uh, as it goes up in value. You're talking about a digital comic, which you just have the digital thing if you just want to read it. And to me, you would think that would be cheaper. Um, My God, I was reading on a regular basis DC Comics Suicide Squad. The newer, the newest ones, as the new ones came out every month, I would read, you know, the new, new, new. And then all of a sudden I stopped reading it and I couldn't remember why the other day. I was like, I wonder why I stopped reading that. I mean, I would go on and get some of the issues and read them. So I got on my iPad and um, went to the DC Digital Comics. And I think the reason was is that now they jumped the price up. Each comic, and this isn't a hard copy. This is the uh, a digital copy that you can keep on your iPad. $4.99 for one fucking comic. So $5 for one fucking comic. And um, I have been reading mostly, I've been reading a little bit of Marvel, uh, but again, I was going back on the digital, and most of most of the digital comics, once you're, when you're not reading the newest ones, the price, it, it does go down. Uh, and I had went back and read a, it was an, inf, uh, infinity wars, um, run of about, I don't know if it was like maybe six or seven or eight issues. Um, and I enjoyed it. And each issue I think was only like, it might've been a dollar 99. I can't remember. Uh, maybe two ninety nine, and that two ninety nine is three, $3 for one comic that you can read in just a few minutes is not. Is, is to me is too much, but um, I've been reading Dark Horse a lot, which is you know known notably for um, their their horror sort of. Um, they have superhero comics too, but uh, they're mostly known for like Hellboy, and the spinoff of that is BPRD, and then you have several other ones uh, like Witchfinder, um, uh, Lord Baltimore. 
and but they're they're in the Hellboy universe, and that's one thing cool about the Hellboy universe is you'll read a, a, a comic book about uh, you know a Baltimore comic uh, from you know five years ago, and then you're reading Hellboy or BPRD Hell on Earth or uh, uh, Ragnarok or whatever, and they'll say something. It's like holy shit. You didn't even know it, but that was connected to this. It was in the past, and they, you know, and then they they uh, they put it all together. Uh, so it's kind of cool. Um, and a lot of that stuff, the, yeah, I, I go back and read reviews and everything, or on the on comic resources and stuff, and and I it went over my head, and I'm like, oh fuck, hell, I read that issue, you know, five years ago, and I didn't realize even after I was reading. Uh, uh, BPRD hell on earth that this is that guy is this guy, you know, or whatever. So anyway, I want to read, uh, I, I, I bought several umbrella Academy comics and that's what I was going to say about dark horse. When you get on their digital comic page, um, maybe the, the, the new, the f- two newest issues might be two ninety nine or three ninety nine. Uh, I think they're, they might be three ninety nine. I can't remember. But everything after that, if you have like Umbrella Academy, uh, the two newest ones might be the re- the regular price. But then everything after that is dropped down to a dollar ninety nine or less. So you can affordably read those. And I like this show. I I had a um, I got on um, things from another world website, which sells comic books and graphic novels and everything, and and figures, toys, action figures, statues, and and apparel, um, and you can. Uh, they have a Nick Dent ses- uh, section because they're actually selling the actual hard copies. And if they have like a a um, graphic novel and stuff like that, where the cover might be bent a little bit or have a crease in it or whatever, and you can get it, you know, fifty percent off or more. And so I got this Umbrella Academy uh, uh, um, graphic novel, and I really liked it. It was it was very interesting. And then they made this series on Netflix, so which I really like. So I'm going back and getting Umbrella Academy issues. And uh, so I have several of those that I plan on be reading here in the future. God damn it. Now, how did that cut off right there? By God, where am I at on my list? Luckily, I have a list still because that cut off on my IMDb. Uh, let's see. Where am I at? Umbrella Academy. Hang on, people. Umbrella Academy. Okay. I watched uh, the other day. These are some newer ones. I watched uh, on recommendation from Rolf uh, Arctic with Mickelson. So I guess that it did not save everything the way it should have when I rebooted. Um, But luckily I have my list here. Um, I thought this was really good. Uh, I like how it started out and I like how they just kind of put you right into it. Uh, with Mads, it doesn't really, I mean, you kind of figure it out on your own, what's going on and everything. Uh, I love Mads. I love just about everything that he's in, including Polar, which I still do not get the hate. It's like one of those ones, oh, they're trying to be a manufactured cult film or something. And, uh, but I thought that movie was so fucking entertaining. And I wondered, uh, I don't want to sound like I'm being, um, judgmental or, uh, 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 not rude, but um, what I was going to say is, is I wonder if people 
didn't get that it was supposed to be funny that, you know, all the comedy shit in it and how Mads, you know, how he acted and everything and the shit with the dog and stuff like that. It's a very dark comedy action movie. And I actually said that I liked it more than, uh, the last two John Wick movies for sure. Now, as compared to the first John Wick movie, uh, I really liked the first one. I liked the backstory with the wife, with the, the dog, and with his past. And I think, again, I think that the, the the last two, even though I don't think they they lost a lot of that, but I think Polar, um, there was only one of those. And it was based on a uh, graphic novel, I believe. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fucking funny. I thought it was outrageous. Um, I thought Mads just kind of deadpanning stuff and, and how he acted. And, um, I just really liked it. Now in Arctic, uh, this was a survival movie and I was always a big fan of those growing up as a kid, whether it was, you know, like a mountain man out in the wilderness or, uh, you know, a, a plane crash in the, in the mountains or where they have to eat the, you know, people or out in the desert or the Donner party that, you know, the, with the, um, you know, uh, being stuck out in the middle of nowhere and, uh, or even a uh, uh, fucking, um, first blood with Stallone, you know, that's kind of a, that's kind of a, uh, a survival kind of a thing where you're, he was out. And, and the, one of the big things is when he got out in the, in the forest and the cops are after him, him, adapting uh, using the stuff that he had learned in Vietnam and in special forces, eating things that would make a Billy go puke. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, so it's, it's kind of cool, uh, especially when the, when a person has a certain amount of skill at at least, you know, um, the one thing I liked about Mads was, um, well, number one, the, the, there's probably about four pages of dialogue in this entire fucking movie. If that maybe one, uh, so I thought that was kind of cool too. Um, I do see the point of some of the people that were saying how it kind of got towards the end, and I think it would it could have and would have been just as compelling uh, if um, a few of the things did not happen. Um, now I'm kind of torn. Um, with the ending, because I know there was some discussion about that, um, because it takes you on this ride, and I guess it just depends on what kind of person you are and what 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 you like, uh, whether it's sort of a spoon fed thing or or if it's something that's bleaker or dark or uh, it would uh, like you know you might say you you would have been um, happier had it not um, resolved in the way that it did. Um, I'm trying to think, I think it's Chad uh, and Rolf were having a discussion about that. And I, I, I can go either way on that because I was almost like you're, you're, you're with Mads and you're with him on his quest. And I think that's one thing that um, at the beginning uh, when – Thing, when when the circumstances were only um, the way they were at the beginning, uh, he was bright enough and um, realistic enough that he knew. Okay, I need to do this. I need to do this, and 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 um, 
I can I can um, overcome this by just doing what I need to do. And but then when the circumstances changed and he had other things on the line, then he it almost um, gave him something to that that drove him which in some ways may have helped him or may have hurt him hindered him but he he felt i think he got put in a situation where he felt like he didn't have a choice so i could see that i did think that well like i said i it's it's because i know a lot of people have not seen this yet but again with chad and uh rolf and their discussion and they came down to the ending um I could have went either way. If it would have went the Rolf way, I would have been like, holy shit. And I probably would have been sitting there going, Jesus Christ. You know, not in a bad way, in, 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 in an admirable way that they took that, that, uh, that they, they went that way with it. But in the, the, I think the way Chad was thinking, or maybe it's vice versa. I can't remember which one took which side. Um, I almost, in a way, I wanted the ending that they gave me, and it was almost like, now I can breathe, you know, kind of a, that kind of a deal. Um, so I really, I really did like it, and I and there's times I like movies. Every once in a while, movies come along that um, I'm moving my mic around. I hope I'm not making noise. Um, every once in a while, movies come around that are. Um, minimalistic uh as far as like dialogue and i like that where especially if it's if it's like one man out in the middle of nowhere against nature or something like that i mean you you don't you don't need dialogue you don't need for there to be a lot of talking i mean uh, you're seeing (coughs) you're the fly on the wall now maybe dr zom would be out there talking to himself because jesus christ i could just go on forever about anything um, but I really enjoyed that, and I thank Rolf for the recommendation. I thought it was really good, and I did recommend it to one of my friends. Um, I watched Dress to Kill, the Brian De Palma film. I, I was just talking about that just a few minutes ago. Um, I hadn't seen this in forever, and I think I'd only seen it maybe once. Once, maybe you know, once or twice, but uh, I think maybe once all the way through, but then just remember the Angie Dickinson part, you know. Um, I remember when it first came out and, you know, Angie Dickinson was this, was the hot chick. She was on police story. She was kind of like when I was talking about Joey Heatherton from, you know, like my dad's generation that they were like, uh, she played this, uh, on police woman. She played this, uh, female detective named Pepper. And she was so fucking hot because Angie Dickinson was a milf back in the, in the day. She was like one of the, like the first milf that was like a, a middle-aged woman that was just fucking hot as shit. She had this certain sexuality about her. Like, Oh my God, if it was your mom's, like one of your friend's moms or something, you're like, Oh my God. Um, but, um, I, even watching it now and I knew what was going to happen and I knew the reveal and everything I did like, of course, you know, it's, it's, uh, like, uh, uh, um, I think Rolf was saying a, an American or, a uh, uh, giallo. Uh, and I'm not usually a big fan of gialli. 
but um, I really like this one. Number one, uh, I think I, I did read, though, wasn't it a body double? Uh, at the time when it came out, everybody was like, oh, my God, Angie Dickinson showing everything, you know. But I think it was a body double. Um, but it didn't matter. <laughs> Trivia. In the Kate Miller, Angie Dickinson shower scene, a body double was used. Uh, when the movie first came out, the producers encouraged uh, the then 48-year-old Angie Dickinson to claim it was uh, the body was hers. However, it soon came out that it was actually Victoria Johnson. Okay, now i got to look up Victoria Johnson. Was she like a playboy? Victoria. Because I'm going to tell you, when that first came out and everybody thought that... Um, it was Angie Dickinson. They were at the, that he, that did actually even add to her, you know, hotness. Um, where in the hell is she? At? Oh, okay. Wait a minute. I know who that is. Nude. Party. Do you want to go? Party. We'll get funky there. Party. Drink a little wine. Have a funky time. I was listening to Casey in the Sunshine before. Okay, now who? Let's see. I think I know her. Wasn't she? Was she in North Dallas Forty? No, maybe not. Victoria Johnson. She was a penthouse pet. That's for sure. So anyway, she was hot. She had big boobies. Nom nom. Um. She was good in that movie. Oh, there's Victoria Principal nude. I, I'm, I'm going down the rabbit hole, Daddy-o. But um, uh, Angie Dickinson had appeared nude uh, before in movies. She was nude in uh, uh, Point Break with... Uh, Point Blank, I'm sorry, with Lee Marvin. And that was when she was a lot younger. Uh, but she they they kind of did a scene where she was uh, putting her clothes on and, and like behind the in the scene behind him or whatever. And you saw her titties and everything. And I think in this one, now the shower scene was, was uh, the body double was Victoria Johnson, but there was also another scene where it's clearly, cause they didn't have CGI or deep fake back then where um, Angie Dickinson is getting out of bed at the beginning. Uh, she, and, and uh, is putting, you know, stands up and pulls her dress up and you can see, but it's kind of far, a little bit more far away and in the background. Um, but anyway, I thought this movie was good. Now, I, I think that there was um, a little bit of, again, in the modern day when people talk about the uh, snowflakes and the um, um, PC culture or whatever, that some people uh, in the LBGTQ community uh, would, and I, I, th I think maybe not specifically about this movie, but I have heard people commenting on movies like this where they always at one point would um, um, uh, portray transgender people as being psychos or killers or whatever. What's it where you take Norman Bates where he's dressing up like his mother or um, someone who is a, a transvestite or a transsexual that they're you know back in the in older hollywood that obviously meant that there was something fucking wrong with them and you know they were psychos and everything and but um i still enjoyed the movie um and at first i was wondering when watching it since i knew who the killer was if how much it would ruin it for me and it really didn't because you you knew i mean especially when you got to a certain point in the movie and it's not all the way at the end i mean you knew what was going on 
because you got about three quarters of the way through and then they kind of, you know, let you know. Um, Because they were talking about the situation of the killer and then you didn't know who it was, but you knew that their their circumstance and their sexuality and everything. But then, of course, you you find out exactly who it is and everything. But um, I still thought it was interesting. Nancy Allen. Okay, Angie Dickinson got the fucking the coals burning at the beginning of the movie. But fucking Nancy Allen was so fucking hot in this. And it was her movie. Uh, people you can talk about Angie Dickinson. She was at, at the at the very beginning of the movie and she had a key pivotal role but uh really the nancy nancy allen was the star of the fucking movie you know michael kane you know he's a huge star and everything nancy allen was so fucking hot in this and uh she was hot in everything back then whether it was carrie or um fucking robocop you know that's when she became a milf um but um she was really good in this um, the guy I was going to look up and, um, I just came in here and started up. And like I said, now my IMDb is fucked up, but, uh, um, the guy that was in Christine and did De Palma. Uh, so again, I'm including you guys in the conversation and you're not even here, but I know that I think John Travolta actually did date Nancy Allen at one time, but I think De Palma didn't De Palma actually date her. Because it seems like he put her in some fucking movies. And not saying that she wasn't talented. Um, she was hot. And when she was seducing uh, fucking Michael Caine and she said, do you care if I take my coat off? I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> that was uh, that was porn worthy, uh, porn worthy movie. I did watch a porn movie too, so I'll talk about it here in a minute. Uh, for, the, for the Rolf and the porn fans. Okay. Now let's see Nancy Allen because I saw a picture of her and De Palma on a set, and it looked like they may have been more than just more than just friends. Yeah, she was. It says spouses. She was married to Brian De Palma, so maybe she wasn't dating. I thought she actually dated Travolta at one time, but maybe not. Um, let's see, daughter of a New York City police officer. Mm-hmm. First major role was. Uh, Brian De Palma's film adaptation of Carrie. Uh, Alan was subsequently cast as the lead in Robert Zemeckis's I Want to Hold Your Hand, uh, followed by Steven Spielberg's 1941, which me, like again, that movie, I admire all that was done with that movie, but it was still not, it was still not very good. Alan married De Palma in 1979, her subsequent portrayal of a call girl, uh, who witnesses a murder is featured in uh, Dress to Kill. That was a good movie. <laughs> That's the one I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, Philadelphia Experiment. Was that with Michael Pere? Because I think I reviewed that. Yes, Michael Pere. Wow. <laughs> I'll tell you, they've been showing on stars about every day. I'll, I'll have the TV on down in my basement. And I think about every three or four days, they show uh, Streets of Fire on stars. And the one that I wanted to watch, I discovered when I was looking up Nancy Allen the other night after I watched this movie, uh, that I want to watch is a, a movie I'd never heard of. And I'm a movie I think that I have never heard of, but I, that I probably saw because I was a Ken Wall fan. Uh, from when he was in um, um, The Wanderers and uh, the TV show Wise Guy. And uh, so at one time I was watching everything he was in, including Poop. 
And uh, this was actually supposed to be, it was made for the, the big screen, but it was uh, later cut, and or not later cut, it was never released on the big screen. It was released on TV, and it was called The Gladiator, and it stars Ken Wall, and um, it's an Abel Ferrara movie. That's one of the reasons that I was kind of like, holy shit. And I bet you five bucks if I watch this, I have seen it before. Uh, but I just forgot about it because it was on TV. But it uh, stars Ken Wall. He's the main guy. Uh, Nancy Allen. It also has uh, Stan Shaw, who I like, uh, who was in um, Snake Eyes with Nicolas Cage. But whose two biggest movies for me were um, uh, Boys from Company C and uh, The Great Santini. Uh, don't want to fight. War is hell, so we might as well make love tonight. Whoa, put down your gun. Let's have some fun by the moonlight. Hey, boy, why don't you get some of that whitewash on your black ass? <laughs> and then he goes over and just beats the fucking shit out of those guys. Uh, Washington, I want you to take those four fucking scumbags out there. Anyway, uh, Robert Culp is in it too, so he's usually pretty good. Pretty reliable, even though his movie career did not take off like it should have. Rick Dees. Is that the disco duck? Rick Dees is in this. <laughs> Look at me. I'm the disco duck. There was another. Um, what the fuck? Somebody posted. Because I know I didn't. Come, I forgot. It. Okay. Just speaking of Rick Dees. The guy, uh, Shadow Stevens. Didn't he take. Okay. Was it Casey Kasem? Was American Top 40, and did Shadow Stevens take his place? Shadow Stevens. Uh, because I forgot about that motherfucker, and then somebody posted a thing that he made a fucking like an action movie, and I thought that he was, yeah, nationally syndicated radio uh, host, and he did uh, American Top 40. That was probably after Casey Kasem left. But I didn't know that that son of a bitch fucking made a, uh, made a goddamn action movie. And he had, like, the fucking Mel Gibson, uh, like, you know, uh, uh, and it's spelled Shadow, S-H-A-D-O-E, Shadow. <laughs> but anyway, um, Shadow, um, he had hair on the poster of this movie like Mel Gibson had in the first uh, Lethal Weapon movie, which it was a stupid-looking haircut. Even back then it looked stupid. What the heck was that movie called? But it, it must not. Oh, he provided the voice for Doc Samson in The Incredible Hulk. Uh, it must have been the animated deal there. Uh, Kentucky Fried Movie. I kind of remember that. I don't even. We might have even reviewed. Loose Cannon. Max Monroe. Loose Cannon. Created by Dean Hargrove and Joel Steiger. Um, Shadow Stevens is Detective Max Monroe. Uh, Bruce A. Young as Detective Charles Evers. David Schram. Okay, these people, I don't even know who they are. But so they, 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 uh, let's see. The theme song was performed by Yellow. Who the fuck is Yellow? Quite rightly. <laughs> I don't know who the fuck Yellow is. Yellow is a Swiss electric duo band consisting of Dieter Meyer and Boris Blank. Those are kind of interesting names. Dieter... Yeah, a little Dieter learns to fly. And that was, uh, what's his face? That was a document, good documentary by um, Werner Herzog. And then Christian Bale played little Dieter. 
in the movie, which was fucking brutal, man. Talk about a survival movie. But Nancy Allen was she was just hot. She was hot. And then when she got older and she cut her hair and had the short haircut and became like a MILF, she was still hot. She looked like a school teacher, still hot. Uh, she's uh, 69 years old now. 69. <laughs> but she just turned 69, so she's not close to 70 yet. So get your dick in your pants. Anyway, I watched um, a movie called Scent of Heather. <laughs> okay, I'm a big fan of this uh, adult film star from the 70s, uh, Veronica Hart. And I just remember when I was a kid, um, in like a magazines uh, like my, either my dad had or when they would run the uh, little advertisement in the newspaper for the local drive-in theaters and stuff um they had the one drive-in that showed like um it was hardcore porn movies triple x but they would cut out any close-ups of penetration and no cum shots or whatever but they, so but back then you know porn movies were made like regular movies it was like uh burt reynolds and uh, boogie nights they were made for film and so they could do that and still you still knew it had a story and still see what's going on you couldn't cut up a goddamn fucking uh some of the shit they make today because it's like five minutes and all it is is fucking and close-ups and everything but anyway, Veronica Hart was this, I think she was the uh, one like best new actress or whatever at the time. And uh, she didn't look like, well, back then they, you know, porn stars don't look like they do now. Like Rolf said, I mean, they, they now it's just all fake boobs, fake ass, you know, tan, whatever and everything. Just kind of like a, the idea of what a, um, what a, a you know, a, a porn star should look like. Um, but she would look more like somebody that you would know, you know, but um I watched Scent of Heather, and it had um, – oh, God damn it. I didn't think I was actually going to have to talk about this. <laughs> but again, when you watch Boogie Nights and you see um, you see Burt Reynolds talking about, you know, especially when they did the part where they, they were switching over um, to – videotape and he was like man this sucks um he said i'm a i'm a director i'm a i'm a real artist i work on film and everything oh jesus christ now i'll probably want imdb has everything so i know they have this they have the people let's see okay there we go look at me i'm the disco duck disco Disco duck. Yeah, that funky mama. That's fucking awful, but, you know, it was a hit. Veronica Hart. Is that her? Nope, that ain't her. How many Veronica Hearts can you have? Her name was like Jane Hamilton or something in real life. Oh, lordy. Well, she might have been a maniac nurse, so maybe that's her. I don't think so, Johnny. Maniac nurses? Give me a fucking break. I guess IMDb is going to let me down, so I'm going to have to use another resource. <laughs> oh, maybe I didn't. It's because I didn't put an A in front of A scent of Heather. I just put scent of Heather. Anyway, okay, there it is. IMDb did not let me down. 1980, scent of Heather. This is one you need to check out. You can, X-Hamster 
um, the porn site actually has full run, like hour and a half, uh, full length classic adult films like this. And uh, stars Veronica Hart, Paul, T- and all these people, you know, are people that you're going to say, yeah, sure it does, because they were in every fucking movie. Veronica Hart, I think this might have been her first movie. Uh, Paul Thomas, uh, Vanessa Del Rio, Robert Kerman, who actually was Arbola. He's the one that was in, uh, like, Cannibal Holocaust, or I think. And he made, like, several movies like that, and people didn't know that he had been in a... Uh, in a porn movie. So they, he was getting, he was getting, uh, actual, um, mainstream work. And then, you know, they had that stigma. And when they fit, I think I saw in one of those, uh, after, after the porn or after porn documentaries that, uh, when, the, the people found out that he had made porn movies, they wouldn't use him. But then, like I said, you saw Sharon Mitchell and, uh, Jamie Gillis and in like Nighthawks and other movies and, um, um, Night of the Juggler and Serena was in um, Hardcore and 52 Pickup had uh, Amber Lynn and you know but that's the one thing because like Jamie Gillis and Sharon Mitchell when they were in like Night of the Juggler or um, Nighthawks they actually had speaking roles whereas like Amber Lynn or Serena Amber Lynn in 52 Pickup or Serena in uh, Hardcore they were just playing porn stars and like if they were the character went to the set of a porn they were making a porn filming it or something so they didn't really have anything to say uh who else is in this tracy adams i saw her live stripping and she was at the time uh very washed up and did not look very good at all like i was like i don't even want to give you a dollar <laughs> and my friend was talking to her and shit asking her about the hedgehog asking her about ron jeremy and she, she was up on stage and having like this conversation with my friend jim uh nicole sent uh who else but anyway the gist of this this actually had a story a girl leaves a girl leaves the nunnery and marries the gardener's son um just uh just for the money but before the couple consummate their marriage, she finds out that he's her half-brother. Okay, so basically that's kind of fucked up. Um, she, she didn't. I don't think she married the gardener's son. Um, her, Veronica Hart's this young girl, and she's living in a convent. And then um, they have an arranged marriage. Uh, she is the gardener's son. I, I believe. And then there you have this arranged marriage uh, where she was going to marry this boy that she had been friends with when they were little kids, all growing up. She thought it was like her friends. Well, it was her best friend. And then, so she hadn't seen him. She went to this convent and then they grew up. Well, then, and Paul Thomas is the, is Frederick, the, the boy, the one, the boy that grows up to be a man, they're going to get married. So she goes and then she's, she's going to get, and he's rich uh, and has all this money, this big, huge house and everything. Well, there she's never, she's a virgin because she was in a convent. So um, first of all, this uh, one, like, I think it was her aunt had to uh, decides that before her wedding night, she needed to teach her about sex. So that was pretty good. (laughs) And then they, and then they have like a flashback and the aunt tells a story. Uh, (laughs) But then, they're getting ready on their wedding night to have their first, you know, to consummate their marriage. And uh, right when Paul Thomas is getting ready to uh, put it to her and he hasn't put it in yet, 
uh, this guy knocks on the door and is like, sir, I need to speak to you right away. And he's like, go away. And the guy's like, but sir, it's very important. It says it's a matter of life. It's a, it's a message. It says it's a matter of life and death. And she's like saying, please just do me, you know, and everything. So he gets off over and he goes and he opens the letter. The guy leaves and they're in there. And uh, he starts reading the letter. And the letter says, you can't marry Heather because Heather is your sister. <laughs> I fucked uh, her mother or whatever. And, you know, she's really your sister. So they decide it's such a it's such a um, scandal. They can't tell anybody, but they can never have sex. And he makes her agree that they can never have sex. Um, and um, but they're they stay married. So then she's living, you know, she's with him and she's the wife and they're rich. And it's it's like in a, uh, I think sort of like a Victorian era kind of a thing. What the hell was that? <laughs> All the dogs are in here. I thought I'd put them outside. Um, so anyway, um, of course, you know, she's never had sex before. And I think they had done a little bit. They started to do shit. And, of course, like I said, her aunt fucking showed her some some of the ropes literally. And so now she's horny. Like she wants to, she wants to bang, you know? And, um, he decides that because, you know, she needs a man and he can't do anything he wants to, but he can't, uh, that he will set something up. And, uh, and then he is, you know, in the old, like Gilligan or Andy Griffith or something, they go in a haunted house and they'd have a picture on the wall and the eyes of the picture would slide over and they'd be holes. And he would get behind the picture and you'd see his eyes, and he was watching her. So he'd watch her get screwed and everything, and he'd jack all. Well, then he, because he, he lusted after her. He wanted her and everything, but he couldn't. So anyway, he'd just, like, jack off a lot, and he'd, and then, and, and he'd like, fuck the maids and, and do all this shit. Because he promised, I think they promised that they would not have sex with anybody. Because they loved each other, but they couldn't have sex. So they promised a vow of chastity. And uh, so then I think it goes from there. So I, don't, I know it's a porno, but I don't want to spoil it. But it's good. It's really good. <laughs> it's one of my, I forgot about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen this. This is really good. So anyway, watch Scent of Heather. It's on, like I said, X Hamster. A Scent of Heather. Uh, hmm, what else did I watch here? How much time we got? We already did one part of this. so uh, And I'm on two hours on this part. So it might be time to call it a day because I think when I stopped the other one, I was at an hour and a half or something anyway. Um, and I think I pretty much covered the list and we covered the porn that I watched and everything. And um, uh, I, oh, okay, uh, I didn't want to let you guys down because I know some of you asked some questions. So let's look here. Miguel, Miguel, ask a question. What do you ask? Okay, Zom. So you probably, I know you're a baseball fan. Okay, we already did the Mendoza line one because he said about, like, you know, that was an old one. Um, you know, the Mendoza thing is he only batted a certain amount. We had something else. I think he asked another question. Okay, that's the Mendoza line, voicemail. Here's one. Zom, are you still into the current roster of wrestlers at either the WWE or indie or international levels? I know you watch a lot of old matches on YouTube. Do you watch current WWE? If you're not watching on YouTube, where are you watching? Who are your current favorites? Um, if any, 
who are your all-time favorites? Did you ever think of doing a wrestling podcast? And also, how the heck did you get interested in wrestling uh, into the wrestling Facebook group you keep mentioning? Thanks, Zom. Uh, you're getting back into wrestling recently, so I appreciate your feedback. Okay, hang on a second, because I'm going to let these dogs out, and then I'm going to answer the question. Dig it! Okay, I am back. I went and put the dogs out. Chief is so old now that I actually literally picked him up and took him outside. He has a hard time getting up. He's 16 years old now, and he stumbles around a lot and sometimes falls down. And um, he, he gets around once he gets up and gets moving, but... Uh, He's very old. It's like uh, having a 98-year-old person living with you. Um, Okay, now, as far as the current WWE, I like, like, that Becky Lynch, and I like some of the girl stuff uh, that she's doing in Charlotte Flair. I don't watch it, like, um, real closely. If I watch anything, I watch it on um, YouTube. I don't watch uh, Raw or SmackDown. I just catch parts of it. Um, I literally despise the fact that Shane McMahon is all over the TV. I see WWE literally making the same mistakes that uh, promotions have made for like the past fucking 50 years uh, on like uh, Twitter. Anytime they show something about Shane McMahon, you know, I put on that he is the, uh, ooh, I had a hair in my nose. Uh, George Goulas of 2019. And what I mean by, you know, Nick Goulas was um, a promoter in Tennessee and Kentucky. And um, his son, George, uh, he was a like a, a, I think, a fairly decent basketball player at uh, like high school and maybe college level. And because his dad was the um, was the promoter. Um, he always wanted to be a wrestler. So, uh, Nick, the dad, uh, pushed him to be, you know, a star. And, um, he teamed up with, uh, Bobby Eaton, who was in Midnight Express and they had this team called the Jet Set. And I actually saw George Goulas, uh, back in the day because Nick Goulas and the Sheik, who was, uh, this promoter, well, he was one of the greatest heel wrestlers of all time, the original Sheik. Uh, but his real name was Eddie Farhat, and he was from Williamson, um, uh, Michigan, and he ran the territory was out of Detroit, Detroit's big-time wrestling. And that's what we got when I was a little kid for the longest time. You had Detroit's big-time wrestling, which was the the Sheik, and um, let's see, you had like um, the Sheik and Bulldog Don Kent were two of the, the big heels, uh, and Bulldog Don Kent was one part at one time of the Fabulous Kangaroos with Al Costello. And they had a manager, George Crybaby Cannon. And um, then uh, other tag teams you had there was uh, the Stomper and Ben Justice. And the Stomper ended up being um, Guy Mitchell, who was Jerry Valiant of the Valiant Brothers. Um, then um, I'm trying to think who else. You had Bobo Brazil. The, the big baby faces were Bobo Brazil. And um, like uh, Mark Lewin, this was before he was Maniac Mark Lewin or the Purple Haze. He was Captain Mark Lewin, the the captain of the People's Army, you know. And um, I'm trying to think, Bull Curry uh, and his son, Flying Fred Curry. Bull Curry was a bad guy and teamed with the Sheik. And then he became a good guy when his son started, Flying Fred Curry. Um, And Pompero Furpo, Abdullah the Butcher, Mighty Igor was a big guy. 
with his manager, uh, Ivan Kamelkoff, was a big baby face there. Hank James, big money Hank James, uh, Sailor Art Thomas. Um, you had like Ernie Ladd was there at times, um, Dick the Bruiser. He, Dick the Bruiser and the Sheik had like a promotional war because Dick the Bruiser was out of Indianapolis and, and he was the promoter there with Wilbur Snyder, WWA. Um, and they were separate from the NWA, but they still kind of got along with them, I guess. And, um, but they ran Indianapolis, but they also ran uh, the Olympia in um, um, Detroit, and that's where the Red Wings played. But the Detroit territory was kind of split because Detroit, uh, uh, the Sheik ran Cobo Hall. And so then they had a promotional feud, but then when the promotional feud, it was kind of like uh, Jerry Lawler. Uh, and and Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler's promotion against the Poffos, which was Randy Savage and Lanny Poffo and Angelo Poffo, they had that feud over um, that territory. And then when it resolved, then Savage went and worked with Jerry Lawler and everything. Well, that's sort of how that was. Uh, they finally made up, and Dick the Bruiser and the Sheik had this big feud, which sold out all over the place. And... Uh, so I grew up with that. I'm trying to think of anybody else that was. Uh, that's the first when I used to watch the Funks, uh, Terry, and because for the longest time Terry and Funk and Dory Funk Jr., who were like two of my all-time favorite wrestlers ever, even to this day, but they were good guys. They were fighting Abdul the Butcher and fighting the Sheik and uh, and those guys in Detroit, and they were the big baby faces. Well, I think I saw somewhere where it was one of their relatives actually was in worked behind the scenes it was like in the sheik's promotion or was like a part owner or something so they were going up there to help the sheik you know draw and be big and the sheik also uh not only was in detroit but he came down west virginia which is where i'm from ohio and uh up into toronto he worked really closely with um um the tunnies up there uh and actually after a certain point he was the booker in toronto so you would always see in Toronto, uh, the Sheik had this big um, um, win streak where he hadn't lost in Toronto. I think the first time he lost maybe was against Andre the Giant, and he had n- hadn't lost forever. But he was always the United States heavyweight champion, the Sheik. And what was funny was his belt, if you saw the U.S. championship belt that Ric Flair had in Mid-Atlantic, that belt, the exact same belt, it looked the same. Because um, I think Reggie Parks made all the belts, this old wrestler. Well, he wasn't old then, but he made all the belts. Well, you had a U.S. champion there. You had a U.S. champion in San Francisco. You had a U.S. champion in Mid-Atlantic in Detroit. Um, and those belts looked the same. And it always confused me because at one point, uh, being in West Virginia, we were kind of in the middle, and it was sort of a no-man's land. I think Ace Freeman ran it, was a promoter at one time, way back in the day. Cause I remember like Don Fargo and, uh, talking about going down there and wrestling and everything, but it was kind of that, uh, Ohio, uh, and, uh, West Virginia were sort of like, um, it just depended on where you were at in West Virginia, because if you were up in like Wheeling and where I live now, you got WWWF, which later became WWF and WWE. Now the McMahons. And, um, I remember seeing like newspaper ads and stuff where, 
like Killer Khan wrestled like Andre the Giant or Ivan Putsky or something in the local armory right around here. And then we also got a lot of independent wrestling. We got the and we at one time we got Mid Atlantic. And that's what I was gonna say because you'd see Ric Flair or Blackjack Mulligan or Paul Jones or whoever, uh Rick Steamboat would be the US champ and it would look like this it was the exact same belt as the one the Sheik had, but it was different territories. And um so we got, when I first started watching, I just remember somebody asked on one of these wrestling groups at one time, what's your biggest moment or the, the moment that you were just like, the greatest moment as far as all the time you watch wrestling. And it was, they started showing on Detroit's Big Time Wrestling, which came on at 1 o'clock p.m. every Saturday afternoon um, from All Japan Wrestling. It was this tag team tournament. And uh, it was the uh, Giant Baba, Shohai, Giant Baba, and Jumbo Taruta were one tag team. They had Mel Mascaris and his brother Dos Karras. Uh, they had Terry Funk and Dory Funk Jr., Abdul the Butcher and the Sheik, and I think like um, Horst Hoffman and um, maybe Billy Robinson. I can't remember. Because Horst Hoffman later teamed up. He was a German guy who I think he, they said he got arrested at one point for like diamond being a diamond thief or something. Uh, but he teamed up with Baron von Raschke in AWA, and he was a German. But he, he was a he was a real life shooter. Like he had real amateur skills, which Baron von Raschke did too. Everybody thinks you know Baron von Raschke, the ball headed guy, made ugly faces and did the, the claw when you feel the wrath of the Baron and the claw. I saw Baron von Raschke. He wrestled in Detroit. And he also wrestled in Mid-Atlantic because uh, when I first started, when we when we first started getting Mid-Atlantic, uh, it was, I just remember my first match that I, I remembered seeing uh, was uh, Paul Jones and uh, number one, Paul Jones and Wahoo McDaniel, Chief Wahoo McDaniel against the Mongols who were managed by Professor Boris Malenko. And Professor Boris Malenko had went by, like, the great Malenko or Boris Malenko. He had been a heel for a long time. And in Florida, he was a heel, and he was also a babyface. He wrestled, like, the, when he was a babyface down there, he wrestled Dusty Rhodes in this Russian chain match. And it was in the magazines. Uh, they showed Malenko, and he's all bloody, and, and he was, like, almost unconscious on the mat. And the, the headline in the magazine was, well, wake up, Boris, you won. You know, he was wrestling Dirty Rhodes before Dirty Rhodes became the American dream. And... um but that was Dean Malenko, who is now a um, behind-the-scenes, you know, not a booker, but uh, like a road agent for WWE, and he wrestled in um, WCW. Dean Malenko's dad was Professor Boris Malenko, or the Great Malenko, and their actual name, his name was um, uh, Larry Simon. Dean Malenko was, um, you know... Uh, well, was, I don't know if it's, was it is it Dean Simon? But I mean, I know his brother was Joe Malenko, is Jody uh, Simon, and um, but anyway, those uh, I think the the Mongols were on their way out of the territory. They had been tag team champions, and Wahoo McDaniel and um, Paul Jones were wrestling them on TV, and Boris Malenko always wore this helmet. Uh, at that time when he was managing the Mongols and it looked like, like a, a helmet, like a jet fighter pilot wears. And, um, it was to protect himself, I guess, against like Wahoo's chops or something. So Wahoo and, um, Paul Jones were beating the fuck out of the Mongols and they took the helmet off of, 
uh, Boris Malenko. And I just remember, I think, um, I think Wahoo was beating the fuck out of them and they were hitting them with a helmet. And then Paul Jones was taking the helmet and smashing it against the turnbuckle or the, uh, the, the ring post. So then the Mongols were gone. Paul Jones at the time was in a feud with Black Jack Mulligan, who was big heel, and uh, over the United States Heavyweight Championship. And then, I'm trying to think. Also, at that time, Greg Valentine and Ric Flair had a big feud with Wahoo McDaniel. Paul Jones had a big feud with Black Jack Mulligan for the U.S. title. And then, um, and the big tag team there was Ole and Gene Anderson, and they were heels. And they were cousins of Ric Flair. Well, then Ric Flair started teaming up with Greg Valentine. And then they ended up going against, they were so good that they said, well, we want a title shot. And they were both teams were heels. So they said, we want a title shot. So they ended up wrestling. Ole and Gene, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, wrestled Greg Valentine and Ric Flair. And it culminated in this big match. And like I said, Flair was their the Anderson brothers' cousin. But they ended up injuring uh, Gene Anderson and hurt his neck real bad. And then uh, Blackjack Mulligan, they won the world tag team titles. They injured Gene. And um, Valentine wanted to put both Ole and Gene in the hospital and Flair told him no because they were his cousins and they were going to give him one more chance. And I mean, Blackjack Mulligan came in and helped him. So it was Flair, Mulligan, and Valentine were kind of like a cabal. And so they beat the fuck out of him. So then Ole had to go and find a tag team partner because Gene was hurt. And so he got Wahoo McDaniel. And I had this all on cassette tape because I taped it, you know. And uh, I'm trying to think who else I uh, – Tiger Conway Jr., Dino Bravo was there, and he was teaming up with Mr. Wrestling, Tim Woods. Um, Rick Steamboat was just starting, and Flair hated Steamboat because all the girls liked him. And it was like a contrast. Flair had, like, blonde hair and was a big loudmouth, and Steamboat was real um, uh, humble, and he was a big white meat baby face, but he was a young guy. Um, trying to think who else. Anybody else was there. But Wahoo McDaniel was, like, my favorite. Wahoo, Paul Jones, Terry Funk, probably my three big favorites of all time. Uh, we also, at one point we got ICW, which was, cause it was, like I said, West Virginia was kind of the Sheik's territory was starting to go down. So like I said, mid Atlantic came up, mid Atlantic ran, um, South Carolina, North Carolina and Virginia. And then they started going up into Southern West Virginia, which is like Beckley and, um, Charleston and that area, that's like where Matewan and uh, the Hatfields and McCoys took place. But if you hear Jim Cornette talking about like when Smoky Mountain Wrestling, they would wrestle in the southern part of West Virginia, it'd be like Beckley, and you'd hear him talking about how the rednecks down there, they try and stab you and everything else, a bunch of old coal miners and everything. And so you had WWWF in Wheeling up around the Pittsburgh area because uh, Wheeling uh, and Morgantown are up around the Pennsylvania border. And, uh, like, I live right now about an hour and a half from Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh was a big WWWF town. And that was actually Bruno San Martino ran that promotion for WWF for a long time. And Ohio, which, like, where my mom and dad lived, and that's where I went to high school, was in West Virginia, but it was right on the Ohio River. So you just go right across the bridge and you were in Ohio. That was 
run by the Sheik for a long time, but it was sort of like a no man's land too. And Johnny Powers started a promotion called NWF. And so they got that, and um, Johnny Powers, they had, um, oh, um, Pedro, uh, well, Johnny Powers owned that one, but I think Pedro Martinez, or Pedro Martinez, was, uh, Johnny Powers always said that was his spiritual guru and helped him with um, learning business and everything like that. And that one had, and that's another thing, Greg Valentine's dad, Johnny Valentine, was, he's like a legendary uh, wrestler, like one of the greatest of all time. And he was one that got in a plane crash with Ric Flair, David Crockett, Bob Bruggers, and then the pilot, uh, which was like a just a charter pilot guy. And Johnny Valentine got paralyzed. So... He was wrestling in Mid-Atlantic, and him and Wahoo had this great feud. Wahoo McDaniel, the chief, uh, had this great feud, hard-hitting feud. Well, Valentine got paralyzed from the waist down. He had been the U.S. champion in Mid-Atlantic, but he was also U.S. champion at one time in the Sheik's territory because him and the Sheik had a feud. And, one, and the Sheik would throw a fireball. He had this, uh, like, flash paper, and they'd say, well, the Sheik can magically throw a fireball. And if he was getting his ass beat like somebody was actually going to beat him and just pummel on him, he would fucking somehow come up with this fucking throw this fireball. Lawler did it after the Sheik had done it. But he'd throw a fireball in their face, and then he would get disqualified, and the guy would get burned. Like, he did that to... Um, did it to Bull Curry. He did a bunch of people. Bull Curry, Johnny Valentine, uh, Tony Marino. He did it to Tony Marino. And Tony Marino was this guy, looked like almost like a bodybuilder. He had a real good physique. and um, But he was losing his hair. He had he had real long hair. And he did a big comb over. But then when his hair was falling out. So he, would, he had this comb over. Well, the comb over eventually was going away. And he was looking like shit. And so... He, um, when the sheik threw the fire in his face, the gimmick was that it burned him so bad that he would have to wear a mask because he had burns all over his face. Well, then he was wrestling as a baby face because he was always a baby face, a nice guy. And, but when he would wrestle on TV in a match, if the, the jobber guy that he was wrestling, uh, would punch him in the face under the mask, it hurt him so bad that it made him go nuts. And so then he started going crazy and he became a heel. But the reason really was is that he would wear a mask is because he he uh, is he was going bald, and so he would just wear a mask. And he came back. He wrestled one time on like Georgia Championship Wrestling when we started getting that on cable. They had this guy come in. Is like it wasn't Blue Demon, but it was something like that. And uh, nobody knew who he was. And he had these real good matches with Ronnie Garvin, Hands of Stone, on TV. And they were like, "Who the fuck is this?" Well, it was Tony Marino. But anyway, so. The funny thing I was going to say about the fire, him throwing the fire, he threw the fire in the face of like Andre the Giant. That's how he Andre could never beat him because Andre would be beating the living shit out of him because he was so big. But then the Sheik threw a fireball in his face in Toronto, and that's how he didn't lose. They could keep the, the winning streak going. But he threw fire in the face of uh, Bull Curry and threw fire in the face of Johnny Valentine, and they both came back in like the next matches and they would wear a mask that was made out of asbestos. So this is before they knew asbestos caused cancer and everything. So they would have an asbestos mask on to thwart the lunatic sheik. Because the sheik, when he first started, he was wrestling as like an Arab guy. But as his character evolved, he just they would say he would put himself in a trance. And he would like be a nut. He was like a psychopath. He would use like a... 
uh, for an object like Abdullah the butcher does. He'd pull this like a uh, taped up fucking pencil or piece of metal and he'd cut the guy's foreheads up. All his matches would be bleeding. The sheik had like big scars all over his forehead. He'd bite the fucking guys. He put them in the camel clutch and he wouldn't let it go. Like I said, throw fire in their face or whatever. He was like a nut. He'd roll his head back in his eyes. He was on TV one time and uh, they got the camera. He had some guy in a, fucking camel clutch or something and this great big glop of slobber he let it fall out of his mouth while he was rolling his eyes back in his head and they got kicked off fucking tv because it was so gross i remember i was a kid i watched that and i fucking gagged so bad i thought i was gonna vomit and then like the next so many weeks they weren't on anymore because they took them off you know so anyway um the asbestos mask, that kind of shit. You know, especially when you're young, you suspend disbelief. It's like, and Abdullah the Butcher at that time, he was only like 300 pounds. Well, later he got up to over 400 and he was just this giant like behemoth. But I mean, he was pretty. I And then there was a guy, King Curtis Iakea. Um, I remember watching King Curtis wrestled a match against Mark Lewin in Cobo Hall. And they showed the, the highlights of it on TV. And it scared me. I mean, it literally, I had nightmares because King Curtis was sort of like a, almost like an Abdullah the Butcher type of uh, bad guy. He was real big and he was big, heavy guy, but he had hair like Bruiser Brody. This was before Bruiser Brody. He had real long hair and a, and a, and a beard, uh, like a mustache or a beard, but he was nuts and he had big, giant, gnarly scars all over his forehead. And he had Mark Lewin outside the ring in the chairs where the people sat the people scattered and Mark Lewin was bleeding like his head was fucking bleeding and King Curtis was biting him and stabbing him with a foreign object and Mark Lewin was convulsing like he was like fucking shaking like he was convulsing and I literally had fucking nightmares about that for I don't know how long uh, because you thought like back then like when you had people like Charles Manson and his followers going and hacking people like stabbing Sharon Tate like 50 times and Wojciech Fikowski and Jay Sebring and uh, Abigail Folger and the, and the, uh, the, um, Lo Bianca, uh, Lino and Rosemary Lo Bianca. And you saw in the newspaper that they had stabbed them, you know, 60 times and they were going to cut Sharon Tate's baby out and they put a noose around her neck and they stuck a fork in, uh, Lino Lo Bianca's stomach and carved the word war or pig or whatever in his stomach and all that. Then you saw this. It was like, you know, you thought literally, well, literally, no, literally there were people out there that were insane on drugs that were carving people up like they were just fucking meat. And it, and so then you had that. That's like when people talk about uh, the movie Threads or The Day After and they say, oh, I watched that. It wasn't that big deal. You had, if you you had to put yourself in the time that we were living in where you thought at any minute the Soviet Union could press the fucking button and we would be at an all-out nuclear war and that uh, mutual annihilation and they would have the kids get under the desk and go through these drills. And you had that with the Cuban Missile Crisis actually it coming to that level or in Berlin when the tanks all went, you know, on both sides, uh, you know, confronted each other and you thought, okay, this is going to be World War III. It's going to be the mutual annihilations because you had already seen uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima and all the horror that, you know, these people getting burned alive and dying of cancer and all this stuff. So you had that in your mind. So when you were watching the day after on TV or then later on, you saw the, the movie threads um, nowadays, it's like, it's like when people that watch horror movies now and they say, ah, you know, I, I watched this. It wasn't that big of a deal. Well, 
maybe it was because we were so much more naive and we didn't see stuff like that as much. But you had just like uh, your 6 o'clock news and your 11 o'clock news. You read the newspaper and you saw like Charles Starkweather going around and him and uh, uh, Carol Ann Fugate going around fucking murdering people. Uh, you had uh, Ed Gein or you had uh, um, the fucking the Manson family or, uh, um, you know, um, uh, what the hell was the fucker that went around and killed all those nurses and shit. Um, well, you had Son of Sam and that kind of stuff, but also... Um, you know, just things like that. And it was horrific. And, and now, you know, you see so much stuff. And plus, like the Vietnam War and, um, again, with the Russians and, and uh, with the nuclear weapons like Planet of the Apes, the, the beneath the, the first Planet of the Apes, you know, you went it, you did it, you fucking maniacs, you know. And then uh, beneath the Planet of the Apes and the end of that. I remember when Charlton Heston hit the thing at the end of Planet of the Apes and the, the screen, they did that special effect where they were showing that the nuclear, the doomsday bomb went off and everything. Or at the end of um, Failsafe, you know, I am the matador, you know, and all that stuff. It just chilled you to the bone. Or The Exorcist, you know, people watch it now, oh, The Exorcist isn't that bad. But you had to put yourself in the mindset of that time. Now religion is kind of, you know, you see through it and see if, see it for what it is and, uh, to a lot of people. Now, so some people, you know, are still believers and everything, but I'm just saying uh, with information and with technology and everything, um, it's easier to disbelieve. But back then when you were a kid and you were raised in the church and even my parents who were raised all their lives uh, to go to church every Sunday and they were drilled in their head, you're going to hell and there's demons and there's angels and all this stuff. And then you go see the exorcist and, and you had never seen anything like that before. Now people see that shit all the time. You can watch it every day if you want to. Uh, but back then nobody had seen anything like the exorcist before. As I said before, nobody had seen anything like Planet of the Apes. When when Star Wars first came out, it was like, holy shit, look at this. You know, you had seen special effects that were cheesy and shitty from like 50s or 60s uh, uh, sci-fi movies, which I look back and still love some of them because uh, they did the best they could with what they had. And it was admirable. But when Star Wars first came out and they showed the the lightsabers and the and the, the you know, the blasters, I was going to say ray guns or, or uh, whatever, phasers. Uh, but even Star Trek, the TV show, was nothing compared to um, Star Wars in 1977. But people forget, before Star Wars, Planet of the Apes, when that first came out, we were like, holy fucking shit, look at that makeup. And that's all you saw was like how how they did the the apes and how they made it look so real. Because before that, you just had like James Arness and the thing, you know, or the mummy where it's just wrapped up or, or Boris Carl. Yeah. You had, you had great uh, makeup artists before with, with uh Phantom of the Opera and Lon Chaney and Lon Chaney Jr. And, and uh, Frankenstein and stuff like that uh, creature from the black lagoon, but it was nothing compared to at the time planet of the apes. And also the, the social commentary that was going on at the time planet of the apes and, and the fear that people had with a lot of this stuff. So anyway, wrestling, you know, I, I follow, it's funny because at one time when loaf and I went, we were going to this, um, wrestling convention in Charlotte and they, it was a mid Atlantic wrestling convention. And so, you know, flair might be there, Barry Windham, um, I guess see Rick Steamboat, Paul Jones, Jimmy Snuka, uh, Paul Orndorff, uh, Vader was there, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I'm trying to think of other people that we saw. 
uh, and talked to um, I talked to Les Thatcher, who was a great wrestler and became a commentator. Uh, I can almost go around the room. Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, uh, Bobby Fulton uh, from the Fantastics. Um, I'm trying to think who else that was there. Um, like Road Warriors, Rick and Scott Steiner, uh, Tully Blanchard, uh, um, Tessa Blanchard. Loaf and I were sitting in a Q&A, which was a Q&A for Tully Blanchard and Magnum TA. Uh, they did a Q&A about their famous I Quit match. And we're sitting in these chairs, and this girl is sitting right in front of us. Now, the whole place is – it's like when you go to a uh, a movie, uh, like a horror hound or something like that. Greater majority of the people are guys. And, uh, well, wrestling is way back because there's a lot more girls at, the, at like, horror hound and, and the movie conventions. But at the wrestling conventions, it's 90-some percent, 95 to 98% guys. And here's this young girl – very attractive young girl and another girl sitting right in front of us. And we also were on the elevator with her. It was me and loaf Tessa Blanchard, a pizza guy and another girl. And we didn't know who she was. And we're like, Hey, fuck, look at, there's a fucking good looking girl. I wonder who that is. Well, then when Tully and Magnum were talking during their Q and a, uh, um, Tully said, you know, I want to introduce you my, my daughter, Tessa, she's training to be a pro wrestler. And it was her. She was st- sitting right in front of us in the folding chairs. Not like, I mean, like one, not one row. I mean, like the row right in front of us. She stood up and waved her. Well, she, her and precious Paul Ellering's daughter, I think Rachel Ellering, had a match that night because they had matches. Uh, and they were green as grass. Now, of course, Tessa's becoming like a big star in, I think, TNA. And she's on Twitter and everything. And she's way bigger than what she was then. I mean, she looked like she weighed about 120 pounds then. And uh, this was only, you know, maybe four or five years ago. But she's coming on and doing her thing. Um, and what's funny about, well, not funny, but um, she's, Tessa is Tully's daughter, Magnum is Tessa's stepdad because Tully and his wife that he was married to, you know, they had Tessa. Well, then Tully and his wife split up and she married Magnum T.A. And it's it's kind of funny because they had such a feud, you know, the the legendary I quit match. Then Magnum was in that car wreck and uh, got paralyzed and everything. But he was there and he was really nice. Everybody was really nice. Um I think Barry Windham kind of was a disappointment because he's not like a real people person. And so, you know, I, I know Loaf said that Barry Windham is like his favorite wrestler and he didn't hardly say two fucking words to, to us. You know, uh, I tried to make conversation with him. Uh, I got to talk to Ken Patera, Steamboat. I talked to a whole shitload of people. I got, I talked to JJ Dillon for probably 45 minutes and Loaf took a picture while I was talking to, you know, talking about music more than wrestling. Um, and um, I'm trying to think of any other big ones. But, again, the NWF that um, Johnny Powers had in Ohio, he was in, like, Buffalo, New York, and the northern part of New York, and then he was in Ohio, and and he ran out of Cleveland. They had a big show there at, um, I think, the Cleveland Baseball Stadium, and they had a, a um, three-ring show. So the entire card... You had three rings going on at the same time. All three rings had matches going on at the same time. He said it was just something that he just wanted to try. And Jesus Christ, there must have been fucking 50, 50 wrestlers on the card. You had like 
Waldo Von Erich, Abdullah the Butcher, uh, Ernie Ladd. That was a big match, uh, famous match from that card was uh, Ernie Ladd against Abdullah the Butcher. Uh, the big main event was Johnny Valentine against um, Johnny Powers, you know, Mighty Igor. There was a whole shitload of fucking guys that he brought from all over. They had a really good, um, had a, a shitload of really good wrestlers that wrestled there. Then that shut down and became, uh, uh, um, Johnny Powers ended up selling that promotion to Antonio Inoki, who was running New Japan and owned and ran New Japan in Japan. And um, um, Anoki wanted that uh, kind of gravitas or that um, it gave him some more legitimate uh, credentials. Um, so he sold the company to Johnny Power, sold the company to Antonio Anoki. They came over here and they had a big match. Uh, I think the match might have been in Japan. Because uh, they tried to have Anoki come over here and wrestle, and he wrestled it. Because at that time in the sixties and seven fifties, sixties and seventies, if you were Japanese and you wrestled in America, you were a heel. And Giant Baba and Anoki um, came over to L.A. and um, and also in N.W.F. and um, they were baby faces, but the crowd didn't know how to take it. They wanted to to boo them. But they were portrayed and they wrestled as baby faces. Well, so anyway, Antonio Inoki bought the company from Johnny Powers and he wanted to kind of milk Johnny Powers of his knowledge of the wrestling business behind the scenes with the business part, but also the booking part and everything. And so they had a big match and Inoki won the NWF championship and that was their world title. And then for the longest time, that was the, the world title over there. And then that turned into IWGP, I think, championship, which I think they still have today. And uh, like Tiger Jeet Singh and uh, Inoki had a big feud and everything. But I know Johnny Powers said once uh, Inoki kind of milked him of all his knowledge of booking and uh, of the behind the scenes, how to pay, what percentage to pay, how to book the territory and everything. Then he kind of just kind of sh- let him go. And he kind of he kind of was um, um, bitter about that a little bit. But then he said, hey, you know, Anoki's a businessman. He goes and he Powers was a renaissance man before his time. He not only wanted to do wrestling, but uh, like I said, doing those big mega shows with the three rings. That was way before WrestleMania or anything like that. Uh, but also he ran, he, he was one of the first people that started up a, like a fitness center, not only a, a weightlifting gym, but that had like Nautilus and that had racquetball courts and all kinds of stuff like that. He was a big thing with uh, TV, uh, being involved with television. And then after that, he and, um, the, uh, Eddie Einhorn, who was the owner of the Chicago White Sox. And I think he was involved in college, big time college basketball on TV. He's like a billionaire. He got in with Johnny Powers and Pedro Martinez and they started IWA and IWA. You saw a lot of, they were like one. Okay. Well, when they talk about Vince was the first one to go national. Well, that's kind of bullshit because Fred Kohler had wrestling out of Chicago on the Dumont network back in the fifties. And it was national. Hell, my dad who lived in West Virginia knew who Vern Gagne was and knew who all these different wrestlers were. Cause 
the Dumont network was when TV first started and on TV, they were dying for content. Now, you know, now you have 500 and some channels back then. Uh, the biggest thing on TV was like baseball and, um, baseball, boxing and pro wrestling. And, um, you know, like if Luthez was the champion, it was NWA and, you know, Dick, the bruiser, Antonino Rocca, killer Kowalski, uh, Yukon Eric. Um, I'm trying to think who else Vern Gagne was huge star because he was legit. He was a legitimate, he was a Olympic on the U S Olympic team. He's an alternate on U S Olympic team. He was a national, um, NCAA wrestling champion and he was a big football star at Minnesota. And then, um, I'm trying to think who else were big stars back then, but the midgets, of course, like sky low, low. And then you had some women like, uh, um, Judy Grable, Ella Waldeck. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that were just legendary. Mula back then. Mula was a little bit after. Um, but again, you had all these 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 wrestlers that that had already been a national thing. Well, then it kind of, it, it wrestling goes up and down, so it went away, uh, and they were off the Dumont Network. I think D- Dumont Network became like WGN, maybe. I think that's what it is now. Uh, but then the next wrestling that went national iwa started up and they were competing like i said nwf was uh the northern part like buffalo new york and in ohio but when johnny powers and eddie einhorn he had all that money from eddie einhorn uh and him and pedro martinez uh started iwa they were going national and they were out of north carolina competing with uh, the Crockett promotion, but they were also, they had uh, matches like um, their big champion was Mil Moscaris, and uh, he was the world champion, IWA world champion, and then uh, D- Dick the Bulldog Brower was their U.S. champion, and that belt looked like the one that the Sheik had and looked like the one Ric Flair had. Uh, and they had like the Love Brothers. Um, big match that they had up in New York was Mil Moscaris against Ivan Koloff because Koloff and Superstar Graham had been blackballed um, by WWF and and Vince McMahon. Actually, even though Vince McMahon had started senior, Vincent J. McMahon had started his own, branched off when um, Thez beat, Lou Thez was NWA champion, or Buddy Rogers was. Uh, and Buddy Rogers got beat by Lou Thez and Vince McMahon senior Thez did not draw in the New York area. So he said, well, I'm going to start my own promotion. He had been a member of NWA and he said, I'm going to start my own promotion and call it the WWWF worldwide wrestling federation. But they weren't a, they didn't call it like when Bruno San Martino or buddy Rogers was WWWF champion they would say you're WWWF champion. They wouldn't say WWWF world champion because even though Vince McMahon senior, he's not senior, he's Vince J and the guy now is Vince K. Um, even though he ran WWWF or capital sports or whatever, he was still a member of NWA. And that's the same way with Vern Gagne. He, he, uh, they had Thez wrestled, was NWA champion, wrestled Edward Carpentier. 
And I think Carpentier won the match, but it was kind of like a dusty finish kind of a deal where Carpentier won the match. But um, then they said, well, you know, Thez is really still the champ. But then Vern said, you know, this is bullshit. And him and Wally Carbo. Um, Vern was like one of the biggest stars in wrestling. And so they started up their own promotion, which was AWA, American Wrestling Association, which was out of Minnesota, Denver, San Francisco, and ran out in the Midwest. But they were huge. And so, but they still, when they had the NWA conventions, people always thought it was AWA and WWF or WWF against the NWA. Well, when they had the conventions every year, Vern Gagne and the AWA were at the convention. They worked with the NWA. WWWF was there. And they they were still members of NWA. What it was was those guys. Um, um, there were several promoters that, um, when they had a falling out with the National Wrestling Alliance, which was a cabal, almost like the mafia. You had the five families here, and then a family in Chicago, and a family the uh, Eileen Eaton and uh, out in Los Angeles, Vern and Wally Carbo, and then in Texas you had. Uh, uh, Fritz von Erich, or or b- even before that, Morris Siegel, or whoever, or Dory Funk Jr., uh, Paul Bosch, and everything, uh, Eddie Graham, or uh, uh, or Doc Sarpolis down in Texas, and Eddie Graham, or uh, Cowboy Luttrell, and Duke Kiyomuka, or whoever in Florida, the Crockett's up there in uh, Mid Atlantic, the Sheik, and Dick the Bruiser, and everything. But they the reason that they they still worked with the NWA, it's like Dick the Bruiser, and um, um, had his own promotion, Vince. Jay McMahon had his own promotion. Uh, they all had their own promotions. And even though they said they weren't members of the NWA, they still worked with them and they still really were. It was a way of getting around a monopoly thing because if like superstar Graham and, um, Ivan Koloff were blackballed. Bruno San Martino was blackballed at one point. Um, they were blackballed and it, and say they were blackballed by Vincent J McMahon in WWF. You think, well, hell I'll just go down here and we're well, they'd go somewhere else to work and they wouldn't let them work because they were all in it together. And to to beat the um, antitrust laws and the monopoly laws, they would say, well, we're not we're not together, but they would blackball. And I think Roy Shire and um, also. Um, oh, what was his name? Anton Leone. Um, he he filed like a lawsuit in. I mean, there's lawsuits uh, that are on public record, public domain that you can read where certain people would went to court against the National Wrestling Alliance. And so that was a way around that and everything. But again, Miguel, I mean, I'm going way off and shit. I was going to say we, we're going to finish up here, but now I'm probably on three hours uh, just because talking about wrestling. Um, again, when Loaf and I went to um, those wrestling things and they had wrestling matches, uh, Cedric Alexander, who was just on W. WE, I still want to say WWF, uh, this past week helping out, uh, um, not Seth, was it Seth Rollins or was it the big dog? I can't even remember fuckers names now. Um, he came out in a mask and against Shane McMahon or George Goulas, 2019. But anyway, uh, what I was going to say is George Goulas, 2019, George Goulas was pushed to the, to the moon by his dad, Nick Goulas and Shane McMahon. There's, he's too, for as old as he is, he shouldn't be fucking on TV that much. Uh, they should be pushing these younger guys. Uh, he's not that good. He's not that talented. Yeah, he can jump off stuff, and he's stupid to jump off this the cages and jump off these high things. He's going to fucking break his back. He's going to get killed. But it's just a classic thing where uh, wrestlers 
uh, promoters want to push their son at the the detriment of the whole th- of the whole business. Uh, and not only that, that's one mistake that they're making. They're giving him so much fucking time. Um, and you're never going to get new guys over. And that's one thing like with mid Atlantic, when steamboat first started up, he was young, but you can have older talent, but like one thing that they would do and Georgia would do a lot too, was you'd have Tommy rich, who was a rookie and he'd team up with Mr. Wrestling too, who was an older guy. Um, Paul Jones was a veteran, and he teamed up with Ricky Steamboat. You would have the the veteran team up with the young guy to kind of mentor him along. It gives the veteran some new life. It gives the young guy a way to learn, but also to to, to kind of get a rub from that guy. Like Dusty Rhodes would do that with Magnum TA or the Road Wars. He'd team up with the Road Wars, team up with the Rock and Roll Express, team up with Barry Windham, whoever, young guys or Mike Graham or whoever. And they – WWF got in this thing, and that's the thing. You see them making the same mistakes that WCW did when Bischoff and Russo and them was there, uh, creating that glass ceiling where you have the certain guys. And the fans, Vince McMahon could make it so much easier if he, I said, I think he's getting to the point where he's so old that it's boring to him, and uh, the challenge to him is to not give the fans what they want. And what they're clamoring for to force down the fan's throat what he wants and to make it work. And, um, you know, you can do that, but man, eventually you're going to go down the tubes. The fans are screaming and clamoring, telling you that, telling them that they wanted Daniel Bryan or CM Punk or whoever to be the star or that they don't want Roman Reigns to be this baby face or that they hate John Cena or whatever. And they, 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 in spite of the fans, and that's like WCW did in spite of the fans or trying to just swerve. Everything's a swerve. Everything's a swerve, you know, uh, everything is, uh, and changing guys from baby face to heel over and over and over. And you're killing them off. You know, people get tired of that shit and, like a guy will be a big, uh, the fans love somebody and like, I'm, I'm just going throwing names out, but like say Dolph Ziggler and he's ready and the fans want him to do this and he's a good talent, but they give him a push and then they drag him down, give him a push, drag him down, give him a push, a little bit of a push, drag him down, drag him down, drag him. And then people get tired of it. And then he just becomes nothing, you know, well, we want to make him eat shit and see how much shit we can make him eat. And see if they will stick it out. And if they stick it out and prove that they're loyal to the company and eat all our shit, kiss Vince's ass literally or figuratively, suck Triple H's dick, uh, fucking kiss Stephanie's ass, uh, whatever, and lick Shane's balls and prove that they care more about the WWE than they do about their own family, (coughs) then we'll give them a push 20 years from now, you know, and the guy's fucking dying off doesn't give a fuck or quits wrestling or goes to work for aew which now at least they have that or goes to uh japan or whatever or works the independent circuit (coughs) i was watching for a while online uh kenny omega uh i enjoyed watching him and watching that um wrestling the the big uh, tournament that they have every year for like new japan uh jake and loaf and um um some of those guys uh, in the group, uh, Jeff and, and a lot of those guys like that, uh, Coop, uh, we're all following that. And, and I started following, um, that to an extent, you know, just when that, when the big tournament's going on every year, I'd watch this stuff on, um, 
on YouTube, uh, catch it after the fact, and Kenny Omega, I'm watching him work, and some of the Japanese guys, which I can't remember their names right now, but um, like I, I liked, it, and speaking of like older guys, I'm not against older guys at all, I like Tenzon, uh, I liked him in um, WCW, and I also enjoyed watching him in the tournaments, and, and I like some of the comedy shit, like uh, Mike, my nephew fucking hates Joey Ryan. There's a place for everything. And I just, and, and Cornette, my, my nephew fucking loves Cornette and, uh, and, and fucking hates Joey Ryan and hates like that kind of stuff. I'll watch fucking Joey Ryan on clips and I fucking laugh my ass. If I saw him live, I'd fucking laugh when somebody grabs his dick. But like I said, when we, when Loaf and I went, went to that convention and they had the wrestling of that night, um, they had, uh, some lady wrestling. It was uh, Queens of combat. And, um, um, but there were several, um, Taylor Hendricks, uh, was fucking hot and she's a great fucking heel, big boobies, but I mean, she's, she's hot, but she does like a kind of a poison Ivy from DC comics sort of gimmick, but she kind of acts nuts. She got that red hair and the big boobs, but she's a great, a really good heel with the facials and, and cheating and stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to think there was, uh, but I really, I really enjoyed watching the women wrestle. I thought it was not for like a sexual sex, you know, thing because most of them, you know, like I said, Taylor Hendricks was good looking. She was hot. And like uh, Tessa Blanchard and um, and um, Rachel Ellering at that time were so green that even though they were like in the main event of the women's matches, they they were so green. It was like it was, you know like watching a women's preliminary match with people who really didn't know what they were doing. Uh, like awesome Kong was there and the crowd went nuts saying Kong's going to kill you. And she's this big, uh, you know, uh, almost like an Abdullah, the butcher, uh, like, um, female wrestler. So I got to watch some of those, uh, some of the guys, uh, there was one guy and I can never remember his name now. And he wrestles independence and he also, Jesus Christ, uh, just off the top of my head, I can't remember him. Uh, he was like, well, we saw the we saw the Briscoes, and um, I'm trying to think who else. I think we saw the oh shit, the Briscoes, and what was that guy's name? He was he was a young guy, but he had a long hair and a beard and a hairy body, but he was in good shape, and he was a really good fucking heel. And I can never remember his name now. Loaf would remember him. And I have pictures of him because Loaf took all kind of pictures. Uh, but he was really good. And I know that he's moved on and done some stuff on the independent and also maybe in TNA now. I don't watch TNA. Um, for years, I gave them chance after chance. And I I thought they were really – they just missed it. Um Ring of – if they would have went the Ring of Honor route, they would have been better off, I think, because – they just became WCW uh, again when they brought in Hulk Hogan and Bischoff and Scott Steiner. And you can have some of those guys, but when you bring in Bischoff and Hogan and Hall, Kevin Nash and those pieces of shit that just are fucking scumbag pieces of shit and all they're there to do is milk uh, a money mark and um, they would have been so much better off. And I would say the same thing with Jeff Jarrett and Russo. Jeff Jarrett, I respect his um, wanting to do a promotion, and you know he puts a lot of work and his heart and soul into it and everything. But man, he needed to fucking step away and maybe just be behind the scenes and fucking Russo bringing him in. It's like 
My God, bringing in Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, Bischoff, and Vince Russo are you. You have to be a complete and total fucking moron. And I'm not just talking about Dixie Carter. I'm talking about either it's whether it's Vince McMahon or anybody that's running anything. Those guys are cancers. Scott Hall's the same way. I'm glad that he's straightened up or whatever. If if he has, but he's a fucking cancer, you know, in, in the locker room and everything else. Um, but bringing in those old guys and even the Dudleys, uh, I don't mind Bubba Ray being in there and being like a, a heel or maybe even the main heel at one time. But they really needed – they created a glass ceiling there too. I mean, look how long AJ Styles just languished languished there. He wanted to be like kind of a big fish in the small pond. And at least he finally got out of there and went to New Japan. Now he's up in uh, – and I'll tell you another person I really like is uh, Matt Riddle. I watched Matt Riddle for a long time on YouTube. I'd watched all his matches that I could find on like Ring of Honor or from Japan or wherever because I like his style. It's more of a realistic style. You know, you don't have a lot of the – I don't mind. I watch Lucha Underground, um, and I find it entertaining, and I actually like the kind of soap opera – uh, storylines and the the mystical stuff and things like that because it's just a story you know and it's it was fun uh and but uh the lucha moves and everything um i'm a kind of an old school guy and i have a if it's all that like watching new japan tournament or where the guys are just doing all that gymnastics and uh uh circus leg moves and everything then you know Hey man, I'll watch it and I'll go ooh and ah and think it's you know they do a shitload of amazing stuff, um, but if 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 it gets to the point where like I said with um, the John Wick movies where if it's you're just one upping yourself, one upping yourself, one upping yourself and doing more and more parkour like stuff, um, it gets to be where it's like watching um, uh, high diving in the Olympics or gymnastics where you're just rating who's doing the most outrageous moves and getting somebody down. And, and like Matt Riddle, uh, his style is more along a shooter hooker MMA style where he's doing, you know, the double wrist lock, the Kimura's, but also the suplexes and the Alexander Carell and uh, gut wrenches off the map. Cesaro does that too. And I mean, I I just think there there needs to be a there's it's nice to have a nice mixture. You even in the old matches, uh, the old uh, wrestling cards from the old days, having um, the match build or the 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 whole card build from the you know the first card. And back then they didn't want you to go out and steal the show and do a five thousand you know flippity flop circus Olay parkour gymnastics moves and say follow that we're in the first match follow that they didn't want that the first match was like preliminary guys maybe that would go out and they would say uh, I don't want you to throw one fucking punch or one fucking kick keep everything in the ring and keep it simple because they wanted it to they the they they thought on a higher level they wanted everything to build. Uh, they wanted it to build to the big, the big fucking orgasm in the main event in the last match, the the pop, you know. And nowadays, it's like everybody tries to steal the show. Everybody wants to be seen, be noticed, and I understand that. 
But when you do 5,000 moves and the guy, every time the guy gets up and then you win the match with a small package, uh, or, you know, you're doing 20 brain, but it used to be if the guy got pile drive, the guy do a pile driver on the, on the floor, it was a one time every fucking year or two years or 10 years. And the guy went to the hospital and they would pay for the wrestler to be in the actual literal hospital for like a fucking week and go and take the cameras there and everything. And now they do so many fucking devastating moves that would kill somebody. And the guys just get up to do the next move, to do the next move, to do the next move. Nobody works a hold. Nobody gets it. Cause they'll say boring, boring. But then that's where you're letting the crowd stupidly letting the crowd tell you what they want because then i mean like i've said a million times before whether it's movies or whether it's wrestling if and the, i compare the john wick movies or like raid redemption or you know the raid raid 2 or whatever and then compare that to you know the godfather or something like that it's apples to oranges but what i'm saying is is if everything is you know just uh, crescendo after 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 crescendo. You know, if 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 every if every fucking song is the uh, the fucking uh, thing from Freebird where they just fucking they, they build and then they get to that one part in the guitar solo and uh, you know at the end and they're and but they built it starts out. And it builds, it starts out slow with that organ, man. And and people weren't at the beginning when, when you would go see Leonard Skinner in concert, you weren't sitting there going boring when they're fucking playing the organ at the beginning of fucking Freebird because you know it fucking builds. It starts out with that organ music and then it's if I leave here tomorrow. But by the end, it's like, oh, won't you fly high Freebird? Yeah, and the fucking three guitars and everything. And then it's just fucking going nuts and you're like, God damn, yeah, motherfucker. You know? It's like if you were fucking and you start out and you're you're kissing out in the car and you're making out a little bit and you and then you're kissing her on the neck and then and then you go and you know you don't just fucking uh as soon as you get in the house uh fucking jamming her ass and just start fucking like you're in in the goddamn uh fucking uh Serbian film like you're a nut on fucking meth until she's bleeding and her back goes out and and you fucking strangling her to death cuz you fucked her as hard as you could from uh, the first time you hit the bed and that's all you do is just nonstop. You're just banging, 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 banging for fucking two hours straight. You know, there's that buildup, you know, and the buildup lasts for a long time. It's even the, even the angles that you, you meet a girl and you're like, Oh God. And you know, you're thinking about her all the time and, and she's thinking about you and you got on your first date and, and you know, you might go and you might, you know, uh, uh, walk her up to the thing and you know, you don't know if you should give her a kiss or not. And she's then wondering if you're going to kiss her and you give her a little kiss. Then you go home and you're thinking you get, you're like, God damn, my balls are killing me. <laughs> but it builds. Everybody today has an attention span of a gnat. And, and it's like when you go to the circus, uh, uh, or even watching gymnastics in the Olympics, you know, it's like, well, how come if so-and-so can do a fucking, uh, round off back handspring into a double twisty, you know, six fucking handsprings and then do this and that. 
But why, why did they do that part where they just kind of roll around to do like a few dance moves and everything or ice skating or something? Why aren't they just doing those where they jump up in the air and just they spin in the air as fast as they can every time and they hit it and they do it again and they do it again and do it because it's got to build up. It's something special. It's the same with ballet or a dance or, you know, uh, they I don't know. Anyway, I'm going off on a tear here. I think we have some other questions, but Miguel took up a lot of the fucking last part of the show. And for people that don't watch wrestling, I apologize there a little bit. Not too much. Uh, let's see. I thought we had some. Maybe it was on the group. La group. The group. Let me look. Because I think uh, Rolf asked a question. That Rolf, what did you ask, sir? Let's see. And by the time I get this done, he probably asked some more questions. Okay, what's Rolf have to say? There was one about porn that I wanted to get to, and then we'll get off here. Um, if you can cast a high-budget porn epic, who would you pick to direct and star? And who and what would be the plot? Let's see. Hmm. Like if I could have like real fucking actresses and stuff like that oh my god um hmm let me think i would have god damn that's hard because uh, hey that's hard like my dick anyway um i would have anne hathaway and and um Michael Fassbender, and they would be a family, and they would have a little kid, uh, a baby, and they would have to hire a babysitter. <laughs> this is classic porn. This isn't going to be two because, like I said, I, I mean, I'm, I'm on I'm on fucking three hours uh, on this episode, uh, the, this part two, and the first part was over an hour and a half. Okay, so then anyway. But this, but this is this is classic. Fassbender and Anne Hathaway, and they have a kid. Okay, and the ki- and they have to hire a babysitter who would be Natalie Portman, young Natalie Portman, <laughs> not not too young, not the professional Natalie Portman, but Natalie Portman that is at least hot, but old enough to you know whatever. Um, and they're real religious. They're freaks. <laughs> They're like real, like uh, like Bible thumping, and they have um, um, and uh, 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 no, 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 no. This is even better. Okay, <laughs> Michael Fassbender and Anne Hathaway are adopting Natalie Portman. <laughs> Actually, I'm stealing this from a fucking porn that I watched. They have these porns now, and they're like, if you type in like taboo, and I can't remember what's, but they're like. They're like disturbing storylines. And the one that I saw, and I'm incorporating regular people into this, is um, the guy and his wife adopt this girl. Or she comes and stays with him like a foster kid or something. But, I mean, of course she's old enough. That she's, they even specifically say that she's 18, so I don't know why they had to adopt her. <laughs> but they're, they're, they're like real wealth. They're not real wealthy, like like billionaire or whatever, but like he's a businessman dresses real nice. And the wife, they have a nice house and everything. And the girl sitting there, she's, she's painfully shy. She's been in like a, like a, uh, 
uh, passed from foster home to foster home. And it's a movie, so I can do whatever. I can put whatever I want. And um, But um, so she's not talking and everything. And the the wife, she's spending time with the wife. But, like, she'll look over when the husband comes home from work and he comes over and, like, smacks the wife on the ass and says, you know, boy, that smells good, honey, you know, with the, she's there cooking and everything. And then the next thing you know, you know, shit you know, happens. But <laughs> And then he is an assassin and he's also an ex-special forces black ops guy. And Anne Hathaway, she has mental powers where she can control uh, anybody and bend them to her will. So they are mind controlling this girl and her friends. And what they do is blah, 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 blah. And then I jack off. I'd have to think more about it. Like I said, I got I better get off here because it's almost eight o'clock and this is three hours and 11 minutes. And I, I, I could write something better. Uh, but the, the reason that I, I remember Fastbender from shame and his big old dong, and he's usually good with showing some nudity and Hathaway shows some nudity. And I kind of have a thing for her a little bit with her big toothy smile. And, um, for some reason, Natalie Portman, I don't know what I never, I don't think she's a good actress or anything, but I don't know why. I saw her in something, and I'm trying to think. It wasn't Vox Lux because in that she's like older and like she, like I said, she reminded me of like a new age Judy Garland, you know, kind of fucked up on drugs and everything else, uh, which was wasn't a bad movie. But um, I think uh, with her being the like a younger, and maybe it's because she has a small stature that she could play younger. Uh, and of course then they would all end up banging and shit. And then, uh, you know, uh, she'd be fucked up and tormented, uh, because she would be like, you know, what the fuck am I doing? What's going on? And everything. And the dad's kind of almost, like I said, they're like real religious and like they, they, they don't have a TV in the house or anything like that. And they, and they, after dinner, they, uh, read the Bible. They sit around and read the, he, he reads the Bible and he's real controlling and he reads the parts in the Bible that the wife should be and the, and the children should be subservient and everything and then stuff like that. And then he might, he might get a little B and D S and S and M kind of a thing going on there. And then she's got to go to school and everything. And they're like, you know, what the fuck? So whatever. And I think it'd be really good. <laughs> and who would I want to direct it? Um, I was going to say Werner Herzog, but, um, uh, maybe Abel Ferrara. It would be really super sleazy. Um, yeah, well, you know, that might not be bad because he would do it and be like real super sleazy and stuff. And um I kinda I would want it be I would want it to be kinda like that, but I wouldn't want it to be too I wouldn't want it to be like Max Hardcore stuff that's like that's repulsive to me, you know. But um you would have that and then find out that uh there's there's a na- the neighbors, they kind of uh, have like a swinging thing going on, like almost like the chase with Marlon Brando and uh, Jane Fonda and Robert Redford that the, the people in the town, there's like an, an underground or, or uh, what was that uh, ice storm where they have key parties and shit like that. And, um, you know, yeah, that'd be, uh, that'd be good. <laughs> but no dusty roads. And if they did high spots, you know, no, like if, if you, if you shoot one like money shot, you just don't come back and shoot like 10 more, right? One after the other, it's one money shot that you build to and you build slowly, you know, and it would build slowly. It wouldn't be like, you know, just, uh, they would build up and the, and the, and the weird factor, like her being like, what the fuck, you know? Uh, but she's kind of shy and she's kind of backwards. So she's not immediately running out the door or going and telling her friends, oh, they're a bunch of freaks. She doesn't have any friends, right? No friends. <laughs> 
she becomes uh, uh, wrapped up in this. Uh, and, but but that you would have like you know when you watch the nun exploitation movies like Satanico Pandemonium, um, you would have like that the the uh, the real fanatical. Uh, uh, religious thing would still be there and 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 it would almost be uh not a cult but he it, but the the dad would 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 run the family almost like that like he would be you know he would expect her you know be prim and proper and blah 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 and everything meanwhile under you know everything like that so anyway i think it'd be good um this is dr zom i'm gonna sign off for now you got a mega epi- you got a mega two-part episode here and i hope you enjoy it and um hopefully uh we will be back and um love the participation on the group whether it's the wrestling group uh gentleman's guide or i mean uh wrestling and gold uh gentleman's guide to comics uh the feedback group uh feed my ears uh which is a great group uh gentleman's guide to midnight cinema oh talk without rhythm podcast uh paleo cinema podcast martian drive-in podcast uh terry talks movies on youtube uh again not affiliated with it but i love film spotting podcast um and uh, there's a shitload of wrestling podcasts out there now since we were talking about wrestling uh and uh so anyway uh if i miss anybody uh um I was going to say girls on film. Oh my God. That was so long ago, but <laughs> anyway, um, support your, the podcast that you do listen to and, uh, married with clickers. Another one that I listen to on a regular basis now. Uh, but support those guys, uh, with your feedback. Definitely. Uh, I know, uh, a lot of them really appreciate it. Um, whether it's on, even if it's on their group, uh, send them a personal message or if they have a voicemail or something like that. Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, so a lot of them, they, they don't mind answering the questions and they like to get a response even on their group, uh, by just participating and, uh, you know, stimulating discussion. That's what I get a lot out of gentleman's guide, married with clickers, uh, paleo cinema, whether it's listening to the podcast or being on their groups or being on our groups and just getting a discussion with all you guys. Uh, I'm telling you right now, I probably have, uh, 20, 30 movies that I have. Um, I keep screen screen caps, uh, from that you guys recommend on gentleman's guide on silver and gold, paleo cinema, married with clickers, um, that, um, or talk without rhythm, uh, that I take a screenshot of something that you guys are talking about that I've never seen or heard of. And I'm like, man, I want to watch this. I want to find it. And these days on YouTube, you can find a lot of that stuff, uh, without having to pay anything extra or find anything. Some of the qualities, not so good. Some of it's great. Uh, uh, but you can find a lot of that stuff and I, d- I feel like I'm overwhelmed and that's the same with the comic books too. Um, there's just so much shit out there and the same with the wrestling, uh, and, and just books that I'm reading right now. I just read, uh, Dr. Afra's new, uh, the new, uh, Marvel star Wars, Dr. Afra comic, uh, number 33. Um, great. It's the best star Wars comic uh, and one of the reasons is is that it uh, has created a whole new character, and um, Vader shows up every once in a while or is on her tail. Uh, but for the most part, you're and they did have a crossover uh, at one time where um, you know I think Luke or uh, and uh, Leia and uh, them that were there, um, but. 
for the most part, Dr. Afra and everything is kind of, it's in that universe and you have Vader and you have the emperor and everything, but, um, they don't immediately go back to Poe or, uh, or Leia or Luke or Han or Chewie or anything, anything like that. And it's a good, the stories they've switched over to a new creative team, a new artist. And I thought, Oh God, it's going to go downhill now. And I just got the newest up or the newest issue. And it was really good again. Um, reading and getting caught up. I read the last two issues of uh, BPRD, which is basically ending the Hellboy universe and that storyline. Now I know that uh, they're probably going to carry on with uh, like Hellboy 1954, 1964 or whatever, and different ones like that, that, that happened before the Ragnarok uh, um, umbrella Academy. And then I'm right now I'm reading uh, handsome Jimmy Valiant's uh, biography, which is about 500 fucking pages long. I bought it at the wrestling convention and that son of a bitch is thick as hell. Uh, and, and I started reading it and I'm like, man, it was worth 30 bucks. This fucking thing is great. Uh, great stories. Um, he, he was in wrestling for so long and even before he got into wrestling. Um, and I'm trying to think anything else I'm reading right now. I'm reading the intelligent sensational destroyer. That's, you know, the wrestling book of the intelligent sensational destroyer, Dick Byer, his biography. I have that on my, uh, Kindle. Um, and, uh, uh for right now, I think that's about it. Uh, listen to some music and making playlist. I had two dvds that i got in the mail that i ordered the other day and one of them uh stars marlon brando uh anna mcnani and joanne woodward called the fugitive kind this is uh one of the few marlon brando movies i have never seen uh from back when he was young and still cared and still was doing it uh this is a warner archive movie and i haven't watched it yet i want to check that one out and i got a um uh, six collection dvd uh cold war thrillers it has the executioner, uh, um, a dandy in a spy, uh, Otley, the deadly affair, Hammerhead, and Man on a String. And I have seen the deadly affair. That's a uh, Jean Le Carre, uh, George Smiley uh, movie, which I thought was excellent. But I I can't wait to watch the rest of them. I haven't been buying very much. Um, um, many dvds or anything i'm just going digital but i think like on amazon or something like that i don't know if i was buying a pair of shoes or whatever and it said you know free shipping if you if you for ten dollars more so i found a couple of dvds but i i really want to see this marlon brando movie i'm a big a huge fan of marlon brando and so i want to check it check this out and i will be watching it soon along with the last final season of um of um god damn it I just lost my my train of thought. Um, I'm with Raylan Givens and all that uh, series. Justified. I still have not watched that one. I have it on DVD, and I I have the um, uh, the American season two. I need to get into. What else do I have on here? I know I said I was going to quit, so I'm stringing it along here. I encourage everybody to watch what I'm watching. <laughs> Let's see. A uh, new movie called Night Moves. Uh, it's on Netflix. Uh, um, then Wolves, which has Michael Shannon. I'm starting the new season of Stranger Things. I haven't watched any of that yet. Um, Dark Matter, I'm finishing up that series. I really like it. I wish uh, I had never watched it before. And they canceled it after three seasons. But uh, it's really good, especially if you like sci-fi. 
finishing up uh, Black Earth Rising with John Goodman. Uh, I'm watching One Punch Man, which those are funny as hell uh, anime, but they're fucking hilarious superhero stuff, but done in a really humorous way. Love, Death, and Robots is on Netflix, and uh, those are only about 20-minute long episodes, but they're really good and, and entertaining. Uh, finishing up Jessica Jones uh, Season 3, I'm going to start watching The Last the Last Czars, uh, which is about Tsar Nicholas II. Uh, and I again, I've said before, I'm really into that time period and what happened in that situation. I do have Ash vs. Evil. I did not watch that, so I'm going to start that. Uh, and I'm on, uh, I think, the second season of Black Mirror. I just started that. And uh, The Golem, which is on Netflix. I want to watch that. And Babylon Berlin. That's another one I'm going to watch. I have on my iPad. And let's see if we have anything over here. And then I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Fighting uh, with my family. I think that's uh, the wrestling movie. Uh, that the WWE put out about Paige and it's got the rock in it and a bunch of WWE people. I just got that last night and uh, downloaded it. Uh, Love Streams. That's a John Cassavetes movie that I got and I need to watch. I bought uh, Painkiller Jane, uh, the series Painkiller Jane off of iTunes because it was real super cheap, but I heard it wasn't very good and uh, it probably isn't. So <laughs> I'll check it out. That's that Christina Loken that was in the one Terminator movie, the female Terminator. So anyway, I'm going to check that out. But anyway, people, uh, thanks for your support and thanks for continuing listening to this shite. This is Dr. Zom saying Zom out and have a great summer. Yeah.